No, no, no! Ah! Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coca Talk, episode 279. Special guest, Franklin Harris of Retro Rewind. Coca Talk is rocking the 8 bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Because Coca Talk is rocking the 8 bit world. Hello, everybody. Hey. Hello. Yeah. Let's Hello. See. Are we live? I think we are. Now this is so. this is a rerun. <laughs> <laughs> and let's hope the internet holds out today because two hours ago I didn't have any. Now you so, tell us. Well, I did earlier, and uh, oh. everyone was sleeping. It, w- it wouldn't affect the quality of the show either way. <laughs> Actually, probably improve it. But anyway, asparagus, asparagus. Okay, let's see. Panel intros. Who do we got with us today here? Um, get rid of the chat. Uh, let's see. Upper left-hand corner, we got Marco. What? Me? Oh, hello. Yeah. You're, you're, okay. you're in first square today. Yay, I'm number one. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> Next up, you're Trilly. Uh, next over, L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. And last on the top row, Rick Uland. I guess that was a hello. <laughs> or he's muted or something. I'm not sure what's he, he, going he, typed, he typed hello. Look to me. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Blind feed, character turn, Jason Reichard. Hello, hello. Oh, there's your hello. Came over the chat. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Everyone's just going to, the whole panel is just going to type their responses today. <laughs> All right, next over, we got Rondelvo. Hi, it's W. Rondelvo. How you doing? W. Ron, okay. <laughs> and Frank will introduce in a minute. Next, next up on the road, Grant Leedy. Hey, how's it going, everybody? It's the last guy you want to come to town. <laughs> well, because when he comes to town, the tornadoes are following him. Yep. <laughs> uh, let's see. Everybody, ew, people shifted on me. Uh, next up, Alan. Howdy, Alan howdy. Paradise. 
And last on the bottom row, David Ladd. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show where we've got a nice interview scheduled for you today. I hope you're ready for today's events. Let's roll into it. And he who snuck in on me at the last second, Slippy. He's been here. <laughs> oh. Is yeah, that what I'm supposed to do? Type my, type yep. my response on an MC-10. On an MC-10. Mm. Oh, okay. Yep. The screen okay. shift. I'm, 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 so. I'm ready now. <laughs> Welcome Me, to I'd have, I'd have to grab a Sinclair, so. I got one. <laughs> right here. Right here. Okay, let's see. Well, that's, that's it for panel intros. Uh, we have a special guest, uh, Frank um, uh, Lynn Harris from Retro Rewind, and we'll get a guy interview right. here in a bit. Yeah, we've had him on before. This is going to be a more extended interview because we just kind of touched on Retro Rewind, the company he runs and sells things like Coco SDCs and Amiga stuff and Com General Commodore stuff, all kinds of things. But we're going to get more into his uh, history in, in media and podcasting and a bunch of other things that we didn't cover last time. And to introduce that, I'm actually going to play a seven-minute clip uh, from one of the shows he was on. I'm sure some of you will recognize uh, some of the people involved. And there's some pretty cool, interesting stories, which I think Frank will comment on afterwards. Okay. Welcome back to The Lab. I'm Leo Laporte. Our good friend Franklin Harris is here. He is, of course, the Tech File guy from the Tech File podcast, techfile.ca. Thanks for having me. And apparently doesn't mind taking modified Altoid tins, batteries, and mysterious circuitry through airport security. Yes, it's a very interesting story on the way here. I got uh, <laughs> locked up for an hour and a half. Oh, well, uh, that's not so bad. Through security and, and, and Pearson with dogs and everything. They couldn't they figure out. They sniffed it? Yeah, they, they sniffed were looking it. for explosives. That's right. Well, it looks a little bit like a homemade bomb. So this would be a first warning is if you're going to make this, don't take it on a plane. Yeah, uh, even though I checked it through my luggage, I, I wasn't stupid enough to bring it directly on the plane. They still had a serious problem. Yeah, well, they'll find it, sure. It's staying here. I'm not taking it back with No, we can, we'll keep yeah, it for you guys. We'll, we'll, we'll keep I'll, it. I'll build another one when I get it. Whatever you do, don't mail this anywhere. Yeah, don't, <laughs> they, they'll put it not. They'll put it in a, in a uh, parking lot and blow it up. That's right. Yeah, it'll be, right. it'll be it on this. Eight so what is this that we're making? This is a USB charger uh, using only two AA batteries. Now, I, I can't take credit for this design. Originally, this was designed by the guys at Make magazine. Oh, they um, do some neat stuff. That's yeah, a fun magazine. They do some really cool stuff. But the problem is, is you, you can't really make the board uh, that they had at home because it's double-sided. And if you're going to do this type of thing at home where you're going to etch your own board, no, you can't. you got to use a breadboard uh, kind of stuff you'd buy at hobby shops, right? Yeah, that's right. A single-sided breadboard, you can do it at home. And that's what I did. I kind of modified the design so that uh, uh, you can do this at home um, with a single-sided board. Costs about seven bucks in parts that you can order. Uh, including the tin and the batteries. Looks like a couple of capacitors, a couple of resistors, three resistors. Well, the key thing is the Max 75, uh, 756 Boost controller. That's the key. That's, that's the, the key that thing. little chip is a USB controller. What is it? No, what it does is it actually takes three volts and regulates it to five volts. Which in that is, little which is, package. Right, in that little package. That's Boy, right. Is that amazing? Yeah, it's actually pretty neat. Uh, yeah. What it does. So there are other ones that are simpler out there using nine volt batteries, but you lose a lot of power, uh, a lot of function because you're you're dissipating the extra four volts and the nine volt through heat. So this is a much more efficient way. You can actually get almost two complete charges on an iPod video. All the way up? To, all the way up. From two batteries? From two AA batteries. That's that right. actually is remarkable. Yeah, it's, it's quite neat. And I, I didn't realize it was to have dual ports, so you can charge two devices at the exact same time. You are good. 
Yeah. So uh, we've we've uh, we've actually much improved on the original design. Oh yeah, I think, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So this, this I didn't know this. So these batteries are putting out three volts. That's right. Uh, two of them, and the, the USB spec says it should be five, five volts. That's right. Coming five out volts. Of it. Five okay. Volts. Show us how you show us. Whatever we need to know. I mean, obviously, these circuit designs will be on the website. They'll be on the website. This is for somebody who's done Heath kits or any kind of... I mean, it's not a complicated one, but you have to use a soldering iron. No, it's not. And actually, up on, on the TechFile website, I have a complete video, a complete how-to, step-by-step, oh, how to iron it on and how to use the etching solution, how to do everything. What are you ironing time. on there? Uh, I'm ironing on uh, the print of the board that comes off the software. Oh, so, there's, so the board itself has some, uh, some layout on it. Well, yeah, you iron it on, and uh, as you can see in the video, you run, uh, you, you take the circuit board, you drop it in an etching solution, uh, and the purpose of the etching solution, it'll dissolve away all the copper except right. where the black lines are, which leaves you with the traces on the bottom of the so board. So, in effect, you know, where I would have, when I was doing Heath kits, actually had wires there. That's right. You're actually putting copper on the board, That's and that, right. that, that, that replaces board. the wires. That's correct. You could do with wires. You could do you with wires, but you'd probably board. never be able to fit it in such a small can. That's pretty neat. Yeah. That's, I had never thought about doing that. Yeah, I'll That's never, very cool. uh, I'll never run out never of juice on again. any of my, uh, uh, no my devices as well. All right, so there you've etched it, and you've got it uh, in the solution. That's right. You wash the solution off. Uh, you're going to cut the board with a pair of scissors, drill through the board with with a very small drill bit, like a number six. But you can find all this stuff in electronic shop. Okay. Electronic shop. Nothing fancy. Here. Nothing fancy. You can order it all through DigiKey. Uh, By the way, you could buy these. Yeah. I just want to point out. Yeah. Probably for less than you spent on this thing. I mean, you could buy these for around forty or fifty bucks. That's right. right. But I spent about eight bucks. Okay. All that's right. right. So you saved so that, thirty-two dollars. Right. That's right. Exactly. All right. Uh, but yeah, it, it takes all the fun out of building. I know. This is the whole idea. And, you know what? A great project if you wanted to do something with your kids to turn them onto electronics. That's right. That's right. You have to be careful though with the etching solution. You got to be very careful. It's very exactly. dangerous. Yeah. It'll it'll eat right through your skin. Okay. Here's clothes. all the parts you need. You got the Altoids tin, although I guess any tin will do. This is just any the right tin will size. do. Uh, any tin will do. You got a, a bunch of capacitors, a bunch of resistors, uh, and the Max and 756 it. boost controller. I mean, that's the key right there. Uh, and once you get all that going, and you, you pop a set of batteries in, you just take any USB device you want, and you just plug and it right in you there. Just plug it. I didn't realize that you could, with two double A's, you could really. That's a lot of juice in there, in there. and, uh, and it's charging up. Eventually, Look. you'll see. Any minute now, the you're going to see it's dead charging. on that unit. Let's try this He's one. Use them all up. Or the Is it charging? People. Yeah, it's charging. Look, so you can see yeah. the little the little charge icon there on the. Uh, on the iPod. That's, right. That's very neat. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, I have all the files. I'll, we'll have them all up on the website. It's too bad you can't carry this on a plane. Yeah, it is. Because That's this, where the, this the is $40 where you really model. Want it. The $40 yeah, model would be a lot better. Yeah, because they look at that and they go, oh, that's safe. That's right. This is not a bunch of hot glue and <laughs> components and dog sniffing. It doesn't weigh, weigh a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't I weigh I feel really bad. No, that's okay. You must have anticipated that a little bit. No. Yeah, a little bit. I didn't think that they were going to go through the entire hassle bringing dogs. They strip search it. No comment. Really? Yeah. No. No. No comment. No. No. Wow. No comment. I'm and not at liberty to discuss it. It is because because actually you look like a hoodlum. Yeah. So it could have probably been. what no. it is. Yeah. Well, that and all the electronics and batteries, you know. And, and no, they would have done that to anybody. They yeah. would have done that to anybody. No, and I don't blame yeah. them. I mean, no. look at that. That could be anything. Right? Yeah, it was. It was more entertaining than anything else, to be honest. Yeah. With you. I, knew, I knew. They, I knew they I weren't hostile. No, they weren't hostile. They. You know, you said, look, I'm about to do a TV show, and I've I've invented this little thing look here's the book here's my website I actually got one of them to give me his cell phone and and, and charge the cell phone that well that should prove it it, it right. works that's that's Would how a I got bomb that charge mess. a cell phone I think not 
Not unless you were really a good not. designer. That's right, yeah, I hope not. Yeah. So all of this is on techfile.ca. You can watch the video. We have the uh, links, of course, on our website, right. labwithleo.com. Right. You've even got the schematics and everything. All the files is a complete how-to, a step-by-step how-to. Yeah. You took the beginnings of it and you made it work. You made it your own. That's right. Made you it made easy it to better. build at home, essentially, is what it was. Yeah, I love it. That's really cool. It's I'm all yours. You, I'm can, you can take it back on the plane. Okay, shall I? I'll take <laughs> sure. both of them. Take them both. And I'll make sure that I don't have any batteries so it won't do anything. Yeah. That'll really help. It might still confuse them, to be honest with you. <laughs> Franklin Harris is uh, online at techfile.ca and is one of our great friends. It's so nice to see you. Thanks for coming all the way Thanks out here from Toronto. Uh, and watch out for him next time you're at Pearson. <laughs> you can be in trouble. All right, when we come back, we're going to have more of your calls. But first, let's play What the Tech. This is a close-up picture of something. I. I Yeah, right. I'll we'll skip that little tail on there, but uh, I think that kind of gives you guys an idea what the show was like. And Frank, I think you wanted to talk a little bit about your experience with airport security there. Yeah, so that was uh, that was definitely uh, one to remember. Uh, uh, I decided at that point in time I was going to check the device instead of physically bringing it on the plane with me. Uh, sitting at the gate, I could hear them. Uh, my name being paged to the airport to pick up a courtesy phone. And I thought, that's odd. Uh, first, I thought maybe something had happened back home. And I, I picked up one of the courtesy phones by the gate and they asked me to come to a room. Uh, there was a problem with my bag. And when I walked in, there were four police officers and every item of my luggage laid out. And uh, the first guy had a, a picture of an x-ray in his hand. <laughs> and he literally said to me, what the F is that? Uh, and and at that point, my stomach kind of sank into my ankles and I went, it's a charger. He goes, yeah. What does it look like to you? I says a bomb. He goes, yeah, that's what it looks like to us too. Uh, you know, you've stopped every plane on the runway because of this. And, uh, and, uh, it was an interesting experience after a lot of explanation and, uh, a lot of, uh, being told off, uh, is the best way to describe it. Uh, eventually got on the plane, but, uh, I've had problems getting on planes ever since. Let's just put it that way. Um, you know, kind you of got a whole bunch of hot glue <laughs> in a, you know, a blob of hot glue and a bunch of batteries in a small case. Of course, through an x-ray, it's going to look like it's something that it shouldn't be. Uh, but yeah, I did actually, you know, plug my iPod and see, see, look, it just, all it is, is just a charger. That's literally all it is. Um, did you, so that did was, you ever, did you ever think of saying the word bang? <laughs> <laughs> no, at that point in time, I really thought, oh, great. I'm going to get home. Uh, they're going to drag me really? off to Gitmo and that's it. Because uh, that that was a surreal experience and you walk in a room and there's that many police officers just staring at you. Very, very pissed off. Uh, you know, you become a little kid. You're, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. It's There's nothing to it, really. Um, and, and did they actually you bring know, the dogs in and stuff like you were mentioning? They did. Well, the dog, there was a dog in the room uh, who had sniffed everything before they opened the bag. Uh, and then I was told next time, actually bring it on the plane with you you can show security and explain right off the bat and you know i thought the opposite but uh lesson learned wow yeah so anyway welcome again frank <laughs> thanks for having me it's a, a perfect intro frank stopped all traffic at pearson airport yeah that, that takes some doing yeah well <laughs> yeah i seem to have a knack for that let's just put it that way Achievement oh, unlocked. What was that? Sorry. Have you done it more than once? Stopped uh, traffic at the airport with no. Once, your... once is plenty. And like I said, I've had 
no word of a lie. I've had issues every time I get on a plane uh, since then. I'm sure that there's some record somewhere, some flag still set, uh, you know, because uh, there was even talk of, you know, the airlines can sue you for the delay and all this stuff. And I thought, oh, great. Um, thankfully, none of that happened. Uh, but I, I do remember specifically getting on the plane uh, after all this. And everyone had already been sitting on the plane for about an hour and 20 minutes. And so you do that, like... Uh, that green mile walk where you know very well, everyone knows that you're the reason that the flight's been <laughs> the delayed for an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> Cause you know, all of a sudden you mysteriously are getting on the plane and then the plane takes off. So uh, that was a, uh, that was an interesting and humiliating and humbling experience. <laughs> well, you had one thing going for you. You speak English. <laughs> yeah i mean, I mean yeah this wasn't said, too long after 911. just a few years after no so it, it was been a few fresh years yeah it was a few years afterwards and that's i think the height of security and and i really had that that just stomach sinking feeling when i walked in that room that that my family would never see me again that was it <laughs> uh but thankfully i did get on the plane and they allowed me to take it uh and uh and it, it didn't come back with me it stayed. It stayed in Vancouver. I was like, it ain't, it ain't coming back. I'll just build another one. Yeah, well, especially if it was only eight bucks. Yeah, I mean. So, um, just a bit, a little bit of a recap, I guess, because we have interviewed you before, but we just basically concentrate on your very early history of computers and then jump straight into retro rewind. Um, so, for the people who have not seen that previous interview, uh, a standard question we ask all of our guests, of course, is, uh, "What was the first computer ever used? What was the first computer you ever owned?" Uh, first computer I ever used was, uh, I think they were called icons and they were kind of really, uh, they were a Canadian brand that was an education brand that the school board here in Toronto had purchased. Uh, God, I'd love to get my hands on one, but they're near impossible to find. And, uh, the very first computer I owned was a Coco, Coco two. Uh, I remember Yay. specifically, yeah, going with my dad to Radio Shack at Dufferin Mall in Toronto. Uh, and picking up the uh, the Coco two and a and a uh, and the uh, tape deck for it, the eighty one, I think it was, if I remember correctly. And uh, that was a, the very first machine I used, owned, uh, and played with. And it was uh, it brings back incredible memories. And your gateway drug. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. Do you uh, still I mean, have we, it? Uh, I don't have that original one because unfortunately, probably not very popular on this show. But in order to get a sixty four, we had to sell the. Uh, the Coco two, but since then I own a lot of Coco twos and Coco ones and Coco threes and All empty right. tens. Uh, so I have, uh, including the tape deck, I've rebuilt what I had, but unfortunately I don't have the first original, uh, Coco two that I owned. Yeah. Uh, I don't have my original Coco one either. In one of my moves that actually got, it fell when the moving truck and actually cracked the circuit board in half. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, but but I've I've filled that hole again a few times over. <laughs> we got a comment from Wayland in the chat. I thought was kind of funny. He said the moral of the of the story with the uh, the the bomb stuff is that you make your bomb in a phone charger. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I had a I had this weird run. There's a, a few other segments I did on the show where like I would jam USB ports into all sorts of stuff. There's one where I jammed it into our alarm clock so that yeah, we could, I could charge my uh, I could charge my uh, iPod. Uh, at night, uh, and I just had this thing for just putting USB ports and things that shouldn't really have USB ports. 
Uh, yeah, I that was on, one of the I, ones actually that was one of the finals. So I was planning on playing as a preview. And, and actually, I think the funniest part of that story is that you guys were joking that it was your wife's alarm clock and she wasn't going to be able to wake up for work that morning. Yeah, that's uh, that was the alarm clock right out of her bedroom. Uh, that I <laughs> I was like, I'm taking this with me. I'll be back in four days. <laughs> and nowadays they put USB ports in about everything. Yeah, yeah lamps, yeah, so. you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I had it like I had one in my bike. Uh, I put them everywhere, wherever I could. Uh, it just made sense, right? Started to the, the all, most devices started to show that they could be charged via USB five volts. So why not just have that convenience of plugging stuff in, charging it, no matter where you are. Yeah. So in your earliest days with the Cogo two, and then with the Commodore sixty four, were you in in it for the software at that time, or were you already into the hardware stuff at that point? Uh, so uh, I led uh, very uh, misspent uh, youth. Uh, I, I did a ran a BBS for a very, very long time. Uh, well, I ran a BBS up until about three years ago. Um, I was I'm sure there's a statute of limitations on this, but I was, uh, a bit of a pirate. Let's just put it that way. Uh, with a few, uh, different, uh, we're shocked organizations in the Commodore 64 world uh, that were fairly large uh, that will remain nameless just in case there is no statute of limitations on this <laughs> stuff. Uh, but uh, I did. I, I, it was mostly, uh, mostly, 64 was mostly programming, to be honest with you. And then the BBS. Um, uh, I, I think it was like 2016 when I finally shut the last BBS I ran. I mean, it was like part of the, part of Fidonet since like 87, part of Fidonet's administration for the past, I don't know, 20 years. Uh, so that's kind of, that was always my thing. Um, and, uh, and I always kind of, whenever I had an itch to scratch, I would just kind of make stuff myself for it uh, as much as I could, more of a way to prove to myself that I could do it. Uh, but that's kind of, that was my, my bread and butter in the, in the retro computer days. So the hardware you just kind of did as a hobby when needed, and then when it did start becoming your thing, like you did a lot of hardware stuff, like on, on the lab, and and then of course with retro rewind, et cetera. So yeah, so I mean, you know, kind of engineer by trade. So some people would say I was just cheap. Uh, you know, I was like, hey, if I can build them myself, I'm going to build them myself. The hell with this. I'm not going to. If I don't have to spend two hundred bucks on something, I'm going to do it myself. And then there were always like oddities that you know. I wanted that uh, uh, you couldn't buy like uh, like I had a, a user port device that would offer a reset for the Commodore 64. And, you know, the way my desk was positioned, I didn't really have a lot of space to constantly stack stuff. So I kind of said, no one's got like a right angle adapter, so I'm just going to make one. Uh, and that's kind of where the whole hardware thing started, to be honest with you. It was just scratching itches more than anything. Uh, it's like, I really wish that I could have this and nobody seems to make it. So to hell with it. Let me see if I can figure it out myself. And then that kind of just steamrolled, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I met um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Andy Walker, who is a, uh, a Canadian tech journalist. Uh, and that kind of was my, the, the door opening to meeting people like Leo and everyone else that I did and, and working on the show. Uh, you know, was trying to just show that problem with shows like the lab and call for help is they were, I mean, there's a lot of soccer moms that would call in a lot of people that would call in with, you know, basic tech problems and, and they wanted to expand the show into kind of more 
bring more geeks in, I guess would be the best way to describe it. So uh, that was one of the tasks I had is, you know, like, let's, let's do some light hardware hacking. Some of the segments got a bit complicated for the show audience, I'll be honest, but let's try to, you know, let's try to show people that there's more than just, you know, AOL mail. Uh, when it comes to computers, the, <laughs> How the best way to a printer it. and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Or why, you know, why I can't default my printer to double sided type of thing. Uh, and that's where that whole, that whole thing kind of snowballed. Now, had you been watching Leo's shows before that? Like how? Yeah, I mean, I did. Uh, the original tech TV, um, you know, uh, the screensavers essentially, really. Um, I mean, being in Canada, we initially didn't have the screensavers but there was always nefarious ways of obtaining it but uh <laughs> so yeah i mean i i yeah uh, it was always an interest to me um i'd known of leo for quite a while right back from his dev null days on msnbc uh never had a chance to meet him until you know i got in contact with everyone through andy uh, essentially who became one of the co-hosts uh later on in call for help uh, and, uh, Amber and everyone else. So, I mean, I knew of him of course, and kind of did follow him loosely. Uh, uh, but it wasn't until, you know, meeting Andy and, and being asked to come on and do, I think like, I don't know, I did like the very first segment I think I did was like something around myth TV, which was like a kind of home theater PC software back long long time ago some of you might remember <laughs> myth tv uh and that's kind of how it all started right uh so yeah i mean that's a long ass answer to a simple question of did i know leo but yeah that's kind of how i got to know everyone there well i, I guess the one thing like you, you you obviously had some software chops from back in the Commodore 64 days and you you did a lot of like i'm assuming most of the hardware was self-taught i don't did you take up any official training for i'm i'm an engineer by trade so sort of okay. yes Okay, uh, but like, what 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 did Andy see in you that thought that you would be good on camera? Because that's a that's a big jump and a totally different skill set. You know what? I think they were just to be honest with you, they think they were just hungry for segments when they moved the show up. More than anything, uh, it was a uh, you know, it was he he said, "Hey, uh, I'll mention it to the show producer," and then you know, I got an email probably a couple weeks later from the show producer saying, "You know, what type of stuff can you do?" And I said, "Well." These are the these are the projects I'm currently working on. I don't mind talking about any of them, and and that's kind of just how it happened. Uh, you know, it was uh, nerve wracking in the beginning because it's a whole other thing walking into a TV studio where you know makeup is literally covering you and this cake material, and you know they're restyling your hair, and you're all you know hooking you up to all these wires, and you know IFBs in your ear so that the director can talk to you and you know tell you that you know, turn 20 degrees more this way or 20 degrees more that way. So, uh, and that becomes a bit confusing. Like my very first segment, if you ever watch it, I'll, I'll see if I can find it. I think I've got it somewhere. Uh, I mean, I look like a buffoon out there. Uh, you know, I'm not used to having someone talk in my ear and tell me, you know, keep your arms down, move more to the left, move more to the right. Uh, so, uh, you know, I thought, oh, great. I'll never be invited again. But uh, then I got an email from Leo saying that was fantastic. Can you put uh, together more? of that type of stuff, that kind of light hardware hacking that, you know, simple tasks for people. Uh, and then I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And we were, I was on it for years. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I like the fact that, like you said, you mentioned that you were you were kind of getting some of the segments were getting a bit more complicated. And you had a couple of podcasts at the same time, too. And one was a bit more of the light stuff. And then you also had another one that was a bit more of the heavy duty. Actually, how many podcasts did you end up doing? Because uh, you had Digital Underground TV, which is a video podcast. You had yeah. Technocrat, which was more the hardware hackers, but an, uh, more audio. You had and an interview show or something. Tech file, which was the interview show, yeah, yeah, and that was, uh, to be honest with you, that was my favorite one was the interview show, because uh, you really got to. Uh, I mean, it was unheard of at that time. Uh, I mean, it was kind of podcasting was still fairly, fairly new. I think you know, really in its infancy. I mean, we're talking two thousand and four. Yeah, two thousand four uh, yeah. to two thousand seven seems to be when they all started. Yeah, so I think I, I think I started Tech File two thousand and four, and it was literally. Uh, you know, after starting to do call for help, it was literally like, I think the very first episode I interviewed was Leo in his hotel room here in Toronto. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and he actually opened the door. He was like, Oh, great here. I'll, uh, you know, I'll contact Patrick Norton and John C. Dvorak and a whole bunch of people that he opened doors for. And, uh, you know, having the ability to sit with these people that, you know, I don't want to say you looked up to, but you respected in the industry was fantastic to have this kind of unfiltered, unplugged kind of, you know, nobody wanted the questions ahead of time. It was literally just, you know, sitting for 45 minutes to an hour, uh, just chatting, just kind of shooting the breeze with people and getting to know them. Uh, and that, uh, and that took off like a wild horse, uh, that show. Uh, and it was fantastic and something I'm very proud of. Yeah. I mean, the reason I've been trying to, and, and Rondo Vos helped quite a bit with these two and setting up interviews here is you want to capture that history before it's too late. Either people forget or, you know, badly, uh, you know, some people pass away type thing, especially if they pass away at a younger age. I mean, you want to try to get that that background story and then have it you know, preserved for posterity. So I, I, I didn't actually listen to that show. I Like when I got first in the podcast was a bit later. It was probably 2007, eight. And I was basically like Leo with some of the stuff that he was doing and then CNET and a few others too, uh, Revision 3, uh, some of the other ones like that too. But uh, um, And then as, as far as friendship stuff go, like Amber MacArthur, Kevin Rose, I mean, Amber did Command and now she's mm-hmm. you know interviewing the Prime Minister of Canada and stuff and you know working on CTV. Um, Kevin, of course, started Dig and you know, the Dignation podcast and Revision 3 and, and Milk and a whole bunch of other things I can't even remember. Um, so did you meet them all through... The, the TV shows, or did you meet some of them from Leo passing interviews to you, or how did some of those friendships happen? Uh, most of those people was just from being on the TV show. Amber, I became really good friends with. Um, uh, Amber and Andy were probably the two people that I became uh, the closest with. Uh, but then, you know, I got to meet Kevin. Kevin would fly up and do shows, so I, I formed an incredible friendship with him, uh, with Patrick. Um, uh, let's see, Alex Lindsay, who still to this day is an incredibly good friend of mine. Uh, you know, it opened a lot of doors and it created a lot of friendships that have lasted a very, very long time. Um, and, you know, I think it was all from that kind of ecosystem of being in it, to be perfectly honest with you, because you met these most of these people I met on set. Uh, and, you know, the nature of how we shot the show, uh, for those that don't know, the show would air every weekday, um, you know, depending on the time zone you're in, at least here in, in the Eastern time zone, it would air at 6 p.m. on tech TV. But, um, we would shoot an entire month's worth of shows in four days, uh, which is a hectic schedule when you're trying to do 20 shows in four days. So, um, you know, you, you'd wait for your opportunity, uh, to sit there. Oh God, look at that baby face. Um, you, uh, <laughs> you would, uh, sit there and wait for your opportunity. Um, 
So you'd kind of be in the green room with these people for hours at a time, right? So you got to know them, you got, you know, chatting, uh, and those kind of friendships developed and carried on. And, you know, I'm very proud of what Amber has accomplished because she's really, her, her career has skyrocketed. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, she was doing a tech, um, I can't remember who she was co-hosting with, but on CTV, one of our national networks here. Yep. Uh, she yep. was tech, you know, co-hosting that one for a while. And then she started getting involved with, you know, some of the, the political figures way up, like, you know, prime minister. Yeah. And she, uh, and she used to do uh, CP24 too, which is like an all news station. Uh, she used to do a segment there. I think it was called Homepage. I was on there a few times with her, uh, which was quite interesting. Uh, but she's always dabbled in a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and now... She's very in demand everywhere she goes, which is incredible. Yeah. And she still does like Facebook live streams and stuff. Every she does, yeah. Too. Yep. Yep. I got a question for you, Frank. Sure. Yeah, you had these shows, you know. Did you ever meet the guy or ever, anything ever happened? Like that guy that keeps zapping him stuff when he's, when he's doing his shows. You didn't have oh, any. Oh, are you talking about the, the professor out in Alberta? What's his yeah. name? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I never met him. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I, I do love watching him though. Uh, uh, he's like, uh, he's an electronics professor at, uh, one of the universities in Alberta. Really? I can't remember. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is, I, mean, he just, he just does it for a comedic value, but you actually do take some lessons away from, uh, uh, what's yeah, what his, what's his show? Is it Kaboom or something like that? Uh, Electro yeah, Boom. something like that. Electro Boom. Thank you. Uh, never met him in person, uh, but uh, I think he'd be a fantastic guy to sit down and, and share a beer with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, one of the reasons I picked this particular picture, besides the fact it has you interviewing Leo, um, is that you've got your Tech File t-shirt on. Yep. Yeah, I do. That was, uh, Leo decided, hey, it would be great if we had kind of a, a like a meetup type of thing here in Toronto for the fans. Uh, and uh, it was we just kind of like mentioned it through i mean even back then social media was uh sorry you just distract oh my god uh that's a lot of faces so if, if you kind of want me to quickly go through the people that are here uh sure. i'm sitting down far right it's hard to see me uh yeah. but in the kind of ray exactly right there uh next to me uh, for those of you who are canadian uh that's a gentleman by the name of uh Alan Cross. So Alan Cross is the host of uh, a syndicated radio show called The History of New Music. And he's also, uh, I think right now, he's like chief of the Chorus Music Network. Uh, he's just a huge like music buff who secretly is uh, a nerd. Uh, and emailed me like completely out of the blue saying, hey, can I come? I'd love to meet all you guys. And I thought it was a joke initially. I was like, Alan Cross, yeah, right. Uh, uh, next to him, I think is Dan, Kevin's friend. Um, and then there's, uh, God, I forget his name. He was on, uh, attack of the show with Kevin. Uh, he's Alex, the, Alex. Thank you. Uh, Kevin across from him, Amber, Leo and Andy Walker. And that was, we decided to do record a show, uh, at that meetup, which ended up having like, I don't know, 700 people show up. <laughs> People kind of flew in from all over. We were kind of taken aback that all these people actually cared uh, and even <laughs> knew who the hell we were, uh, which is quite quite shocking. But uh, that was that was a fun evening. That definitely was a fun evening. So where where was the event held? Like I think you were the main organizer of this whole thing, weren't you? Well, yeah. Somehow I got saddled with it. I'm not sure how that happened. But it was <laughs> like okay, uh, I'll I'll take that lead. It was at a restaurant here in Toronto uh, called No Regrets. 
Uh, and it was just, you know, Amber happened to live close to it. She was there all the time. She knew the owner. So me and her went over and talked to him and he's like, sure, we'll, you know, we'll book the whole, uh, the whole venue for you guys, this one kind of weekday evening. And we thought, oh, great. No, one's really going to show up, but wow. A lot of people did show up, which was, which was uh, a humbling experience. Now, did you know Leo when he was in his home, you know, before uh, yes. Uh, before he bought the studio. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this, we're going back to the call for help days. So yeah, I think the f- first episode I was on was probably how Josh wasn't born. So Josh is 16. So it was probably be about, I must say about 18 years ago. Um, it was the first time I met him. Wow. I'm really showing my age. How's that <laughs> I want to show this one because it's only got 20 pictures of Kevin and, uh, <laughs> And Amber here, so yeah, Kevin and Amber, uh, and Andy and uh, Dan beside him. Um, that was a fantastic evening. Yeah, I actually found a bit of a video clip from it too. Here, I don't know how much we'll, we'll, we'll oh, play. Oh God, was I drunk? Oh no, should I prepare myself? I'll turn it down a bit here so you can talk over if you want to comment. Yeah, no regrets. I was right. I was like, God, I hope that's what it's called. Yeah, so like literally all these people just showed up, which was mind-blowing. It looks like you were actually running some of the tech in the background for us. Well, <laughs> the, the interviews were for the Tech File podcast, right? Uh, so it was, you know, it just organically grew. You know, a year ago, it's almost been exactly a year ago that... G4 Tech TV Canada calls. Wow, who is that young, you know, ugly-looking guy there? Call for help in the U.S. <laughs> but you have some fans in Canada. Would you like to do the show up here? And I said, "Are you kidding me? You got it." I came up here, and we've been doing the show a year. Yesterday, we completed our 200th episode, <laughs> and it's just been growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And now we're in Australia. And, they, and it's been huge there. And I think any day now we're going to see it in countries all over the world, maybe even south of the 49th parallel. But all I care about is right now is Canada. You have been wonderful. So thank you very much. Now, I want to introduce some people because there's more than just Amber, Andy, and Leo here. You know, the Call for Help crew is here. Andy, ladies and gentlemen, Andy Walker, CyberWalker. who is an up-and-coming young star. It's everything we can do to keep him from taking his clothes off on the set. You think we're joking? He owns NakedMike.com. And, of course, the real star of Call for Help, ladies and gentlemen, Amber MacArthur. She came up to me earlier and she said, people like us. And I said, they like us. They like us a lot. It's, it's, if you do something that uh, treats people with, as intelligent, as people who are interested, who want to learn, if you don't talk down to them, yeah, they like you. I don't know why network executives have such a hard time learning that lesson. Uh, you know, there's a lot of places uh, where uh, people would say, look at this and go, well, what is that show? We should be doing that show. Unfortunately, <laughs> none of them are in the U.S. And also, <laughs> also I want to introduce a uh, very important part of the show, Sean Carruthers, our gadget guy. 
Franklin Arnes from checkfile.ca. He's the guy who put this all together. Let's thank him for arranging this. And he attempted to do a podcast. <laughs> what a mistake that was. You gotta do something. You just release it the way it is. Sometimes I do that with Twitter, you know, I just give up. And I say, here, take it. It's not getting any better. You should just release it. He's got like eight tracks of everybody talking at once. And yeah, that was a challenge. Here. <laughs> I'm really pleased we could get them here. From south of the border, ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Rose. And, uh, and with him, his co-host from the Screensavers Indignation, Alex Albrecht. There definitely was a lot of alcohol consumed that night. And with Alex <laughs> holding on tight for dear life, because I think he'll fall down otherwise. It's Canada. Yeah. Yeah, we had stronger Dan beer. Yeah. But you can see there's a lot of people that showed up. It was, uh, Leo really is in his element in these type of events. Yeah. So were you busy, like, doing, you know, mic checks and balancing mic yeah. stuff rather was, than actually uh, being able to mingle? It was, uh, it was a challenge. Uh, I did release it. Uh, it took a few months of trying to piece it all together and uh but i did i did release it because uh you know i don't know what i was thinking i was like yeah let's just I don't know, you know 12 people sitting in a room with 600 people watching we'll pull this off uh <laughs> it didn't quite work that way i think this is uh kevin buying the entire room uh booze uh which was uh very nice of him he bought a round of drinks for everybody in the place wow uh, which couldn't have been cheap so did this this Tech TV meetup in Canada, this happen just once in 2005, or did you do it a couple times? We did or? it again in uh, BC, if I remember correctly. Uh, but it was a little bit different. I think it was a 300th show kind of special, and Victor kind of pulled it all together, Victor Lucas. He's the one that kind of organized it and paid for everything. But it was more of a, you know, bring the fans out, we've done 300 shows type of thing, uh, where this thing in Toronto was just, literally, it was just organic. It was like, hey, we really should just invite a whole bunch of people to come hang out while we record this show, and then, you know, this happened. And I was just like, wow, that's a lot of people. Uh, that's a lot of people that showed up, uh, which was fantastic. But I don't think we were prepared for it. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Hey, I'll play the whole thing there. It's on YouTube if you want to you catch it there. I had no idea that this was on. I had no idea someone filmed this. Yeah, it looks like it's just like a bunch of, of shots, you know, kind of merged together to kind of give yeah. you a good feel of the event there. Plus, I'll stop it before the embarrassing drunk stuff starts happening. Yeah, please. I beg of you. <laughs> and then, uh, as I mentioned before, you were on some other earlier uh, podcasts. So Hack 5 is one uh, with Darren that's still going today. Yep. Um, um yeah, flew to Virginia to hang out with the guys there, and uh, we did. I think there was a tech file episode two. Kind of did two things at once, kind of two birds uh, with one stone. Uh, but they're fantastic. The those guys are just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, well, one thing I like. I I only started watching Hack Five like years after this episode six. I'll show the first bit here because you guys did comedy bits. Um, but it was it was surprising to see how much Darren advanced of being on the camera because in this one he's a little bit stilted and like I, I probably won't play the whole episode but uh, you can definitely tell he's still getting familiar with the camera and and how to do it. Now you were mentioning you had to go through the same thing too here, but uh, I think everyone but he's a does. natural on it now. Yeah, you kind of get used to it, right? I mean, you know your cues and segments, but in the beginning. A, a professional production environment is a whole other world, right? When you yeah. literally like you know you've got 
you've, you've at all times have someone talking to you in your ear, whether it be the sound engineer or the director or the producer. And, you know, you kind of, in the beginning, it's like, you know, some of the earlier episodes I did, you know, I kind of had this deer caught in a headlight look staring into the camera. And it wasn't because I was like, you know, off or nervous. It's because I'm trying to understand what they're telling me in my ear to do. Uh, and then it just becomes second nature. Right. Uh, so it does take it like, there's no, there's no training. You got to be tossed into the fire and kind of get used to it. Okay. So I'll play a little bit of this one here. Now, I, I, before I do though, I think some of the people on the panel here actually have watched hack five. I think Alan and maybe Rick and some others, the hardware people are, you guys watch hack five. I missed that one. Okay. Because I know some people have mentioned Hack Five before in the show. I'm just trying to remember who it was. So I know. Um, I'm I'm one of the people that watches Hack Five back when uh, Darren Atkinson and uh, um, crap. I can't think. West West Tobler, West Tobler, and Jonathan Goldsboro, and uh, there was one other guy that I can't remember. Okay. Anyway, though, like I said, the one thing that surprised me here, because <clears throat> they didn't really do this later on when I had started watching it. And I honestly, I don't have time to watch it regularly. I just catch it once in a while now, nowadays. But uh, the, the comedy bits at the beginning, that was not something I was expecting to see. So I don't know how long that lasted. But uh, you get to see some of uh, Frank's acting skills here on this one. Uh, is that what we're calling it? All right. <laughs> Who cares about the stupid me talk anyway? I'm, I'm, I'm done with you. I'm let... totally done with you. Oh, sorry. Oh, dude, what Frank, you right? What's going on? Frank. Hey, Frank. Frank. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, whoa. Frank. Frank. Shit. Shit. John. Hey, hey, get the kill. Hold on. Oh, no, 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 no. God. Somebody call oh, an ambulance. Get the first in. You all right? Frank. 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 That's not Oscar. Frank. Frank. I don't know what it is. Here's a game laptop. Get your Frank. Shit. Oh, dude, we're losing him. I got it. Move out of the way. Move out of the way. Look out, look out, look out. Quick. Wait, I need, I need a copy of InMap. Somebody give me a copy of InMap. Quick. John. John. On specially marked packages, a free copy of InMap. God, I'm regretting this interview. Ah. The Google career certificate. Jesus, I forgot all about that. To be perfectly honest with you. Job. Oh, did you? <laughs> and with three young kids at home, yeah, I did a little bit of digging. Able to learn at my own pace uh. was so important. I didn't know you were in a Google commercial. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're talking about that offline here. I'm oh, going to get that no, fixed here soon because the ad, ad blockers I've got are just not working really anymore. Good. Oh, he's awake. Wow, he's, he's fast. Shot. He's good. Dude, yeah. You all right? What's Whoa. Up? Nothing that end maps we won't fix. Dude, yeah, yeah, I'm good, man. Hey. Ah, man, I ain't a drink. All right, oh. let's go get a drink. Where do you want to go? Drink. Where do you want no regrets, though. No regrets is great, man. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Anyway, I'll play the whole episode there. because. Uh, so that's actually funny enough. That is the site of Call for Help in Toronto. Uh, I remember this now. This is the the so I I actually introduced Leo to um, uh, Darren and and the rest of the Hack Five crew and convinced them to allow them come up on the set and do a segment. So that is actually the uh, what you're seeing is the the set of Call for Help here in Toronto. Okay, well I'll let the video play here. So yeah, yeah, that's the set. 
Oh, he was, he was doing I was like, you got to You got to My you name's meet Leo Laporte. You may remember me from such shows as the screensavers and Call for Help. Well, that's all over now. They're taking the place down and folding it up. Frankly, at 76, six years old, I'm too old for this. Thank God Hack 5's here to take over. Kids, hit it. Anyway, God, you've done uh, some digging. <laughs> wow, jeez. Yeah, and Darren had to be a hoot. Ah, uh, yeah, he was. Uh, well, he still is. I shouldn't say he was. He still is a hoot, uh, and he's done very well for himself. So I'm quite, I'm quite, uh, quite happy for him. Yeah, he actually ended up doing some commercial products. Like, what's that one little hack? The pineapple or whatever it was. Yeah, they sell quite a quite a few things. Yeah, they, the Wi-Fi pineapple, and there's a few other. Uh, the ducky. There's a few other commercial Land products. Turtle. And, uh, yeah, quite a few products that they sell. Yeah, and it, I mean, for those who don't aren't familiar with the show, it's uh, it's definitely more in the the hardware hackery and, and network hackery in specific. I think it's security, probably, yeah, yeah, big time into security. And uh, like you said, the the hosting in the uh, has gotten much better since these earliest days. <laughs> um, We're all embarrassed of our early stuff. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was that was a fun one because I, I didn't realize you were involved with that that early on. <clears throat> so, how did you meet Darren? Because he wasn't really part of the Leo group, I don't think, or was he on? No, not at all. Uh, I think he just reached out once uh, and commented on uh, on on the Tech File podcast and how he loved it, and uh, and we kind of just got to know each other that way. And I told him that we were doing this uh, meetup and that they should come up if they, you know, if they could, uh, and. Uh, and then one thing led to another. Somehow I ended up in Virginia uh, working <laughs> with them on that episode and then uh, kind of convinced um, Leo that he should uh, give them a, a, a kind of a chance and a crack at it, uh, which was fantastic because uh, they did come up and they did call for help a couple episodes with us and the rest is history. Yeah. And I know he's he's uh, he guested a fair bit uh, for a while there on, on Leo's podcast. Network. He did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he moved. He actually moved from Virginia to uh, kind of Leo's neck of the woods, and I think that's where he still is right now. Yeah. And this, I mean, obviously your your old websites for Technocrat and stuff are not running anymore, but uh, nope. I did pull some uh, wayback God. machine stuff here. So this is uh, digitalunderground.tv uh, in two, you know summer of two thousand seven. Here, just when you released episode three. And unfortunately, oh, the, the actual video is not archived. I can't play that. So no, but I've got. But you want to just explain kind of what Digital Underground TV, what what the premise of that was, and maybe how long it ran, etc. Uh, so it ran for quite a while. I think uh, I think it ran until probably 2015, uh, if I remember correctly. And um, I did this show with Mike, who was uh, Leo introduced there. Mike was one of the uh, producers on um, on Call for Help. Um, and it, we would just do kind of, it was just a general kind of tech show, uh, that talked about new and interesting things that we had stumbled upon and, uh, focused a lot, if I remember correctly on kind of the emergence of web 2.0, uh, it was more Mike's thing than mine. I was just kind of riding his coattails. Let's put it that way, uh, <laughs> more than anything, uh, but helping him out with it, helping him out with the production and whatnot. And that's. That's uh, God. I haven't seen that in a very long time either. 
So did, did you stay on the show right up until the end then? Or? Yeah, yeah, from the beginning right until the end, uh, right until the very end uh, before we thought that was enough and kind of shut it down. Yeah, I was going to ask like some of the stuff that you 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 did the of the podcasting thing. Like, is it just because Retro Ringwagon got so busy at that point that you just didn't have time, or was there I so know, many competing I, I, shows now that it just felt redundant? Yeah, or you guys I were thought, getting burned you know, out? I uh, you know I thought I had I'd done what I needed to do. I kind of scratched that itch right, kind of right at the beginning. I was said, you know, if I have an itch I want to scratch, I'm going to do so, and and you know it, it was successful. I mean, Tech File ran for a lot longer. Uh, this is kind of a, an ancillary thing, um, digital underground, uh, and, uh, and technocrat, the other one, but tech was the main focus. And, and we did that. I mean, tech was a monthly show. Uh, and I think we did, I don't know, 85 episodes, something like that, 75 episodes. Uh, and it was more of a, okay, you know what? I've done what I needed to do. Uh, you know, I don't want to kind of drag this thing on like some shows do. Uh, and it was just time to put it to bed. And, uh, you know, my kids started getting older, uh, and, uh, frankly, you know, my family life. Yeah. And family, my family is very important to me. They'll always be first at the end of the day. And and that was that, you know, my kids started getting heavily into baseball and I ended up coaching him and that took a lot of my time. Uh, and he still plays, you know, high competitive level baseball at his age at 16. Uh, hopefully he gets a scholarship and it's going to save me a ton of money, but a whole other whole other conversation so i mean it just life got in the way and i mean i don't regret it uh i look back and i thought we did quite well and and i enjoyed my time doing all this stuff so you're not doing any any regular podcasts except no. for guesting every once in a while here nope. <laughs> yeah no i my focus now is clearly on on retro rewind and uh you know uh actually my wife is like for the love of god why can't you just make some money off this stuff uh, you've got <laughs> crap everywhere. Uh, like you've, you've got an insane amount of money invested in all this crap. And that was, you know, again, it's always been, you know, I always go back to uh, scratching that itch. And it's like, well, if I'm scratching this itch, then there's got to be people out there that need an itch scratch too. So uh, let's do that. So I started, you know, Retro Rewind, well, I don't know, two and a half years ago now, something like that. And that's Yeah, kinda, you've, you've been running that out of your house now when when we went to boat fest together. You'd mentioned that you were looking at getting an actual office space. Cause you're kind of outgrowing your house and garage at that point. Correct. And we, is still there anything further are, on that or. Yeah. So um, the problem is I want to, I need to find something that is relatively close to where I live. Um, and you know, everything we've looked at has either been way too big for our needs or way too small. Uh, and it's unfortunately a waiting game. So we do, we do have the services of a real estate agent who's constantly looking uh, to make sure it meets the criteria. Thank we you. Need. Yes. You're too uh, and when something finally does, wow, that's scary. Um, when something finally does show up, uh, we're going to jump on it because my entire basement is needs to go back to my family. Uh, let's just put it that way. Yeah. And my garage and my shed and everything else. <laughs> Cause there's stuff everywhere. Like the garage has got, you know, two pick and place machines and ovens, uh, and the basement is like my daughter's old bedroom. Cause you know, she's now 24 and has her own life has been, you know, it's nothing but shelves of stuff and parts and components. And, uh, it, you know, the old family room is now, uh, a shipping area. So it, we really do desperately need to, but we've got to find the right, the right space, uh, first. 
So we did retro rewind and like, were you planning on making it a, like a full-time business like it's become, or was that meant to be more of a hobby thing you're just going to do to <laughs> start it as a hobby, to be honest with you. And, uh, and it's taken off like a rocket and I can do nothing more than hold on for dear life uh, <laughs> and try to uh, you know keep up with demands. And initially it was just supposed to be a hobby. Uh, and, uh, it's completely outgrown that, I mean, we have, uh, four people now, uh, some part-time, some full-time, uh, that work for us. Uh, yeah, so one of them was in the chatter there, Jason Warrens, who's in, out of yeah, Calgary, Jason, I believe. Yep. Jason, uh, who <laughs> thankfully, uh, he takes a lot of, uh, will take a lot of overflow, uh, on at least some of the recaps we have to do and some of the repairs. Cause it's, it's getting silly. It's getting, uh, completely out of, out of control. Uh, so we've got Jason, we've got uh, Troy, and we've got Jamie. Uh, and, uh, you know, this small little hobby has now kind of leapt into a, a business with four employees, uh, which is fantastic uh, and frightening all at the same time. <laughs> Was this the first time you ever actually ran a business? Yeah, uh, like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's a uh, learn-as-you-go scenario, let's put it that way. Uh, just just kind of uh, like being on TV. It's just kind of like wing it and you learn as you wing go. It. It's a little bit more difficult, especially when Revenue Canada comes knocking. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I found that out when I started. It's why, you, uh, it's why you hire an accountant and uh, a lawyer uh, to kind of help guide you. Because, uh, you know, it went from a small little hobby to, you know, it's like, wow, uh, this really is gotten some legs. So how, how did you meet some of the employees? Because like they're not all in your area, like some of them are scattered across Canada. Yeah, so, so like Troy's in Ottawa. I've known Troy, oh, I don't know, twenty plus years through Fight on It. If I go back to uh, BBSing, uh, and Troy does uh, a lot of the coding for us, uh, a lot of any programming that needs to be done, he's kind of the guy that looks after that, uh, including like uh, our uh, Coco SDC diagnostic cart. He's the one that kind of disassembled the original code and made sure that it was properly patched for whatever amount of memory you happen to be running uh, in your Coco, not just the first 16K and made some other changes to uh, to satisfy our needs. Uh, Jamie, uh, who I've known also for 20 plus years, is um, does a lot of customer service stuff, does a lot of uh, troubleshooting. Uh, and Jason, uh, Jason and I met through, uh, through the Amigos, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, through being a fan of uh, the Amigos. Yeah, because you've, you've got a pretty good team. I mean, I got to meet Jason in person because we actually you know, all drove down together when you picked us up at the airport in Toronto. And and thanks again for sponsoring that. That that was very, very kind. Absolutely. It was, it was a blast. Fantastic time. In fact, it was during those conversations in the car, though, we discovered all this history of what you'd all done there because you were kind of coy about it. Um, when we had you first on, you didn't really mention it at all, to be honest. I mean, that I would have led with that. It was me. Um so I think you had mentioned that, like, I think I asked you as to why you had not used some of your, you know, being somewhat famous in the tech uh, community before with Retro Rewind. And I think you had said that you wanted Retro Rewind to be able to stand on its own. Um, yeah. And it has, I, apparently that's worked if you're hiring employees and becoming a full-time <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so. Uh, and I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, the Coco community has been incredible. Uh, at some points, rabid in the amount of stuff that they want. Uh, like uh, we went to this uh, retro computer show uh, here in Kitchener, I don't know, four weeks ago, three weeks ago now, something like that. Uh, and there were a few diehard Coco people there. Um, and uh, 
the Cocoa products outsold the Commodore products like by leaps and bounds, which was mind blowing. Like, I, I just don't understand how many Cocos are still there that people still need SDCs. Uh, that still boggles my mind. Uh, Cause I think we sold 13 of them within like six hours, which was like, Whoa, what's happening here? Uh, <laughs> I'm not complaining. This is a good problem to have, but like, where's all this coming from? Um, so uh, everything I've ever done, I've always wanted it to stand on its own merits, right? I didn't want to lead uh, and start retro rewind and kind of wave a flag of saying, Hey, I'm, this is me. And this is what I've done in the past. Cause I don't think any of that past stuff has to do with retro rewind to be perfectly honest with you. Right. Uh, so I wanted it to kind of, if it was going to grow and be successful, then let it grow and be successful on its own merits on, you know, our workmanship, uh, on our customer service, on that type of stuff. Uh, and, uh, I think we've done quite well. And I, I was a conversation that we had, uh, you, I, and, and Jason, uh, driving down to Virginia where it was like, you know, yeah, I, I did all that stuff in the past, but you know, to me, it has nothing to do with retro rewind or the work we do. Uh, I think it's kind of retro rewind has stood on its own merits, has nothing to do with, you know, Frank in the past. It has to do with Frank right now. Uh, and now that we've kind of established ourselves, at least I think we have, um, I don't mind talking about anything I've done in the past, but uh, really didn't want that to be. Yeah, uh, you didn't want to ride on your own coattails, no, basically. No, absolutely not. I wanted it to be, you know, they do good work. They, you know, they're efficient. They're, you know, great customer service, that type of stuff. Uh, and that's what I like to think we've done and kind of hope we've done. And you sell internationally too. Obviously, you sell in North America, the states, and Canada. Um, in fact, if I bring in the prices world. here, it'll be the Canadian prices uh, because I'm, you know, it registers me as Canadian. But you sell like uh, tons of Amiga stuff to Europe and stuff too. Oh, Europe! Uh, we've sold to every continent, but uh, Antarctica. Uh, I don't think anyone actually is there, but still, uh, <laughs> yeah, like Australia, South Africa, all over Europe, Asia, Thailand. Uh, China, we even sold stuff to China, which is mind-boggling. So you're uh, buying the parts from China and sending them back, basically, and, and sending them back. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, huge uh, cocoa community in Brazil that I didn't know existed. Yeah, uh, they had uh, the whole clone scene with the CP400 and a bunch of others too. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so we've done a lot of business in in Brazil and Argentina, uh, and obviously Canada and the US, uh, and all over Europe. So Frank. Um, are you going to run out of materials to keep making SDCs? Well, so we were. Uh, and uh, one of the things, the, the problem is, uh, as you probably know, is the PLCC packages uh, for the CPLDs, right? They haven't been made in years. Uh, I mean, PLCC really is a hobby component. And Xilinx uh, uh, oh, was probably four or five years ago announced an end of life on the PLCC package, not on the actual um tpld itself uh but on the package and you know we've decided it's just going to be easier we've developed a small carrier board uh that you know you can put a qfp uh xilink on that will just be pin compatible to the holes in the sdc uh so just solder the carrier board directly onto the sdc instead of having a you know a plcc socket and dropping because plc sockets are garbage let's be honest um, you know, you pull the chip out once or twice and that's it. The socket's done for. So a uh, little carrier board uh, we've developed. Uh, they actually came in, I think, on Wednesday. Uh, so I haven't had a chance to sit down and test them yet because 
I've taken the next three days off knowing very well how long the show runs. Um, <laughs> Uh, but as soon as uh, I think as soon as we're done, uh, one of the first things I'm going to do is go play with the new carrier boards uh, and make sure they work. Because uh, I think right now, probably got 30, 35 uh, PLCC Xilinks left. And then uh, and then we got to move to the new carrier boards. Yeah, cool. uh, you'd mentioned to me in, in private, you know, how well you'd sold at that uh, show in Waterloo, I think it was, wasn't it? Kitchener, yeah. Or Kitchener, sorry. Yeah. Um, and the, the fact that uh, then you all of a sudden got some more orders online <clears throat> and you'd already run out of stock from selling them at the show. So you had to stay up to like three in the morning that Friday, just jamming out boards and to get yeah, your stock as quickly back as up. possible. Yeah, yeah, as quickly as possible. But uh, they're back. So, I mean, we've got a, a workaround. Let's put it that way until the next problem or next chip shortage hits on something else. Because uh, even trying to get the, uh, the Atmel chips has been a bit of a challenge. It's opened up a little bit. Uh, and at least uh, uh, Atmel has committed to to continuing on with the dip package of the 328P. But um, you know, I don't think they're putting much effort into producing them. There's another question. Oh, go ahead. Another question, real yep. quick. Um, you're a Linux guy. Do, do you have a Cocoa Pie? Uh, I do not have a Cocoa Pie. Uh, I am a Linux guy. You're 100 correct. I do not have a Cocoa Pie. Uh, not for not wanting one it's just trying to find the time like one of the things i love doing with these old computers is is playing games i don't think i played a game in a year and a half i just don't have the time unfortunately uh with trying to keep the business going and the amount of repairs we have in uh but uh it does look like a like a neat project <laughs> actually the repair thing is something i think we should emphasize too because we've shown some of your products here like cap kits and the coco sdc the diagnostic cartridge and I know you've got some other stuff you're kind of working on, probably not ready to announce yet, but uh, the repair yeah, thing is one. There's I think more Cocoa stuff coming soon. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And I, I think one thing to mention is the fact that you do repairs on a whole plethora of machines here. So um, maybe get, we'll go into that. Like uh, what, what type of repairs do you do? Like obviously if somebody's taking a, a welding torch to try to fix a soldering yeah. problem, you probably aren't going to fix that. But yeah. what kind of things do you fix on, on Cocoa specifically well, we'll, since you're on there? You know what? We'll, we'll, we'll fix whatever if we can let's just put it that way i know we i got two coco twos and a coco three that uh are on the bench uh right now that i got uh from someone at uh at that show in uh waterloo who had these three machines that just didn't work um you know some of them are common problems like one of them is definitely the stupid plcc socket on the gimme needs to be replaced um uh, the other two I haven't diagnosed yet, but, uh, you know, if we can repair, we will, uh, thankfully we've got the tools and the facilities nearby. Uh, you know, there's a, uh, PCB manufacturing company local here that I've built a great relationship with that, you know, they will do x-rays of boards for me, which makes life so much easier when you're trying to track down, you know, traces and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, I mean, we've got the capability to, if we can fix it, we will. Uh, generally, people, you know, send us in the the machine. We'll diagnose what the problem is, let them know, let them know what it's going to cost, and if they want to um, have it repaired. Most of the stuff we get in, I'll be honest with you, uh, is repairing other people's attempts at repairs. Uh, <laughs> let's let's put it that way. That's like seventy percent of the stuff that comes in is like, oh, I tried to, you know, I tried to remove the CIA on my Commodore sixty four and. 
you know, I took like seven traces out with it. <laughs> it's like, all right, send it to us. We'll, uh, we'll patch it up for you. Um, but the other 30% are just honest. Hey, you know, my cocoa does nothing but give me a green screen. Now, uh, you know, I've tried the basics of pushing all the chips back in and that's not working. So can you, you know, figure out what's wrong with it? And, you know, we'll just kind of go through the, the standard diagnostic procedures and get the scope out and figure out, you know, what signals are working, what aren't, and, you know, is it a chip? Is it a trace? Is it a socket? What is it? Uh, and then kind of take it from there. Now, I know like we've had some other members in the community that have actually, uh, like Pedro Pena being one example, he's actually been, you know, duplicating cocoa motherboards, um, but has no interest really on manufacturing or selling these types of things. Have, they, have you guys had any discussions on maybe making a commercial product at some point? We have not, uh, but I'm totally open to that because there's a lot of products we sell uh, where we do do the manufacturing based on, uh, you know, someone else's creation. Uh, oh, yeah. see being being one of them absolutely right so we've got to deal with darren to to produce them uh and we're always open to that when we've got the the you know facilities and the equipment to do you know kind of medium smallish to medium runs of products i mean we could do you know a couple hundred at a time uh and uh if people have products out there that they want to sell i mean we'll gladly partner with them uh we do it with other with other uh people who develop products yeah, I, I guess one of the the best things about you, like a lot of the hobbyist uh, manufacturers, you know, it's basically one man shops, and you know, yep. like Ed Snyder at Zone. I mean, he's a one man shop, but he's got so many different products for the MC10 and the Cocos and stuff, and he always has to do these little rounds of doing a manufacturing of one, and then you might not see it again for three months. So if it's a hot seller like the Coco SDC, it just disappears for a while, and you've got you know staff and and more equipment and stuff that you can actually you know handle these runs and get them back up you know, fairly quickly on inventory runs. So yeah, so. we try to jig our, our production schedule based on sales numbers and Coco SDC, I think is like the number two product right now. Uh, so we're, you know, we're con it's constantly in stock, thankfully. Uh, and now that we've got that little carrier board, it should be constantly in stock for the foreseeable future. Cause man, I didn't know that there were that many Cocos out there. Uh, it's just <laughs> like mind blowing how many people want these, this thing. Now, one thing I'm hoping, I think uh, uh, David Ladd might have mentioned this too, is that we would really like to get you out at a Cocoa Fest. So do you have any plans to attend the one here at the end of April? I do. I mean, I was initially planning to attend the last time and then, you know, life took a left-hand turn. Uh, and that's that's the problem with running a business is sometimes life, uh, you know, demands your attention. Uh, we had a bit of a family emergency in the past couple of weeks that has kind of dragged me off too, uh, but we're back. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, I... I get a kick. I love going to cons, even if I'm just going to go and attend. Uh, but uh, you've got a commitment that I will definitely be at the next one without question. Yeah. And are you planning to do the same thing like you did at Bullfest? You were just doing like live repairs and maybe. Yeah. Do a I mean, or just, yeah, to I mean, I'll gladly, you know, sponsor a table and have stuff out there. And, you know, even if it's just to talk to the community, I'm, I'm down with that too. Anything that pulls me away from that stupid workbench every now and then is a good thing. Because <laughs> one one thing I like because you've you've had so much experience on on TV and stuff, you're a really good presenter. And we saw that at Boatfest when you're going through like you know the the worst repairs you've ever had to deal with and stuff. There, it's it's very fluid. It's 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 much better than the stilted speech that I do when I try to do a seminar. Um, so I think you doing a seminar would actually be an, an awesome thing to do there. And Grant, who's on the call here, is actually one of the people kind of in charge of that stuff. So you two should talk to each other. Is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I've 
uh, you know, I've always had a saying that, you know, uh, bull crap baffles brains. Let's put it that way. And I kind of <laughs> just bull, bull crap my way through everything I have to do. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't mind getting up and talking. I like, I have no problem doing that. Uh, I did in the beginning, but that's one thing I've taken from being on TV. You just kind of, you don't think about it anymore. And you just, you're talking to one person, whether there's 10 people in the room or a hundred doesn't really matter. So, uh, I'll gladly help out in any way. And if there's a void that needs to be filled, sure. I'll, I'll gladly do it. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully we can arrange that. Hopefully there's no other emergencies at that time. Cause it would well, be, yeah. be down the show. Yeah, no, I mean, you've got, yeah, I definitely would love to, uh, the Oko community is incredible. Uh, I, I like the Commodore community too, but for those of you that are well aware of what the Commodore community is like, it can be kind of ugly at times and you just shake your head and walk away. And it's one thing I haven't really seen in the Coco community. There, uh, there's a bit, but I think it's less. Oh yeah. It's nothing like, like especially the Amiga community, uh, the, the APIC <laughs> community, Commodore community is not like that. Uh, I mean, I've been a member of TPUG, which is the Toronto pet users group since I don't know, I was like 12. So what's that? Uh, like eight, eight years. Uh, cause I am only 20 right now. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, I think it's the oldest Commodore users group in the world, uh, that is still actively run, you know, meetings every month, uh, you know, world of Commodore in December every year. Uh, and you, you kind of don't see as much infighting in the 8-bit community as you do in the 16-bit community, which is a shame. Uh, cause at the end of the day, those, I mean, the, yeah, I joke about the Atari ST, but it's just, it's all in good fun. You know, those schoolyard fights are long gone. Uh, cause yeah. if we don't, if we don't like band together and keep this hobby alive, it's going to die. And if we don't bring fresh blood into it, it's going to die. Yeah. But it's just uh, me, Mac, windows and Linux and that's it. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, the next generation, like I, I try to, you know, my son's taken more and more of an interest in it. Uh, you know, and cause eventually we're all going to, you know, we're all going to go our ways, uh, cause that's human nature. And if, uh, if there isn't something to keep it going, it's going to die. And that's a shame. Yeah. Got some comments in the chat here and some questions I wanted to uh, get to here. So, um, Tom Eric Gunderson, who I believe is in Europe somewhere. I can't remember which country specifically says, I have a product suggestion for Frank an adapter to connect an original Coco or dragon keyboard, as well as two Coco dragon joysticks to USB, either combined into one package or two separate units. You mean for like uh, the uh, Coco Pie type of project thing, or for it to be used in an emulator? Oh, that's a good question. Um, or the other way around, using a USB. Yeah, it looks more like with... the emulator from the way he's wording it here. Yeah, like to plug in the original. Like I do have one that Paul Shoemaker did it. The darn thing. He did one here that actually adapts. Like I've got this that I use when I'm playing Mame yeah. or VCC type thing that just has the uh, the joystick type thing. But yeah, the keyboard and stuff here. I mean, we've got the infrastructure for an Amiga one. Uh, so like we do sell a um, USB to Amiga joystick and mouse adapter. Um, I mean, it's the infrastructure's there, uh, you know, it's really just changing the signaling around uh, based on uh, the, the joysticks, I think would be easy. The keyboard, I'm not really familiar with the, the kind of the matrix on the keyboard, but nothing, a little bit of reading and testing and, funny blue smoke being released couldn't fix <laughs> well paul paul fiscarelli made a uh, uh coco keyboard to usb and that's what i use on my coco pie yeah actually that was paul fiscarelli this is not paul shoemaker i'm getting the two pauls mixed up 
Uh, a question from or a comment, a question from my MMA Crossfire, and uh, I don't know how much you know. Like I don't know how much you kept track of the cocoa community after you switched to the C sixty four. But he says, was Toronto and Greater Toronto area a strong cocoa market in the eighties and nineties? It seemed that way to me as a kid. It was. Uh, it was probably second only to the Commodore um, because I think a lot of it has to do with your kind of upbringing, right? So I talked about right at the beginning we had these these kind of single machines called icons which I've never really seen anywhere outside of one. There was an Ontario company that developed them and they solely developed them for the education market. Uh, and they ran like Cunix and they were, you know, big, massive honk and things uh, up until uh, I'm going to say up until maybe 84, 83, 84, where then the uh, school board here uh, and most school boards in Southern Ontario signed a deal with Commodore. Uh, so, you know, you had a lot of the Commodore influence. I know that in other places, you know, the Apple, the Apple twos were dominant in schools and that, that built a community because, you know, you got used to it, you had it, you're, you know, you, you played with it in school. So, uh, that's kind of why I went the Commodore route afterwards, but the Coco community was fairly large here. I think only second to the Commodore community. Um, what were the processors in there? In the, in the uh, icon? Yeah. I think it was a Z80, if I remember correctly. I'd have to do some digging. It's like really hard. Like I've spent some time trying to find one just to kind of add it to my collection. They're very, very hard to find uh, because they were really only sold to the education market and because of the way the public school system in uh, Canada works, at least in this province works. Uh, when they're done with the machines, they're not allowed to sell them, right? They have to destroy and recycle them. So like, you know, there was a big, big push to buy all the pets in the C64s that came out of the Toronto school board when they eventually started moving to PCs and they, they just, they're not allowed to sell them. What right? did they're they not look allowed like? The icons? Yeah. Uh, they kind of looked like pets, but uh, were larger and had this big, weird trackball on the right-hand side. Uh, is the best way to describe them. There's big, massive honking metal boxes with monitors, like 12-inch monochrome monitors <laughs> built in. Um, I'll, I'll see if I can kind of find one, and if I can find a picture of it, uh, I'll I'll ask to share my screen. But uh, they were like you, they weren't very popular. Let's just put it that way, uh, because they were only used kind of in school, and that was it. Yeah, that must be different in Ontario because I know like here in Saskatchewan, we had pets that were getting rotated to the public school system. There was just two of them the first year that, you know, the, two weeks for every public school in town type thing uh, so that people would just get exposed to them briefly. But they ended up selling those for like 150 bucks a couple years later when they upgraded everything to Apple IIs. Is my face the computer that you're talking about? Emmy, uh, you want to share that, uh, Mark, here, mm -hmm. if you're kicking around here so that... Uh, hang on, I'm trying to burn my fingers. Ah. <sighs> It's a Rick right. screen. Okay, there we go. Uh, yeah, that was them. That was them. That's kind of a cool-looking system. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was them. Uh, it was something. Let's just Mark, put it can that you zoom way. that up to full screen, so the, the three of us? We or? hated it. We hated it as kids. Let's put it that <laughs> way. Did you, did you load by tape? Uh, no, there was a central... I remember correctly, there was like a central shared floppy drive that was used by the whole school. 
I was like a networked floppy yeah, system. It looks a lot like a, a VAX cluster where you had the one machine that was smart and a bunch of dummies. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. Yeah, exactly what it was. Uh, but they weren't like, I don't know, there was a backroom deal between the school board and these guys back then, but the, green you know, or amber? Uh, green. I can see the uh, trackball on there. So it's kind of like offset up from the keyboard. Which kind yeah, of it is off be right up. Beside yeah. It. Yeah, it wasn't very ergonomic. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think there was like one game ever made for it. It was like a like a centipede clone, if I remember. Now, was uh, the monitor attached like part of the case, yeah. or was that just on top? No, it's part of the case, and it kind of you could swivel and rotate it. It was like kind of on a ball. So for that time period, that would not have been a cheap machine, I'm guessing. Oh, I don't think so. Not at all. Yeah, it ran Cunix. I remember that. Uh, God, that brings back some terrible memories. But then eventually that contract died out and, you know, we came into class one day and they were all gone and they were all replaced with the uh, educator 64s, which really were 64s jammed in pet cases. Uh, and I think it was more of a way to make sure no one stole them than anything else. Yeah, that is a, an odd looking machine. Now, Unisys, they're more famous for... Aren't they more famous for like mainframes or minis or something? Yeah. Now they were, it was their Ontario Unix. division that developed this thing. Um, yeah, Unisys is kind of what the seven doors all ended up in the end congealing down to. Yep. It was Sperry, Rand, Univac, Burroughs. God, names I haven't heard in a very long time. <laughs> no, it's not a Wang. No, it's not a Wang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wang Chung. But yeah, to long way about to answer the question, was the Coco community popular in Toronto? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. And the, the schoolyard fights between the Cocos and the C64s were alive and well when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was more the Apple IIs and the and the Cocos, I guess, were the ones that we argue about in school. Because the when I was first in high school and stuff, that the Commodore 64 wasn't out yet. The VIC-20 wasn't really competitive. Yeah. Atari rules. There were radio shacks everywhere, right? Yeah. Like literally everywhere. Every like three blocks in Toronto, there was a radio shack. Uh, so they made it. I think the only thing, it's one of the reasons Commodore went out and got like Canadian Tire and Zellers and every retailer they could uh, was to yeah. try to kind of combat the fact that there were radio shacks everywhere. There, there was more radio shacks than there are Tim Hortons now, I think. Uh, yeah. They were, and they were, God, I, I could remember seven locations as a kid like within probably five or six kilometers of my house yeah i'm trying to remember we had we had one two three in malls we had one downtown you had to go downstairs with the computer center downtown so we had probably six or seven here and at that time we were only one hundred fifty thousand people yeah yeah it was uh they were everywhere now, Slibia made a comment here in, in the chat he said uh there are many people at vcf midwest which uh, quite a few people attended there uh, we were asking if anyone was selling Coke West DCs at the show. So, have you been to any of the VCFs? Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, I just talked about a family emergency that happened a few weeks ago. We, like, I had hotel rooms booked and everything to go to uh, to Chicago, but um, unfortunately, uh, I had to deal with this family emergency, which had unfortunately had taken me to Europe and back in the past couple of weeks uh, to deal with a, a death in the family, but. Um, you know, we were planning on being there, uh, but just couldn't, couldn't right? Yeah. Have you been to VCFs before then as retro? I have. I'm not sure. I think my dog is broken. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I think it needs to be rebooted. 
Um, <laughs> and Curtis remembers him. He's only about this big, but yeah. he's got a he's got a big. He bark. makes up for it in volume. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have been uh, on a personal level. I have been to um, uh, VCF East once. Uh, it's an incredible show. Uh, is you know it's definitely, and I, I know that someone here is working on VCF North. Hopefully next year there'll be a VCF North in Canada. Oh, uh, cool! So, I'm guessing can't... probably in Toronto, not not out here somewhere. Uh, it'll somewhere more than here. likely be held in Toronto. Yes, it will more than likely be held in Toronto. But there is a uh, there's a, a committee of people who have gotten the rights uh, for the VCF North name, and uh, will be hopefully next year we'll have a VCF North. Cool. Do you, do you have any idea at this point what time of the year that would be? Ah, uh, no. Uh, uh, no, I, I don't even think it's been discussed yet. Okay. Uh, it's still in the early stages. It's still in the early stages. Uh, I mean, I think the aim is kind of late summer, like beginning of August type of thing. Uh, that's kind of the aim. Don't want to really step on or be too close to any of the other ones. I don't think they're allowed to be, uh, but it is in the works and hopefully, you know, and, and then there's also January. talk. Not no, I don't think January, January, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it's not. Uh, I mean, it, Toronto's not as bad as Saskatoon. I mean, it is bad, but nowhere near as bad as a place like Saskatoon, which is a lot further north than we are. Remember, there's a lot of places. If you look at a map, there's a lot of places in the U.S. that are a lot further uh, north than Toronto. Right. We kind of dig into that. That peak. By the Great Lakes. Yeah. Yeah. By the Great Lakes. So there's a lot of places like hell Seattle's further north than Toronto uh, when you look yeah. at a map. So. Uh, yeah. We'll, but the- West Coast gets a lot of buffering from the ocean, though. Vancouver, yeah, BC, they do. They Seattle do. Seattle and Portland are moderate. They do, but there are places, man. There are places in the U.S. that are a lot colder than Toronto in the winter. It is cold. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like Saskatoon because I've been yeah, to Saskatoon. In Fe- yeah, so. I've been to Saskatoon in January, February, and March, and it's not pretty. Yeah. Well, I, I would recommend US- coming to visit up here in the summer. Will Definitely. people from the U.S. be allowed to come to VCF North? Uh, I, I'm sure. Uh, I can't really speak on behalf of uh, the Canadian Border and Security Agency, but I mean, I'm sure if you meet all the criteria where they're going to let you in the country, there's no reason. It, Hell, it might let depend me if you're trying to bring a USB charger and a deltoid can. Uh, they let <laughs> the U.S. Uh, border Protection let Curtis and I in a couple months ago into the U.S. So if we yeah, can Jesus, get into the we U.S., have them hoodwinked, eh? that's right. There's no reason that you guys can't come up here. <laughs> well, right now, they let anybody in. So is that Rick that had another comment or who is somebody else was talking? Don't have it in Anchorage. <laughs> That's a little bit north of you guys. And yeah, there's also talk about VCF Northwest as well, uh, which I think is kind of they're looking at in the Vancouver area uh sometime next year. because uh, so like I mean Seattle and Vancouver are just a couple hour drives. So mm-hmm. so, so like in 20 years there'll be a south southwest. Yeah, that's right. That's right. North yeah, BCF by South North by Southwest to combine the two shows. Right. right. North by East West. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we did one SAS too. It'd be like me, Bill, and maybe Jason, and that'd probably be it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Uh VCF, the VCF shows are fantastic. They really are. Yeah. Well, we 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 covered it last week. I don't know if you had a chance to, you know. I did it. Played in the background while I was working. 
Yeah, because we had a couple live tours through there, and uh, Taylor and Amy, of course, released their video earlier yeah. with their getting sing-alongs with a lot of the big YouTubers and stuff. Yeah, with Adrian and uh, who else was it? Ben Heck, I think, Heck, yeah, too. Yeah. 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 It does look like a lot of fun. I mean, it's just like, you know, any of the fests there when you get a lot of the people like-minded into the retro, it, it generally tends to be fun because it's 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 partly like a social club meeting. It's not just, you know, like going to Comdex where it's like business type stuff, like we're trying to set up deals and checking out new hardware and software like yeah. the old days. It's more for the fun, the camaraderie. That's exactly And you happen it. to be selling software and hardware at the same time. Yeah. I mean, the shows we've done, none of them, I mean, we're not going there with the intent of selling stuff or, you know, trying to figure out if we're going to break. It has nothing to do with that as much as it is just kind of hanging out with people, meeting like-minded people chatting, you know, having conversations with people. Uh, I mean, Boat Fest is the perfect example. We like, it was a long, it was a long ass drive. Uh, let's be honest. Not three not. of us. <laughs> well, I mean, we were only there for a couple of days. It's not like we were down there for a week, but uh, we had, I had a fantastic time. And I think we, the best time we had was kind of after hours, you know, yeah. once the kind of show wrapped up and the, the mysterious moonshine started to appear and, you know, People actually got to playing video games and having fun and just chatting and walking around. It was a fantastic time. I mean, we do the World of Commodore here every year, uh, and it's the same thing. I mean, we get probably 300, 350 people that go through over a weekend, but it's more of a just kind of a place to hang out and chat and, and all that stuff. Back, yeah, I'm going to have to the, reboot him. Back in the old, the old days when we went to Coco Fest, it was uh, after hours was swapping for um programs and stuff because <laughs> yeah copy parties all yeah. the time oh, so yeah. world of commodore world of commodore when commodore used to put it on here in toronto uh there was always a hotel room book solely for copy vests no uh, statue of limitations no frank statue <laughs> of limitations <laughs> Uh, we, we, we all, we've all had those, I guess. Coco yeah, Fest nowadays, yeah. I mean, now it's a jam session or whatever. You get yeah. everybody gets up and plays guitar and sings poorly, both cases. So, well, we used to have local co computer clubs, which were more oriented toward that too. And yeah. those are gone now. So now we just have Coco Fest. But ironically, the pirates have helped actually save software that would be totally gone and disappeared by now if it wasn't for them. So, you know, in, in the long run, actually, it's beneficial that they did all that best way to look at it yeah, yeah. i mean there's still there's still some unicorn programs for the coco we have not been able to find we found the ads for it we did talk to people who actually owned it 30 40 years ago nobody yeah, has come, it anymore how come we never have on the people that have cracked programs <laughs> you know because i don't know how to look up captain kid on, on, <laughs> yeah, on the captain net, crack so. or whatever <laughs> yeah. i've uh i've done one or 30 yeah, I've uh, done a few myself. Cracks too. on the uh, 64 uh, and one or two on the Amiga, but mostly mostly on the 64. Uh, and you know what? It's amazing that, uh, and I'm sure this is the same thing in the Cocoa community, at least in the 8-bit Commodore community, like every week someone is discovering something that you know has been lost and all of a sudden has been found, a piece of software or something that, you know. Uh, and if it wasn't for those groups back then, you're right. They would have been lost to time, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, a bit of a different it. side story to that. Like we we showed it last week, but Nick uh, had had a visit from Michael Duncan wrote the Xenon game we had as a, as a game on Challenge here a month or two ago, and uh, way back in the eighties, Michael had come to visit Nick and gave him a copy of his next game, which was in progress, never got released. So this is even more rare than you know something that had yeah. to get cracked. 
And uh, it's not fully finished, but we actually got to show the, a video of it being played that Nick managed to to make. So that you know, that's a bit of history we have preserved. But there's some other people like in Tasmania that published a bunch of games, and there's an enhancement to basic and a bunch of things that Nick and I have been trying to find. Brian Palmer as well, and we just can't find it. Um, we know it was sold. It was advertised for months in the Australian Rainbow and stuff, and it, it sounds really interesting from reading the description in the ad, but no idea. There's always a chance that some of these people are going to come on, you know, online, um, aware of the group, uh, being a, a cocoa owner in the past and have hoarded their stuff and they may have yeah. some of this stuff. Well, and, that's what uh, Brian Weasler has been doing. He's been trying to hunt down, hunt down more of the hardware side of things, but he's actually gotten a few of these rare things that, you know, there's only a couple known to still be in existence. In someone's garage somewhere in a disc yeah. box, it's long like, forgotten. I, I found a tape of uh, a demo for the MC10, I think it was, that they played in the Radio Shack. You know, it had a, a label on it that, you know, it's for demo only. Yeah. Which was well, cool. I remember way back when we when we interviewed the image producers who were part of the one of the software teams that was actually allowed to work on the Coco 1 before it was released. They started working in February of 80 with that wooden breadboard thingy. And uh, Glenn had written a demo for Christmas for the very first year the Coco was on sale on cassette, and it was only shown in a few local stores, I think in the Chicago area. And that one's disappeared. He still remembers the demo uh, from writing it, but uh, nobody's seen it since '81. I uh, I think it was I think I talked to Curtis about this months ago. I bought a, a Coco two from. You know, I happened to be in Ottawa doing something. I was kind of like flipping through the uh, the classified ads, and sure enough, some woman had a Coco Two from her kids for sale. And I stumbled across a couple uh, um, rainbow cassettes that were missing in the archive. And it's like, hey, I've got them right here. Well, there's two <laughs> of them. I got two of them right here. I just found in a box the two ones that are two of the ones that are missing. So you know, sometimes these things you, you stumble across them, right? Uh, and hopefully, eventually, all that missing stuff will be found. Yeah. Well, speaking along that line, like I've been doing a major cleanup of the house here, you know, getting rid of stuff. And I've I've been going through stuff in the basement and in the garage yeah. and the shed that I did not seen the light of day for 20, 25 years. And I know people have been trying to get all the Glenside Computer Club newsletters uh, up, up on the archive here. And I found oh, probably about eight issues that are not on the archive that I've had buried away that I didn't even know I had. <laughs> so sometime before Christmas, I'll try to get all those scanned and, and uploaded as well. But yeah. I mean, the preservation of this stuff is is one of the reasons that, uh, you know, as, as a commercial software developer selling Nitrous 9, I, I hated piracy at the time because, I mean, that was how we paid for going to shows and stuff like that was basically selling it. But nowadays, you know, Nitrous 9 being an exception because it became open source, so obviously that wasn't a big deal there. But for a lot of the commercial stuff there, it's it's gone if you do, if you don't have it, especially if it was a game that didn't sell that well, but it's still historical. It might have been so-and-so's first game before you got really good or whatever it happens to be. So, um. I think there was some other comments here. So you've always done hardware. Have you ever programmed a game? I've never programmed a game. Uh, I've never, uh, frankly, had the patience to do so. Uh, uh, you know, it's like this undiagnosed ADHD. Uh, you know, I'd be like an hour into it, and I'd be like, "Oh, look, shiny object! I'm going to go work on that." <laughs> well, uh, and unfortunately, you, you can't really do that when you're trying but, to create a but, game. But when you first get your machine, didn't you crack open the manual and start going through and type in? I did. Things? Yeah, absolutely. I did. But, uh, you that know, convinced I, you not to do it. <laughs> uh, well, I think I think I went more along the lines of the nefarious. Hey, 
let me figure out exactly how they're doing this code wheel thing, or let me figure out exactly how to bypass this weird copy protection that happens to look for a specific bad block on the disk that won't be copied. Uh, you know, dissecting what other people would do than actually trying to, um, you know, build something from scratch. Myself. The reverse engineering. More yeah. Than that. yeah. Yeah. So we got a couple yeah. suggestions here for VCF. So Buck Owen said VCF Great White North might be a good yep. name for it. Yep. <laughs> um, Texas Foosballer, one of the Amigos guys, um, he says Texas would be a nice place. Have it too. It's a weird representation of the North, but we'll go with it. Brian Wall suggests VCF Northwest Territories. If Saskatoon's not cold enough for you, we can fix that. Tell you one thing. Uh, Yellowknife, there we go. Lodging would be a lot cheaper in Yellowknife than it would be in Toronto. Yeah, but gas would be like eight bucks a gallon, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mind you, it's small enough. You probably could just walk, right? Yeah, then you could go visit Buffalo Airways. Go up to Great Slave Lake. And... Pretty soon people will be talking about how many charges to a destination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. security might be looser. You might be able to take your deltoid can though without being worried. Yeah, yeah. Or worse. What what is this thing? It's a it's a portable heater. Oh, then you're fine. That's right. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh sixty is Karen Anscombe in, in the chat here. He's one of the main dragon guys. He's he's programmed games like Dungeons and stuff and, and done a lot of cool stuff. And he, and he wrote said, the Surely X-Roar most of us have cracked programs. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Mark. And he wrote the XROR emulator. Yep. Both the online version and the and the- standalone. And Rick, you, you're talking about molding on floppies. You said, who knew, who knew floppies were the best way to grow mold? What I kind of missed that conversation. So what's going on there? Uh, apparently, anytime you put floppies in the proverbial cool, dry place to save them, they will mold right up on you if the humidity is above 20%. Yeah. So uh, the Arizona, ones that, no, no the, problem. Right, right. Yeah, the ones that I had up in the attic where it's relatively hot but not Texas hot are fine. The ones that were in the basement trash well i heard that somebody could that there is a way to wash the mold off that you there is yeah it's it's laborious though uh and kind of i mean i've had to do it once or twice to get specific piece of software that i know very well i wouldn't be able to get anywhere else is something i wrote uh was a cracking tool from the late 80s that i wrote uh myself and i knew was nowhere else that i really needed to get access to and i had to like take the sleeve apart and you know remove the actual disc and and there's a way to clean it but it's a very laborious process it's not something you really want to do unless you absolutely have to and then it's not always guaranteed either yeah hey for people on the panel do you guys have any questions i'm kind of trying to monitor the chat here too um I mean, I could play tons of videos and show more pictures, but uh, oh, embarrassing nobody Frank wants. As it was. Nobody <laughs> wants to see that. Trust me. This week we, on embarrassing Frank. Yeah, exactly. We we did see a, like a few bald faced ones, and then a very light beard. So we've seen the progression of your beard, and now we just need that for uh, Rick and uh, Ron. <laughs> Frank, when have you when have you started to uh, watch uh, Coco Talk? Because we've been around what, sir, four years, five years, probably? five plus now, I think. Uh, probably about two, two and a half years ago. Hmm. So pretty close to when Retro Rewind started. Yeah, well, I mean, it was around the same time. Actually, it was it was uh, it was watching. It was just before Retro Rewind started. It was watching the Amigos uh, that I kind of stumbled upon Coco Talk, uh, where I went, oh yeah, I used to own a Coco. Jesus Christ, I remember that. 
Uh, and then that opened Pandora's box because it was like, I need <laughs> and now to buy you're manufacturing cocoa. products. I need to buy a cocoa again. Let's go look. <laughs> let's go find a cocoa. And I could find a one and a two real easy. Three was difficult. It was actually Curtis who helped me find the first three I had uh, a long time ago because uh, you know they're not really you know kicking around everywhere. Uh, and uh, now mysteriously, I I think I own seven of them. I'm not sure how that happened, but there's like seven of them in the back room. Have so you, you and Brian out? Weasler have all the Cocoa 3s everybody's been trying to find a decent price. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> you know, oh, you want to, it's broken? I'll buy it. Sure, no problem. Let me, uh, <laughs> gladly, I'll buy it if it's broken. It's a lot cheaper that way. So so these people that, are, that have sold you the Cocoa 3s, they don't want them repaired for themselves. They just said, you know, this broken, I don't want to deal with it. And they just give it to no, me. No, the first Cocoa I bought, you helped me uh, locally. Uh, and that was 100% working, uh, which is fantastic. Because uh, it allowed me to start doing some development work on some of our products. Uh, and then... Like, I'm sure a lot of people on here are very similar. You should never be allowed to hit eBay when you've consumed alcohol, ever. <laughs> and I have that problem, right? I have that, you know, friends don't let friends eBay and drink. Well, I got that problem. You know, I'm sitting on the couch at night watching TV with my wife and perusing eBay after having a glass or two or six of wine. Well, what's cool is you're still married. Yeah, yeah. Listen, my, <laughs> thankfully, I've been married a long time, uh, yeah. well over twenty years, and uh, and oh, my man. wife is fan- fantastic. Nothing. She, uh, uh, yeah. But remember, I'm only twenty four years old. Um, That's right. So my wife uh, allows me to indulge. Uh, I mean, she's got her hobbies, and and so it's been a, a perfect match. She she gets out of my way in certain things. I get out of her way, and we're it's perfectly fine. And she's very supportive. Yeah. Uh, she I think the only the, the only friction now. you've talked about is the fact that that you that retro rewind has taken over most of the house. That's yeah, true. that's the friction. It's like we need the house back. You need to get the hell yeah. out now. That's the part that's tough. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's like want to put the car back in the garage. You know why we have a second shed now to store the garden tools because the other shed is now fully occupied with stock. Do, do you uh, ever get um, a comment like oh, you're, you're buying this stuff? What are you getting rid of? Well, I, in the beginning, I did until <laughs> until this thing actually started turning a profit, and then it was just like, all right, it's turning a profit. He clearly must be doing something right, or bullcrap in his way through something again. <laughs> uh, so that kind of ended. But yeah, the, we need the space back because it's it's getting a bit ridiculous. Really is. Yeah, hopefully you find the storefront that you were looking for. I know you had you'd looked at one when we were down there, but it sounds like that kind of fell through. Maybe the wrong yeah, size or sold. Like the, or the other problem is, is we need, there's certain things we need. Like we need uh, full plumbing, right? So that, you know, we can get uh, stuff out of the uh, ovens into the ultrasonic cleaners and into the proper baths. And we need certain types of electricity. So trying to find something that, well, suit that generally tends to be larger industrial areas, you know, and like, I don't need 3000 square feet. I wish I did. I'd be, I wish we were that, you know, doing that much business, but like, you know, 3000 square feet is a little excessive uh, for what we need. Uh, you know, kind of trying to stay around the 1500, 12 to 1500 square feet type of thing, uh, which go, would be fine. Go uh, for it. Think big. 3000 square feet. You'll grow yeah. into it. There's a there's a big lease difference on cost between well, yeah. three thousand square feet and twelve hundred square feet, especially in Toronto. Yeah, what about a three, three bedroom house. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got one got of those. Uh, but got it, you know. Yeah, that zoning becomes an issue then, right? Oh, and then uh, the as, electric too. Yeah, as as my lawyer keeps telling me. So, uh, <laughs> and and I want to be relatively close to home. I don't. Problem with Toronto is 
for those of you that have never been to the city, it's the second busiest traffic city in North America. It's only second to LA. Uh, and it's a very geographically big city. So from the Eastern border to the Western border is about 49 kilometers long, which is, I don't know 30 what miles. you guys, what you guys Americans use. Yeah. So let's say 30 miles <laughs> and trying to get across from one end of the city to the other in rush hour will easily take you two, two and a half hours of travel. So, I mean, I found places. I don't want to commute two and a half hours each way and still be in the same city for the love of God. That's the last thing I want. So it's like, we're holding off, you know, and there's industrial areas that are zoned industrial, not far from us. So it's just like, that would be perfect. But you know, they've got a 20 year lease that would be perfect. And, but their lease doesn't expire for another 10 years. So it's just a waiting game more than anything. How about building your own place? Maybe you have a rich uncle somewhere. Yeah. Well, in, in Toronto, there's no free land, right? I mean, that's the problem is uh, like the majority of the, yeah. Like, what is it? Like 65% of the population of Canada lives in Southern Ontario. Uh, right. Cause we have a lot of land that's literally unlivable. Uh, right. Uh, like in the real North and then places like where Curtis lives, doesn't really get a lot of people migrating to it because of their crazy winters. Right. Uh, so uh, trying to find land here is near impossible, really is. And you'd really rich uncle, you need about seven rich uncles to be able to buy some yeah, land. Toronto's, Toronto's is, is, is it the first place for the most expensive place in Canada, or is it second Correct. Now, between them well, and Vancouver? It's we flip between us and Vancouver. It's like, like the average like, house price right now is a million one or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, so like I live in a like I own like a 1400 square foot bungalow, it's, it's nothing huge. I mean, Curtis has been here, it's not big at all. Uh, and you know, I could sell my place for like 1.4, 1.5 million dollars easy all day. You should move to a Buffalo. Yeah. You know what? Universal healthcare. That's <laughs> kind of my key thing here, right? Universal healthcare. Uh, just unfortunately, even though Buffalo is only like uh, an hour and 15 minutes away. Right. Uh, I used to live in Rochester. Right across the lake from us. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we used to, we used to at one point have the ferry that would go directly from Toronto to Rochester. You can just take yep, the ferry we, right across. We used to see uh, you guys used to send us a, a large here they call it a haboob, but <laughs> over there it's like a wall of snow coming from you. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're very kind for. sharing country, so that, that's yeah. right. Expected. That's right. We've got too much. Why don't you guys have some? Yeah, yeah. Alberta Clippers. You know, here you go. That's yeah. Fun. Uh, yeah, there's got to be more even, questions. I mean, we've only been at this for an hour and 45 minutes. Come on. Okay, well, we, we did got, interview once before here. So, I mean, that's true. Really that's true. <laughs> three, three to go. <laughs> um, just seeing whether we're coming in the comments here and trying to keep up. <clears throat> Pedro Pena I made a comment uh, earlier under his name, uh, Rocky Hill here. He's the guy who's been designing those replacement motherboards, the Cocoa 2s and 3s. And he says, You're the one who's been taking all the cre Cocoa 3 boards you've been trying to buy. So. I mean, it's just like I said, they just appear. I go through the, like, I wake up in the morning, look at my email. I'm like, when did I buy that on eBay? Oh, no. <laughs> did I do it again? I did it again. Jesus, why did I do that again? Yeah, you have to take a look at your 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 liquor bill at the same time. Okay, that was what caused that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's got to be some any? sort of challenge add-on I can add to eBay that's going to force me, like Google has, like Gmail has, force me to do some complicated math formula computation before i buy anything what about a breathalyzer for ebay yeah 
There yeah. you go. That'll be a hot seller. Problem <laughs> with that is I'll never buy anything off eBay then. <laughs> well, he, would, he would probably hack it. Yeah. And ignition yeah. interlock. Yeah, you'd hack an override right. for yourself. Yeah, obviously. that's right. For myself. <laughs> ignition interlock for eBay. <laughs> now, just, just out of curiosity, because you do sell quite a bit to Europe and Asia and Australia and everywhere else, the sales, uh, especially with Amiga stuff, because I mean, that's something that it generally has a bigger European community, even though it started in the States. Um, what what are the sales percentages like? Like, where does most of your sales go geographically as opposed to by product? Uh, I'm going to keep going until I pull up our reports here and I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think the number one is North America, to be honest with you. Uh, and then number two would be the UK. Uh, so let's see here. So US, number one. Uh, Canada, second. Uh, England third, Germany fourth, Australia fifth, and then a whole bunch of groupings of places like uh, Switzerland, France, um, New Zealand, Argentina, Brazil. They're kind of all grouped in there, but uh, the number one has got to be the U.S., Canada, and then the U.K. Uh, those are those are the hotbeds of products. So if the UK is third, it might be like since the Cocoa SEC works on dragons, and of course that's where most of the dragon community is, that might be something to advertise there too, if you haven't already. Well, yeah. I mean, the, if I break down Cocoa SDC sales, uh, it would be US, Canada, Australia, and then Brazil. I didn't know that that was that big in Australia, to be honest with you. Well, Australia, I mean, we've been talking about this, and Nick can talk about it too, if he's still on the call and still awake. Um, is is the fact that, is is the fact that the Cocoa Three was not released in all the countries that Cocoa One Two. The Cocoa One Two was sold in Germany and the UK and everywhere else, but the Cocoa Three was not. It was basically Canada, States, and Australia, and that's pretty well it. Uh, Mark Siegel, if he's still in the chat, can attest to that. That's why there's a PAL version. Thank you, Australia. Yeah, honestly, it's the only reason there's a PAL version. And then the, all the clones in Brazil, like you said, right? Uh, yeah, CP four hundred uh, and a whole bunch yeah. of others. They still have a, a, a an annual gathering that they do every year too for the Coco and its clones. Uh, and, and, and I just learned that there was a huge Coco community in um, Colombia too, uh, from a, a gentleman by the name of Fabian, who I met at the at the um, oh yeah, he was at the computer show in yeah. in thing. He's now relocated here uh, to Quebec in Canada, but he is originally from Colombia and ran like a huge user group in Colombia. Uh, of cocoa users, so it's it's it always amazes me. I love hearing these stories because it's just like, you know, wow! I really wouldn't have pictured the cocoa being a massive computer in Colombia, but it was uh, in the eighties, right? It was a really popular micro back then. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Did he make the fest this cocoa fest this year, guys? Do you remember? If it, I think Fabian was there, wasn't he? Jason, uh, yes, 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 he was. Yeah, he, he was. Did. He said he yes. was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he was also at VCF Midwest. He was, yeah, yeah. Yep. He's got his motorhome, and he's been kind of traveling all over the place under the different shows. I've got, so, I got two of his machines to fix here, two of the so cocos that need repair are his. Do you do Apple stuff too, and other things, um, repairs and? Not no. really, uh, and it's more like you know. Eventually, we want to expand more, but we want to stay grounded until we can get a facility and maybe another body or two, because the last thing I want to do is spread myself so thin that nothing ever gets done. Um, and I've, I was, you know, although I'm a modern Apple fan and use like, you know, 
Like I'm on a MacBook Air right now, uh, an M1 MacBook Air. Never really was a uh, a big 8-bit Mac fan. Uh, I mean, I had a classic. I've got some of those machines, but I just don't want to spread myself too thin. Uh, Did you ever get much the Apple II line, like the two two never. plus two C two E? I mean, I have a two C uh, that I own, but I mean, and I have a very unique clone that was really only a Canadian clone called a Zeus that I accidentally stumbled upon uh, that I really want to maybe sell to be honest with you, but um, I never really did. And I, I rather focus on like, we have plenty of repair business right now, like plenty. Uh, So spreading ourselves too thin. I mean, I've done favors for people that, you know, have reached out like uh, I just fixed that PVM for someone because I've got a lot of, you know, NTSC testing and repair tools uh, that I bought real cheap when nobody wanted them. Um, so I'll, I'll do a small thing here or there and do people favors, but generally we kind of stick within the Commodore and the, the, the Coco line only uh, just to be able to stay focused and be efficient and get stuff done. Yeah. You don't no. want to have too many of those having to stay up till three in the morning, making Coke STCs cause you sold out. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I'm not uh, very smart when it comes to other lines of computers. Neither am I, so we're perfect. But, well, my question is, you know, we had the Tomcat and the uh, MM1. Um, do other um, computers have an equivalent of, you know, like on its on your way to heaven type stuff where, you know, it was an expansion of trying to run the same software but moving up? I mean... You mean independently as opposed to the company itself doing it? Kind of like- yeah, you know, like um, we have the MM1, we have the Tomcat. It was, They weren't very successful, but it was an attempt to go higher and still have some combat- compatibility. Did like um, the Amiga does. They do? Uh, you know, yeah. So like the Apollo team, uh, the uh, Vampire, uh, the Buffy stuff we've been working on. Um. I'm sure there's others I'm forgetting. Yeah. But well, yeah, they had their power like, PC run too, like uh, they did. Like yeah, yeah, they had, yeah, they had uh, you know PPC cards uh, that you could and would still maintain compatibility. The problem is now you're pushing the limits of the buses and everything else, right? Yeah. Uh, and then is it really like the Vampire, which is a fantastic product, but it's essentially just a, an FPGA that happens to be using the input output bus of the Amiga, nothing else on it. Right. So then it's, you get into these arguments and this is where I go back to the infighting in the Amiga community. And then it's like, well, the purists, that's not really an Amiga. The rest of us are like, who really cares? Like we need to stop these arguments. Uh, You know, it's just really an FPGA that happens to use the keyboard uh, and the joystick ports and nothing else. Like none of the other custom chips are being used. Yeah. But it's, it's an advancement is what it is. Yeah. Stevie Uh, brings that up on, on the Cocoa stuff, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, we had that we had that whole argument in the '90s with the Coco Fours, like you were talking about the Tomcat System Four yeah. Five from Delmar M1, because the Tomcat, the TC9 portion, not the TC70 portion, was trying to get like a, a juiced up Coco Three. Basically, it was using the same hardware. It had gimmies. I mean, mm-hmm. Frank bought the last 500 that Tandy had, but the other ones were all basically going. If we were going to make OSK machines, six eight thousand based, whatever, with OS9 for the OS9 for the six eight thousands, but. A lot of the co-community was not into OS9. I mean, obviously, I'm a rabid fan of it, but, uh, you know, at that time, it, it was maybe 50-50. If you're lucky, it was probably less. And you're basically, we're trying to tell everybody, forced your, if you want to, you know, continue this upward trend here, 
of getting new hardware, you're going to have to like ditch all your disk basic stuff and just switch to OS9, which a lot of people did not want to do. And that started the big infighting between disk basic. And, and there was no ease of use back then. No, no. And I'll be honest, back then I hadn't even thought of it. It's like, if you're too stupid to learn this, too bad. Was my <laughs> attitude, you know, which is not the right attitude to have, obviously. But that, that was it. I mean, Nick Nick can attest that because we used to fight on this server all the time. Sometimes the truth, though, is the best way to go about it. Yeah, well, I got to, I got to eat my own dinner when I came back into it and discovered they changed a lot of commands that I'd been used to, and all of a sudden I was the newbie trying to learn all this stuff. And oh, I understand what you guys were bitching about before now. I think this hardware division is kind of interesting though, because that's exactly the the sort of fissure I'm aiming for. So, like my network card uses a WizNet chip, which has a little bit of smarts in it, but it's not like I just took a pie and stuck it in there and run a serial. To it it's it's a little bit cocoa <laughs> yeah i mean listen there's like we've got uh the kung fu flash for the commodore 64 which is a full-blown computer upon itself right like it really is it is like the cocoa flash the the kung fu flash itself is you know a hundred times more powerful than the commodore 64 mm-hmm. uh in it in on itself but I mean, it it enhances, and some people, oh, that's not, you know, it's not original, mm-hmm. and it's not, oh, like, come on, yeah, yeah, so those arguments are long gone. Stop it. I don't want to. You, know, you want this hobby to expand, and you want it to keep growing, but every time someone does something, you start crying foul. It's like, come on. Well, shoot, even Tandy itself did that with the business line, like the 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 two twelve sixteen. Uh, by itself, <clears throat> without any expansions, it ran Z eighty. You add the sixty eight thousand set to it. The Z80 was only handling I.O. Yeah, because it became computing. a Xenix machine. Right. Yeah. Xenix was running on the 68,000. The Z80 was just there just to handle the I.O. part. And so. the, t- the, the the ultimate TC Tomcat that Frank was doing was going to be the same thing. The K-Bus was a 1632-bit backplane. And you plug a TC now, which is basically a Kogel 3 with a Mega RAM on it and, and juiced up serial ports and juiced up I.O. Uh, <clears throat> but basically a Kogel 3 on a board or two-board set. But you were supposed to plug that in into the backplane, then the TC70 or even the Kix20, Kix30, like the high-end machines, 68,020, 68,030, would then start using the Tomcat, the TC9, as an I.O. board. So it would handle like joysticks and mice and have its own screen display. And that's all it would be basically used for. And they would just, you know, the 68,000 would be doing most of the work. And that was the ultimate plan for that. It never got finished. The hardware support is kind of in there. The interrupt system was set up, but nobody bothered programming for it because, it, one, it gets complicated. And the two, like like you said, it's not... It, it's no longer a cocoa at that point. The cocoa is just I.O. board. Yeah, and you know, literally the, all it is. Right? Yeah, and uh, for some people that you know they wanted to keep advancing and they wanted to do that. Well, they had, but, they but had all that software. <laughs> yeah, I mean nowadays, I mean machines are fast enough you can just emulate everything, and then you don't really notice the difference. Though right. emulation is not perfect. There are programs that we recently found that have glitched out, had to get patched to get to run properly. Like Photon being one grabber for the six zero nine need to be patched, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then there are I people mean, that I want I want time period correct upgrades only type things. So yeah, and then you've got like the o, the Amiga OS four ecosystem, uh, which is like you know their own processors, their own everything. They've kind of tried to redevelop everything. Uh, so there's always I mean, you're always going to get that the fact that people complain about it is still mind boggling to me because this is like <laughs> you know it's a bonus to all of us. Like uh, why? Like who cares? And who well, cares if you? Don't you think after the new blood comes in, they're 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 not going to be thinking that way? Probably it's just the old. Yeah, guy. and I think it's the new blood. Yeah, that is developing this stuff, right? right. Uh, I think it's you know uh, like uh, Kim, the guy who does the um, 
Kung Fu Flash. I think he's in like his late twenties, right? So it's like, you know, what? he didn't really have the experience we did. Uh, you know, he wasn't even around uh, when these things were, you know, at the height of their popularity. So, you know, he, we have to keep this hobby growing some way, yeah. somehow. I, I think uh, we have to keep all of those going because you will have, like, in my personal case, I don't mind adding new hardware that's more powerful than the computer if it if it serves a purpose. Yeah. But one of the reasons I stay in the retro community and do stuff like Nitro Nine is I want to see. You know, given infinite time, which of course, when you're doing commercial products, you don't have. <clears throat> so you you rush something out for Christmas, you rush something out for the next buying season, whatever. So nobody actually takes the hardware and actually pushes it all the way to the limits as it was back then. Now that we have the time, because there is no time limit, and you can just basically do it when you have free time and feel like doing it. I want to see how far we could have pushed the system, you know, given the hardware we had back then, what you could do with it now, just with all the extra time and learning techniques. Well, lots of people are. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's like like the stuff Nick's creating, the games are incredible. The there are like new new games for the Commodore 64 all the time that are pushing the system in ways no one ever pushed, you know, yeah. 30 even years the Amiga ago. for that matter. I've seen some. It, yeah. In, it, yeah, some of those demo competitions that people are doing is mind blowing. That you know, we've also got more modern to and it's like cheating. Like, you know, I wrote a uh, a demo for the Commodore 64 for retro rewind, right? So that when we um, are, it shows the kind of demos running, right? Uh, and at a conversation with someone, I think we even talked about this in the drive where it was just like, yeah, like I use modern tools to create it. I didn't sit there on my 64 and write the <laughs> demo. Like I'm not sadistic. Like I need like search and replace and like, and they're like, well, that's not really, I said, why, why is it not really an authentic thing? I mean, it's, it's done. I got it done. It's coded to the CPU. It runs on it. Like, yeah. So yeah. I use like a, you know, a modern ID to write it so that like I could do it in like two hours instead of three weeks that it probably would have taken me if I sat there hammering on my 64 keyboard. Like I, it, I don't, I don't understand some of these arguments, but we've got those tools now and people are using them and that's fantastic. And like, it's okay cares? to use the old ones too. Like Nick still uses Ed Tazman stuff on a real Cocoa and I still use some of the stuff there. Now, if I have a really huge project that's going to take five minutes fully to assemble, I'll just run an emulator, overclock it. Now it's just yeah, like running exactly. a modern one. So yeah. you can mix or and like, match as much as you like. Exactly. And it's like, I'm using a modern IDE. Hell, search and replace is not available in the 64. Like, <laughs> why wouldn't I? Like, I just, whatever, to each his own. Yeah. What's wrong with I, being I do have sadistic. search and replace in mine. I definitely use that. So <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being sadistic. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes time constraints, right? I mean, I can write this thing in 20 minutes in a modern IDE, or I can spend three weeks, you know, on a 40 column mm-hmm. screen hammering away on a keyboard. See, I, I view it like for myself because I do like using the old tools. And if I did, like I said, if I have a really big project, I will throw in an emulator and, and I'll clock the crap out of it so it takes five seconds instead of yeah. five minutes. But I, it, it kind of pushes me to either find tools that were the best of the breed at the mm-hmm. time that maybe I didn't know back then. Um, that you would do have global search and replace and all kinds of things like that, like you're mentioning. Or it, it spurs you on to actually try to improve the tools from back then. So it's once yeah. again pushing the hardware type thing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've optimized the assembler in OS 9, so it's 12% fast or something. Not a huge amount, but it's noticeable. Even in the emulator, now it takes four seconds instead of five. Every or you do it counts. like Nick Marenti's. Yeah, totally old school. Except he's using a Coke STC. He's not completely going back to floppies or anything here. So, nah. 
But I mean, it's also muscle, muscle memory. Like Nick, Nick and I have been programming for quite a while. So there's, there's so many inborn things that you don't even have to think about. You just, you know, it's just reflex and you type yeah. in a certain can't, sequence. Yeah. You thing. can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like some that's of those not true, new, Nick. Some of those new tricks are pretty, pretty slick though. They <laughs> really are when you come to think of it. Like, and, I mean, and Nick, I, go ahead. The, the, like on the 64, like I've got a, a 64 Nick hooked up to mine, which is a, essentially a network card. And I mean, I can develop software on my Mac and compile and push it to the 64 in real time and see if it works. Uh, like it's all, it's all integrated at that point. I yeah. Mean, just like drive wire device. and the Cocoa does. Yeah. yeah. I could push it device as well. Uh, but I can actually fully push it to my 64, like in real time and see if it works, Is that uh, which, Jim is, Brain's, which is neat. Is yeah. that Jim Brain C64 yep. Nick Plus? Absolutely. That's, it is. Yeah. Hardware. He yeah, has a version for the Cocoa in development. It's incredible. It really is incredible. Yes. Uh, yeah. you know. And Nick, yeah, I mean, you know, he claims that he does everything old school. He uses DriveWire. He uses the Cocoa STC. So, I mean, he's not a purist yeah. himself, you know. Oh. Don't tell everyone. <laughs> yeah. I sure don't draw things with a ink pen and drafting vellum anymore. Yeah, like someone said to me, like the the demo uh, has our logo in it on a C64, and they're like, "Wow, did you like draw that by hand?" I'm like, "No, like I like use a modern converter, like just take our logo and convert." What the hell would I sit there and draw the thing in koala paint by hand? Like that's insanity. Yeah, that's what I did in my liberation game. I actually drew everything in MV Canvas lo- locally on the Cocoa, which uh, so I discovered I have no artistic bent because I actually, oh, I was just I, I did I did jump over to a modern thing and try to do it there, and I, I sucked just as bad there as I did on the old stuff. So yeah, I just added a plug in a Photoshop that exported into a compatible format to Koala. <laughs> that's all I did. Just just pushed it over. There you go, done. Yeah, it's uh, it, the, I think the thing with the retro community for all of them, no matter what platform you're on, is that there is a wide variety of why they're interested in it. Mm-hmm. And then you, you've got all the way from the purists. I just want the original hardware. I don't even want the add-ons that came a year later. I want that first year, the Cocoa came out in 1980. I want a 4K D-board, Grace, you know, case, Cocoa 1 with a chiclet keyboard, you know, type thing. Up to the people that, you know, want to add in a network card that's 50,000 times more powerful than, mm-hmm. than the Cocoa itself and everybody in between. And I think it's just fine. Pick pick whatever they're you're all right. with. You're and right. you might Everyone bounce back and forth between them as you progress yourself. That's fine too. Yep. Yeah, I needed to get my, you know, the 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 original tape drive I had for my Cocoa, and you know, built cables for it, loaded one program off tape, and then said, "Okay, you're going away for the rest of your life. You'll be put <laughs> away in storage." I did what I needed to do. I've done it. Not doing that again. Uh, you know. Well, you should I talk to David Ladd because he's got some stuff where he's running at like six thousand, nine thousand baud. You should try. Yeah, that but it's point. like what? I've got the Coco STC. Hey, now, like, okay, I'm done. Like, if I need to fire something up, I'll just fire it up on the STC. Yeah, yeah, I'm assuming. Sorry, what was that, Dave? No, I, w- <laughs> I was just saying that there's, you know, two hundred and thirty k on the Deluxe RS two thirty two pack, and yada yada yada. Yeah, you're one of the ones that likes taking the original hardware and, and pushing it. You know, like the cassette you did that digital one. It was what what baud rate you guys get up to? I can't remember now. I don't know, but it was quite fast. Um, using a, um, you know, yeah, it was, it was like ten to fifteen player. times faster than stock fifteen hundred baud, which was you know for that time was pretty fast compared to most other micros. So I mean, you were loading at disk drive speeds at that point. Yeah, well, I had the comparison video just for the 
cassettes. I never did get around to including a comparison of loading from floppy. You should compare with the Commodore 64 floppy un unmodified. That would be an interesting one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have three 1541s. I don't know if that would be a good comparison. <laughs> I don't think we have that kind of time. <laughs> yeah. You think the show's long now? We'll do a live compare. No, we just, uh, we accidentally, I accidentally stumbled upon a video, which um, one of our products was in uh, channels called Veronica Explains. Uh, and it kind of blew my mind because it's, I think it's up to like almost half a million views, <laughs> which is in the retro community is kind of mind blowing. Uh, and that is. literally she just, she, yeah. And it's, uh, it's called Veronica. I'll find it and I'll send it to you guys. Uh, Veronica explains, and it was literally about getting a Commodore 64 online. And, um, there are like 14,000 comments, uh, talking about, you know, and it's the exact same argument as like, Oh, well, is this cheating? Is it not, uh, you know, what if I still had my original 1200 baud modem, but then it's like, like I know in, in the city of Toronto, there is no uh, copper PSTN infrastructure anymore. None, zero zilch. So like you couldn't use a modem if you tried, everything's fiber. Um, and it's it still blows my mind that there's enough people in this community uh, that can draw like half a million views in a YouTube video. <laughs> uh, and I think it's up to, I will find it. Um, like, and it was just like, I had no idea, you know, we started, we sold like when this video came out, I think it was about two weeks ago, you know, it was like, we sold like, I, I think like 75 Wi-Fi modems in one day. And I was like, what's happening? Something <laughs> is coming out of nowhere. Uh, but the fact that these debates are still going on and, and it's just, it's mind blowing. Absolutely well, mind blowing. Well, BBSs are coming back, you know? Yeah. You and quite a bit too. actually. Yeah. Uh, like I quite a bit going on it myself and just looking around and you know and i pop out and go to another one it's fun got a few people in the chat that mentioned it's only this quarter million it's only a quarter million views my bad it's only two hundred fifty thousand uh, views only yeah. so as far as the modem part um i have had really good success using a magic jack for sending faxes so yeah. Um, yeah, but people could use have like T, I think it's T46 correction built into them, uh, where modems don't. Uh, so one of the reasons that faxes can still work over VoIP is there's actual correction built into the protocol for VoIP. I think it's the T46 spec, if I remember correctly. I went like, because I ran a BBS for so long, I spent a lot of time building soft modems and bridges uh and somewhat successful in getting you know uh voip to automatically translate to uh you know a regular serial signal for the commodore 64 uh that the best thing i could really do at any stability was 2400 baud depending on the codec that's used and that's even like i think it was like 711 which was you know quite wideband um 128 bits i think uh, so anything, but problem is most void providers now, 729, 729A, uh, the, they're narrow band and they're not wide enough, uh, to do anything above 12. Sometimes we had stability at 2,400 baud, but that was it. Mm. 
Well, that's about the end of your actual bod. And after that, you're doing phase shifting and crap, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's called trellis coating. Yeah. So, but the fax protocol actually has an error correction built into it for it specifically because people were still using fax machines. Who the hell yeah. still using a modem except for us? We can't say we fax on this program anymore. <laughs> Everybody drink. I wondered how long that was going to take. <laughs> oh, don't worry. We can add in the RS-232 wire and ESP-8266. Who had this time in the pool? How, who was that? Who wins the square? Mm -hmm. we, we need to make bingo cards for our show, just like Tim and AJ did for theirs, I guess, with all the phrases and stuff here. <laughs> um. Pedro says modern plus VoIP equals bad in, in the, the chat there. So um, I, I, I don't have too many more questions myself here. Now, anybody in the panel, feel free to ask Frank some questions, but I want to, because there's a bit of a delay time in the chat here. And I know we've got some of the Amigos fans uh, actually watching because Frank's on the show. Otherwise, why would they watch a Coco show? Um, <laughs> so if any of you guys yeah. in there want to ask some questions to Frank, just post them in the chat here and we'll, we'll get to them as quick as we uh, see them. So else on the panel have any questions uh, specifically for Frank? Um, just wondering what his best-selling uh, Amiga product is. Uh, OS 3.2. Right. Easily. Yep. Okay. Like easily. Well, because I, I think currently we are the only North American reseller right now. I don't think Amiga on the Lake is authorized anymore. So I think we are the only reseller so that's kind of i mean that skews numbers because if you're in north america and you want to get it you can really only get it from us but apart from that um again i'm gonna fill a bus until i just fire up our stats information here <laughs> uh, uh i'm gonna probably go with the right now probably the uh the amiga 600 accelerator card because again we're the only place in north america selling it um yeah, which actually speaks volumes for your Cocoa SD sales being quite high because you're not the only reseller in, in North America. In fact, most people are more familiar with that because he's been around longer. Yeah. So, in fact, that's actually yeah, one but, of your best sellers. That's pretty, pretty amazing. Oh yeah, big time. Uh, like the the SDC is, like I said at the beginning of the show, is mind blowing the amount of people that that still want it. Uh, actually, the SDC is the third most sold product we have. Believe it or not, wow. um, for the Amiga, it would probably be. Uh, if you take 3.2 out of the mix, it would be the uh, accelerator, the Amiga 600 accelerator card, and then the plip box, the network device, and then things that like Amiga coin cell adapter is like leaps and bounds. But like, I mean, listen, it's, there's no real logic in it. It's just a diode and a CR2032 carrier. So, uh, people just buy it to replace the batteries. But I guess you can count that too. But I wouldn't. Do we have a retro re rewind commercial? Yeah, we do. I'm not yeah, sure if Mark has a queued up. Yeah. Reason being, <clears throat> I'm going. Yeah, yeah it's in the uh, rotation. <laughs> I will mention that from chat here, Wide World of Retro is actually one of the guys that watches the Amigos regularly. He says, I got a Coco Diag card and a Coco STC from Frank, and they are awesome. And I know I've steered quite a few people to you for the Coco STC on Facebook because that, that's a platform you're not too active on. And you know, most people, if they if, if the question gets asked, they mostly refer to Ed because, of course, Ed's been making them for years. Yeah. But Ed's been out of stock quite often here because he's trying to catch up all the other runs, like Gimme X's and everything else that he's trying to manufacture, MC10 upgrades, et cetera. 
So uh, if, if it, they go there, well, it's sold out, I can't get an SCC. Oh, yes, you can. Go to Retro Rewind. So hopefully it's uh, helped get some business there and also help it's people get a, their Coke SCC without having to wait. Yeah, it's been an <laughs> incredible seller. Jesus. <laughs> we got lots in stock still. 37, I think. 37, 38 right now in stock. So. Yeah, because you, you did that really long day where you were trying to catch them up after the show there where you were. Yeah, I think you did like 60 or 65 in one shot one weekend. Slippy like Central our, Cocoa Talk uh, code expired. Uh, it should. No, it's good until they, you have to log in. You have to create an account and log in to use. You cannot use the code uh, in an anonymous oh. checkout. Uh, no, they're Ooh. all, I'm just looking. They're all, they all expire at the end of this year. The maximum allowed. So based on the yep. views of this channel, uh, compared to the 250,000 views for the other video, <laughs> you should sell at least five Cocoa SDCs. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, it's the, the, like I said at the beginning, the, the, uh, Cocoa community is rabbit and we're thankful for that. Uh, you know, as long as people want it, we'll, we'll be making it, but the, uh, um, the, the Cocoa talk code is valid until December 31st, 2022, but you gotta be logged in. You have to create an account login in order to use yeah. it. It doesn't cost you anything to create an account. Nope. So no, that's the Cocoa it's just, talk it's just effect. a way of tracking, you know, how, how popular the code is and, and all that stuff. Okay. Cause it's in the crawl right underneath, uh, um, right there. <laughs> right now oh in the coca yep. border area yeah 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 it's uh between the you know the the video part and the uh title part there yeah someone used it last night <laughs> okay i think karen my, actually uh, has a bit of a product so i'm gonna be honest with you. they bought a bunch of commodore products with the with it yeah, but it doesn't right. matter so karen 60 in the chat here says i missed the part about the diagnostic card and he says i'm gonna have to <clears throat> retro rewind so I don't know. Did you want to kind of explain the the cart for the people that joined in a little bit later? Because we talked well, about I mean, way at the beginning. It's the original. Uh, the base code is the original um, Cocoa code, uh, which uh, Troy has been working on to patch to use, uh, be able to check extended memory and everything else, and a few other tips and tricks. So it's, I mean, it's it's a niche I wanted to scratch. Like I said, so uh, I wanted a diagnostic tool that was uh, up to snuff and. Um, supported uh additional features like extended memory and and we created one yeah because the original really diagnostic cartridge from tandy they never upgraded 16K. after the original release so it was meant for 16k maximum and, 16k yeah. only yeah so it took some uh it took some figuring out but uh troy did that and uh and that's what we've got so there you go uh kieran um he's done some diagnostic stuff himself for like cassettes and things too so which I think the the card covers that joysticks and you know ports, yeah, IO ports, everything. Yep, yep. And of course, there's about a thirty second delay on the chat here. So yeah, I'm not following the chat. I've got it on my phone over there, but my old age, I really need to get my eyes checked. Uh, Wild <laughs> Retro asks, um, is the Cocoa test card? Will that also work on the Dragon? I think parts of it will. I don't know if the whole thing would. That's a good question. Because uh, the keyboard matrix is different, for example. Um, the joysticks are the same and address the same. So I think some of the RAM should be the same because the SAM and CPU work I'm the not, same. I, it, I, I would say most of it works, but maybe not all of it. First guess. I uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a Dragon to test, but 
I know what I'll be doing tonight, trying to buy a dragon. Yep. Have Just a little wine, get on eBay. Six by the end of the night. So that's right. A little three wine, little eBay. That's right. Three glasses in and all <laughs> so of gonna have now, a the dozen dragon, dragon was show up. in Toronto as a kid because when I got my cocoa, well, I had a lot of friends who had dragons. Um, so, but then again, I, I could be misremembering this. It could have been apples and I was just laughing, calling them dragons. Uh, just nevertheless. The dragon 32, the dragon 64, and then the uh, U.S. Tano dragon. So these three models be looking for. Yeah. Right. But does the diagnostic cart work with the Coco 3? Yes. Absolutely. That I can attest to. Are you talking about the the cart? Yeah. Yeah. The, Frank makes I, a new version of what the original Tandy one was, but it handles correct. all the extra things yeah. Tandy okay. never had. I, I have a cart in a, um, in a dragon. I can try it. Let you, you have one, you, of, you one of Frank's cards? No, I got the original Radio Shack. Yeah, card. no, the, the question's about Frank's of it a little bit. Well, his is the same as a clone of it, isn't it? No, it's, it's expanded. Well, it's expanded. It uses, oh. but like, for example, none of the keyboard uh, code was rewritten because there was no need for it, right? So, yeah, that'd be uh, one exception, I guess. Yeah. yeah so, um, but that, that's a good question. Uh, now I, now I got to get a dragon. <laughs> yeah. We're not helping your business. EBay. Perfect business expense. But yeah, Ron, the original the original Tandy one, for example, when it checks RAM, it only checks up to 16K because when they released it in 1980, that's oh. all they had. So it doesn't that's check 32, had, yeah. doesn't check 64, doesn't check extended memory in the Coco 3 Pass. That doesn't do any of that right. stuff. So, so it'll play sound. No, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it checks some of the hardware, but it doesn't check all of it, whereas Frank's it, it, is trying to catch it up, basically, to where yeah. everybody's actually at. Yeah. So you don't have to just run Sailor Man. Not that there's anything wrong with that, you know, to check to see if your 64K is working. I would use well, those time level one, but I always thought that was the 64K RAM test with Sailor Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, test the sound, test the joysticks, test the yeah, that's everything. Yeah. So, w- what does that cost? The uh, diagnostic, the is cart, it, uh, is the cart. And do you want that in Canadian or in American dollars, Ron? Well. It's- out here in Arizona. He needs that in Arizona dollars. So Arizona dollars is 25 bucks. Oh, okay. Plus three cactus shipping. <laughs> so thankfully shipping's gone back down. For a bit, we were getting killed because of costs of gas, but uh thankfully I think it's starting to revert back to what uh, is gas? Well, it's in liters there. Yeah. Uh we're like at a buck fifty a liter now. Uh, which isn't too bad because at one point, I think beginning of the year, we were well over two bucks a liter. Yeah, same here. We're down to about buck forty-seven right now. So. Yeah, it's like something like that. And we were two oh nine at one point. I mean, both states and Canada that that happened. Yeah, and there's about three point eight or four liters per gallon, something like that, or close to four. Yeah, yeah, it's close to four. Something. Imperial gallon versus. U.S. Gallon, gallon, which is a little smaller. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going for rough conversion. Comment from uh, Pedro. He says, another Canadian, Dennis Bisson, wrote a program that runs from ROM and uses the CPU registers, temp storage norm, and required for a REM test. Does this test card do something like that in order to test memory? And actually, I do remember because we covered that. Because basically, he's got the registers. The program runs in ROM, and it just loads registers and then compares between the registers and stuff like that with no stack, no RAM. So it can literally check every byte of the RAM if even one byte's bad. 
So that let is me exactly add, it. Yep. Let me ask you now: If you have a diagnostic thing in and it stops because you have a bad RAM somewhere, can you actually find out which RAM is bad? No, from not from not from that test. So, it'll, so it all, it'll just, all it tells you is something's bad. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. It's a do checks on the ROMs too, like some sort of uh, checksum mm-hmm. or CRC calculation. See if the ROM, like if you burnt your own, like it was bad if you burnt your own ROM or extended ROM. Yeah, yeah, correct. But for for RAM, I mean, it's just like the Commodore sixty four one. It won't tell you the specific chip. It'll just tell you one of them's bad. But at least it, like I tell people when people ask, well, will this tell me exactly what's wrong? No, it'll point you in the area. It'll point you to what's wrong, but it won't tell you it within that. But at least you've got one specific bus to check as opposed to. You know, the whole thing, yeah. It's it Christmas just says something broken with it. I, I do remember somebody on the Kobo 3 did make one that actually, if you had the original Tandy 16-chip satellite board, it would tell you specifically which chips were not functioning well, properly, but I don't cool. think anything with the Kobo 1 2 ever did that. And I don't think it ever went past 512K. They never upgraded it. And now, of course, you've got you know static RAM and a bunch of things. Like It's not 16 chips anymore, so it would be totally inaccurate now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the Tandy cartridge would tell you what chip number it was, but that was limited to like the, you know, deep 16 K only. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there was a Coco three diagnostics that Tandy released. Uh, the manual of it is up in the archive, but no software ever showed up there. There's one of those I, unicorn softwares we're trying to find again. Cause I think it was only used yeah. by Tandy techs in the repair centers. I don't think it was ever released to public. So another one to try to find. Uh, some comments here. Auto Retro says, I'm a bit late, not sure if you cover this, but any suggestion on what standard maintenance I should do to my Coco 2, for instance, for the Amiga remove the Barta? Not sure if that's a typo. Uh, what should I check in my Coco 2? Well, I don't think the Coco 2 has got a battery in it. So, uh, no. no. I mean, no, the no, Var- Varta is a battery manufacturer. That's the battery plague that every. Oh, yeah, where it leaks and destroys everything. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You're okay with the cocos? No, no leaking uh, vart is there. Doesn't yeah. really need any maintenance other than clean it and reseed stuff and keep the coffee out of it. <laughs> yeah, actually, <laughs> we, we got lucky. We generally cocos did not get bad caps either. For the no, most that part. was we were too early for the bad cap plague. Yep. And, yep. Uh, I mean, I've only once seen a cap go on a cocoa. Uh, which led me to believe I don't think it was the cap as much as something had happened that caused the cap to go. It's not something you ever, like I've ever seen. Although it's interesting, Tandy hot glued all of their caps down with a type of glue that looks particularly vile right now. It certainly <laughs> looks like right. something's yeah. eating yeah. the board vulcanizes, vulcanizes into that kind of brown gooey mess. I mean, that was just to stop oscillation on some of the larger caps, like the, uh, I think there's a 10,000 ferret cap in there that will oscillate like crazy if you don't glue it down. Yeah, you get pe- uh, new people Yeah, new people look now. at that and they go, that the, yeah. the cap's leaking. And they say, yeah. can, you, can you look at this and tell me if it's leaking or if something's bad? And you, everybody always, you know, winds up telling them, that's yeah, fine, it's not. just glue. Yeah, yeah, it was just glue to keep it from oscillating. The problem is it is broken down into a nasty mess. Uh, it's really all it is, but it's not like it's not going to do any damage to the machine. Just I mean, honestly, like, the chip I think I've seen blow up in the Coco the most is probably the CPU, and that's because somebody took yeah. a cardboard cart and crossed the you know, five volt line onto some mm-hmm. other pin by putting it in crooked when the computer's on, and then poof. And sometimes it it partly blows it, so like just the halt line's gone, so which means it works fine and everything but disk drives. 
because that requires outline to finish sectors. So your disk drive works unreliably or not at all. Yet you can load off cassette and play a game and it works fine. So I mean, the rea- listen, the reality is these are like 35 year old machines, <laughs> right? Uh, and I, I know that Commodore, for example, to like Bill Hurd and and others from the Commodore days. And I'm sure, no. Yeah, that was that was more modern technique because they didn't bring that out till 85. Yeah. And then, of course, Motorola, because that's not what the contract employer didn't let them tell anybody all the stuff they put in. <laughs> Do you know um, they're still making uh, 6809s and 6309s at the company called Rochester? Are you familiar with that? Uh, I think Hitachi themselves are still making them, to be perfectly honest with you. Really? Because, uh, uh, so they're making them for – so the batch we bought that we sell are new. They're not like new old oh, stuff. really? Yeah. And, uh, so I, we hired, like, we've got a, um, uh, like a parts headhunter that we contract to find certain unique parts, uh, through resellers and like Coco through... SDC chips, for example. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause it, frankly, it just makes our life a lot easier. Like I, I don't have the time to sit there and hunt. So we, we've got a, an outfit that does it for us. And, um, the chip is still used in the defense industry, believe it or not for certain things. Uh, so there are limited runs that are made by Hitachi themselves. Uh, and we were able to, I think the last hundred we bought were actual, like newly, like they've got new manufactured dates on them. Uh, and from Hitachi, they're not making a ton of them, uh, but they still are because mill spec requires them to, right? Part of yeah. the deal is if you do create certain mill spec things, you need to commit to X number of years of manufacturing it. Uh, and they're still kind of well within that window. What defense products are still used? I have no idea, no clue. But clearly, something somewhere out there, some missile guidance system or something, is still using (laughs) the chip. Is it still the forty-pin dip? It is. Yeah. Okay. It is cocos for the missile launches. Well, listen. uh, Like we sell a lot of uh, floppies, uh, mostly with OS three point two for the Amiga on them, and. our Wi-Fi modems are the 64. You can actually buy the software on, you know, three and a half and five and a quarter inch floppies. There's a company here in Toronto uh, that's still manufacturing floppy disks solely hmm. for military and the medical industry. Uh, in a conversation, they're like, you know, there's like <laughs> three uh, MRI machines at a local hospital that, you know, still uses a floppy for certain things. And we're not going to replace the $50 million MRI machine because it works just fine. Simply because the transferring interface is a floppy, like that's ridiculous. Uh, so they still make, I mean, they make VHS tapes, they make audio tapes, they make all sorts of magnetic media. Uh, okay. So there still are places making them. It's just sometimes it's hunting them down and finding them. Uh, thank God for the military industry. That's all I got to say. I think David Ladd is now frantically searching for the name of the place that makes floppy disks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could stand some new new five and a quarters right now. Uh, ideal medical or ideal magnetic media. You can. Uh, I think the smallest order you got to buy is five hundred, though. Uh, they're not going to do a spin up for a box of ten. Group buy. Group buy. Yeah, that's a small that's a small order for David Ladd. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's a problem for him. <laughs> yeah, I what think was the, the URL uh, again? <laughs> uh, they don't have a website, but uh, it's called Ideal Magnetic Media Limited. Do you Toronto. your Do you yourself still have any media from back when you were a kid? Oh yes, <laughs> boxes I mean, got, and boxes and boxes. So you got rid of your hardware, but kept the software. I never got rid of my Commodore sixty four. That I still had. 
the cocoa is what I got rid of because, uh, I mean, I just grew up in a regular kind of middle-class blue-collared family. And my dad's like, you want a Commodore 64? You better sell the damn candy I sold you or I bought you because I'm not buying you a Commodore 64 as well. Uh, but, I mean, I still got it all. My mother kept it all. I've got, every, I got everything, everything in that regard from my Commodore 64 days forward. I've got every floppy, every floppy from my Amiga, all of it. Now, whether any of it works is beyond me, but I've got it. <laughs> Yeah, I've got yeah. shelves here. I won't bring them all out, and I've got sh- shelves back here. A couple of yeah, yeah. floppies there too. So I have boxes and boxes and stacks. And, yep, I've got. Uh, I've still got. Uh, do I, yeah, I've still got for those of you at least the Commodore sixty four uh, fans. Uh, I still have a fully sealed Free Spirit drive testing kit that I've had for, I don't know, like. 35 years or something like that. I mean, it's still like factory sealed uh, and I don't want to open it. Uh, I've still got a few things that kind of sit on the shelf, but most of the boxes are in storage. Do you have any floppies from the uh, early PC days? Uh, like I didn't really get into the PC days until much later in life. You I don't have like Windows 1.0 or 2.0? No. I mean, I, I think the first Windows machine myself like personally was windows 95 because i held on to my amiga and used my amiga right up until the very very end i hate windows to this day i i don't own i own one windows machine solely for the business because there's a piece of software used that it's the only thing it runs on uh but i can't stand anything you know, Microsoft. I, I, I loved you know, windows when it came out i really did because you know the, the windows worked well and you can you know print things out and do things but the thing was, where they lied constantly was, they would always say, um, "Watch these videos." You know, you'd watch a video and it would freeze all the time. It would never, or it'd stutter. It would never really work. You know, until we got into Pentium processors, or you know, some of the Pentium threes or something, with or it's enough RAM or some uh, something. But it's an early. PCs that were uh, 33 megahertz or, you know, 40 or 100, they were worthless when it came to video. Jesus. To, to, to me, you know. Even that day. HP in that picture, I think, was running Linux to do the audio streaming. <laughs> yeah, and you got, a, you got a Mac right beside it, too. Which yeah, I've always at, used so. Yeah. I mean, modern OS, I've always stuck with the Mac. Uh, more of a necessity than anything else. Uh, but apart from that, like, I don't. I can't stand Windows at all. Never have been able to. Now, like on, on your Macs, are you running OS 10 on all of them or do you run Linux on some of them? Or uh, There's a combination uh, through, you know, parallels through virtualization. I'll run a whole bunch of different things, but primarily uh, like I've got a Mac mini, uh, like an M1 Mac mini with a like 36 inch cinema display that I use for uh, design and layout, like PCB layout. Because uh, again, my eyes I'm getting older, uh, so the bigger the screen, the better. Uh, and then I've got my MacBook Air, uh, which is an M1 that I kind of just use for, you know, accounting and business purposes, and email communications. But that's it. Those are yeah, yes. But did did you ever hackintosh? Uh, yeah, actually, I think there's a uh, there's an episode of the Live at Leo where I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You got to yeah. remember, Mac is Mac OS is just BSD underneath. I had Correct. a Mac at yep. work, and I spent my entire life in BSD Windows. Yeah, I I spend more time in a terminal shell than I do anywhere else. 
<laughs> you know, uh, people are like, uh, you know, the disk utility app. I'll be like, I've never used a GUI, but I've used it on command line all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> got a couple comments along that line in the comments too. Uh, Pedro says, I use Wine or I try to use ReactOS instead of Windows. And the Texas Foosballer says VM, be uh, more Fusion for the win, which is actually what I use here for running Windows 10 right now on, on my Mac. So, yeah, the problem with the M1 is the uh, like the x86 emulation, right? So, uh, yeah. I've got um, like I've got Windows for ARM running um, in in a virtual machine. Uh, it's still not. I mean, I wish it was a lot better. And this is why I've I've got an old Windows machine just to run Sprint layout because the only thing it runs on is Windows. Uh, but if it wasn't for that one piece of software, I don't think I'd have any Windows machines. Now, now running Wine, don't you have a problem with Wine and eBay? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. It's a bad combination. Uh, well, you wind, up buying, you wind up buying more than you yep. order for? Or? Yeah. Well, God never should allow me to use eBay when I'm drinking. Except for dragons, apparently. Well, no, that's like when we're done this, I'm going to go start hunting because that's a legitimate business expense. Why I have now five Cocoa Ones, I'm not sure. Yeah, but your SDC will work on it. So that's good. correct. Yeah. I mean, that so the I diagnostic know. card is something. But now it's the diagnostic card. I, yeah. The diagnostic card I need to start investigating. Karen, well, uh, since you're in the chat there in England, if you uh, know of anybody that has a, a dragon that uh, might be able to be sold to Frank there, you can get in contact with them. Please. Even a broken one. Probably easier, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, they're both the Motorola, the Motorola reference design was used for both the Dragon and the Coco. Yeah. So, I mean, most yeah. of the hardware is exactly the same. The keyboard's mapped differently in the PIA, but that's pretty well most of it. The disk drives are totally different. That's, that's one. Well, difference. when you do get it and you try it, post it. Let's see your results. Yeah, no, absolutely. I will. And if not, then we're going to have to. Uh, make sure that it will work. So that's an interesting point. What, what uh, computers besides Tandy bought everything from Microsoft? So Tandy bought standard basic, they bought extended basic, they bought disk basic, they bought everything Microsoft sold. Well, so um, did Commodore, like well, 64 Commodore, basic. But they didn't have extended basic for their graphics. It was all poke this, poke that. And then their disk drive was... Like DSave, I think it was like a whole separate standalone world. Well, and the, the disk drive is, yeah, it's. And like Dragon then did their own disk drive, which was different than everybody else's. And I'm just wondering is Tandy the only place that just bought all the Microsoft crap and <laughs> put it out the door? Well, the 64, I know the 64 basic was bought was Microsoft. Well, right, uh, right. So was the 128's extended basic. It's basic seven or whatever it was. Uh, the hmm. disk drives in a Commodore 64 are unlike anywhere else because the disk drives themselves are computers themselves. So all the processing is done on the disk drive and any communication goes back and forth, just goes across the IEC, the serial bus. The 1541s uh, have 2K of RAM and a 6502 in them. Yeah, yeah. and so do the 1581s uh, and the 70 ones. I mean, they all do. I mean, you're just literally pushing a command over serial and then the actual drive does all the processing and just sits it all back. There was um, some disk duplicator software that you could literally uh, unplug from the drives and just let the drives duplicate one to the yeah, other. Yeah, let the drives do everything. I mean, hell, there's like there's a guy who's like created a demo that 
fully runs on the disk drive itself. Yeah, yeah there's, you can, like, there's a, there's a, there's a drive VGA, demo scene. A little bit of <laughs> hacking and, and get VGA output from the uh, from the 1540, from the actual <laughs> wow. drive itself. Yeah. Wow. So, seen that so why didn't anybody um, try and make an actual floppy drive and a controller that would work like more like a Cocoa Dose for the... For the 64? Yeah. Actually, they did. The early pet drives were uh, IEEE yeah. 488, was it? Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. So why uh, wouldn't they use that and fix all the crap? You know? Uh, they're very Backward expensive. compatibility. Yeah, and backward compatibility, too. Yeah. They, I've uh, seen a lot of the I've stuff seen. they had to make sure continued to work with the older stuff. I've mm-hmm. actually seen the boards for the parallel drives for the pet. Those things are literally huge. About, about this big square. Yeah. And how big is that for the audio listeners, uh, Mark, who can't see you? Oh, okay. Um, do you do, do what? Fifty centimeters square? Yeah. I mean, they're honking big. There's like big like, the like two enough. PCI full or full blown PCI slots. Yeah. So when I mean, you made a program for the um, Commodore sixty four and you send it to the hard drive, to the drive, mm-hmm. it has to have extra software just to operate the drive in it included. Uh, no, you don't. But some people, some creative designers would uh, use the actual CPU in the drive to enhance uh, what you're doing, whether it's load times and even offloading some calculations. Because the communication between the 1541 and the C64 is just serial communication. Literally, the 64 would say, I need the directory listing. And it would just tell the drive that via the serial bus. Then the drive would do all the work to build the directory listing and then just send it back across serial. That's all. Instead of reading a raw, very slow serial too. So you just very very slow serial. You can't have the CPU, the sixty five hundred two or whatever it was, ask the disk for what's on it and then read it directly. No, in, in my mind, this is like the deload command that was used to load stuff from Microsoft network controllers or whatever. Do you add the Commodore asks the drive send me some stuff? The drive sends it back. It's like that's a deload. It was exactly what it is. Yeah, it's much more high level oriented than low level. You're not talking to the controller directly. You're basically telling the ROM code or whatever's on the drive. You know, you go get the directory when you've got the whole thing built up and you have like six files and this send it to me. has been and mm-hmm. send it back. The uh, default Commodore 64 and 1541, literally you load load dollar sign, comma eight, comma one, and that mm-hmm. loads the directory as like a basic program. And it wipes oh. your basic program out too. Correct. <laughs> and yeah. Unless oh, you have yeah. a wedge loaded that lets you do that and not kill your basic program. Yeah. Yeah, oh, the, the, the wonders of junior high school computer class and wiping out your program by loading the directory. Yeah, that was wonderful. Exactly. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> That's why I love my Epix fast load cartridge. And we uh, we had four we had one floppy drive to every four Commodore sixty fours I do believe. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, we have a we have our own freeload cartridge for the uh, sixty four with modified code to support the uh, SDIC. Just not uh, plugging love, anything, but it's there. <laughs> I love my cocos. We we got lucky because they actually chose the same controller chip the early PCs did, so we could read PC DOS disks no problem, right to them the whole bit. In fact, that's. There's a utility for that built into the Nitro 9 EOU. It's not the fastest one. If you want that, you get MSF. But uh, MSF was great because we ran natively. We used to work all the time. You just do dir slash A. It's here's your three and a half inch 720K DOS disk. And I could just copy 
files back and forth and initialize the drive, choose what do I want, OS9 format or disk basic format or IBM PC MS-DOS format. We had a JNM controller that had a, a, a program written on it in the ROM, I guess, that if you hit a certain key or frigate, which, which it is, you can do diagnostics. Yeah, you, you can, actually get the memory reminder disk, you need that yeah. special alignment disk, and it would actually do the yeah. full low-level diagnostics. On and you could, you could also do the, the speed of the drive. Can you do that kind of thing on a Commodore 2 or yeah. you know, check the drive speed? No? Well, you, you can check the drive speed, but again, it's that's all code stored on the ROM of the 1541, right? Oh. So you're literally just asking for it, and the 1541 itself is yeah. doing all the hard work and then just sending it back to you. Yeah, actually, it's a pretty it's a pretty decent system. The fact that the drive was intelligent enough to do those stuff without burdening the CPU. Correct. But uh, I did. I think one lot. I got twenty five at once. I was like, "Wow, fantastic!" What the hell do I need twenty five of these things for? But they've come in handy. They've come in handy either for parts or people want to buy them. Hmm. Cool. Never can have too many retro parts. <laughs> Yeah, you can, as my <laughs> wife points out all the time. You absolutely, you absolutely can. Okay, Marco is saying that uh, he's seeing some stuttering and stuff on Twitch and, and on YouTube. YouTube. Yep. So, anybody in the chat there? Are you guys seeing that uh, too, or is that local to Mark? I guess is the first question because I know Mark Bosley. You'd mentioned that your yep. internet was actually down this morning. So I'm, it was. I'm not... So far during the show, it uh, did uh, dropped a few frames and now for some reason it's telling me i just dropped zero frames so All right i had to i just got to reload to try again and reload it and now it's fine so i don't know something yeah. might have just well, I didn't have any problem with zoom so it's the it's, internet it's always weird well why did they call it twitch <laughs> <laughs> i still remember it was called justin tv so mm. i blame the whole thing on amish hackers right yeah, Wayland, on, on the, he says YouTube just stopped for a moment earlier. I had to reload, so it looks like it's been going a little bit, but it, reloading seems to fix it, fix it for the most part. Nobody uh, wants to hear me. That's probably why. No, it's just too much awesomeness for YouTube, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what we're going with, too much awesomeness. Sure, we'll go with right, that. I, I got another question for you. Sure, because I, I so haven't what, heard any stuttering in, in my what do you What do you think about the future of, um, you know, the, this what we're doing. Do you think um, it's going to eventually um, just be a small percentage of people that have these things? Or do you think that um, people are going to start manufacturing again, um, like the Cocoa and, the, you know, the Commodore 64? And I mean, they've already done that to the 64 to a degree, I guess. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to quantify the numbers, right? Um, but if you kind of if you if you take a step back and look at where the retro community was, say five years ago, to where it is today, it's doing nothing but progressing, right? Now, I mean, I can't really speak too heavily on the Coco stuff, but if you take a look at the '64, uh, in the past five years, we've had every revision of the '64 motherboard. Uh, has been recreated perfectly and accurately. Um, the molds for the casing have been found. There have been multiple runs of new cases made. Um, there is, even, sorry? Even the C65. Even 
Yeah. Yep. That, Looks like I, I think exactly why everyone should play those numbers in the lottery tonight. Yeah. But we'll keep asking. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for that, Frank. Right, we'll get right on that. What was the hot topic that made the show devolve into a black hole? <laughs> I think it was Commodore. At least that's some of the people. It was. Yeah. Sorry. That's my bad. <laughs> it wasn't WeFacts. No. Everybody drink. Not this time. I, I don't know how much of it was caught, but before the stream went to, to crap for a bit there on YouTube, but uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, is the retro community, Ron's question was, was the retro community, do you think it lasts for a while? And and Frank was mentioning that definitely on the Commodore and the Amiga side that, you know, things have been getting accelerated in a good positive way. I have to say the same for the Coco community, because I mean, just 10 years ago, the Coco Fest was down to like 60 people showing up and we've doubled that now. And like you said too, on on the other platforms, there's more software and more hardware coming out now in the last few years than there has been the previous decade. So I think, I think it's every retro computer is kind of getting that. I think COVID helped accelerate because a lot of people were bored sitting at home when they were forced to hang around. So what are you going to do? You know, I've watched everything on Netflix now and, and Hulu. So a lot of people dug their old machines okay. out and went, hey, it's kind of fun. And then they go and say, hey, there's a bunch of people doing this. And they kind of joined in like our Facebook group. I, it, it had a lot more users in the last few years. I think too. social media helps quite a bit too, right? I mean, it's just, and there's interest. Like I get emails from people saying, oh, I want to buy a Commodore 64. Uh, you know, I've never owned one. Do you know where I can get one? You know, I've done nothing but use an emulator, which is fantastic to see, right? Because it's just like this whole uh, and new PCBs is fantastic. Uh, because eventually some of those, you know, the substrate will come apart and will just dissolve. It's going to happen eventually uh, that there's, nope. you know, it's new like modern the stream again. Yep. I'm, really? I'm seeing YouTube and Twitch. Twitch is rebuffering and I haven't found the continued stream on YouTube yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't find I, it either. I went to zero. Local recording. Hopefully you have it. Yes. No. It, it's obviously not just post. a network problem, though, because this is running fine. Unless yeah. you're seeing buffering on your end there, Mark. We're not seeing any here. No, my right now, Zoom sounds fine. Uh, yeah, although earlier, I did lose I haven't Zoom seen any bit. problem with Zoom at all. Not once. No. Okay. Yep, you guys are back. You know what? It may be, uh, it may be Restream having the issue. Cause yeah, I'm beginning to think it is. Because right. if it's affecting YouTube and Twitch and Facebook, but not Zoom, yeah, then no, I'm Zoom is pointing to Restream. I've got yeah. Zoom running on a whole separate computer, which is what I'm talking on, and it I haven't lost that. So yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Texas Foosball suggests turn your torrents off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh man, let me uh, turn that off right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm just backing up all those cracked C64 games you did back in the day. There. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other I mean, thing they're... I was going to talk about was because uh, I'm dropping frames CRT. Now. Mm -hmm. CRTs are getting hard to find. If you wanted to uh, go retro with your, you know, 486, <laughs> with right. the, you're just not finding them anymore. Yeah. And They're finding gone. the parts as well. Yeah. Uh, so one of our show pieces that we like to take to shows is our SX64, uh, which is, um, I mean, Curtis has seen it. It is like 100% factory stock brand new. Uh, from a lot of work that was put and a lot of money that was spent in getting it back to, you know, 100% stock condition. Um, you know, what no scratches, it? no, sorry. What is it? And you just gave me a number, but you didn't say uh, the SX 64 was the portable version of the Commodore 64. Oh, okay. uh, it's got a little color, a little color screen. And yep. we spent a ton of money. We got like professional body work done to it to fix any dense scratches, but uh, 
it took almost 16 months, 14 or 16 months, something like that, for us to find a flyback for it. And we had that that outfit, that uh, mm. kind of parts hunting outfit looking. And eventually they found one in like Hong Kong because uh, it also happened to be used for some security monitor that was made uh, for that community. Um, so the CRTs are, it's, it's a terrible loss, but they're so much harder to repair and find parts for than say, um, you know, a Coco or a C64 where you can, you know, easily whip up a replacement chip, something simple, but mm -hmm. the, and it's a shame because I mean, I, I prefer looking at it. Like I have two PVMs in the shop that we use uh, for everything because they're incredible. Yeah, I could probably use a OSSC or a retro tank and upscale to it. No, but I prefer having the actual CRT in front of me. Problem is, is once they die, no one, no one is making parts for them. Like nobody. Yeah. A lot of these Model 3s and 4s are having trouble, you know, getting the little 12-inch jobs for them. And then, um, mm -hmm. you know, we have CM8s. They don't have any door anymore. Usually, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, the, a lot of the, Commodore monitors are the same thing. Yeah, and and the ones with the door have such a much better picture on them. Do you ever notice that? No, <laughs> I guess not. I'm I'm thinking some some bright person is going to have to invent an LCD that looks like a CRT that's prop that's smooth properly and so forth to emulate it a little bit. Because, like I say, we're going to run out of them. Yeah, sooner yeah. not later. Did you I'm guys not sure you could ever get those that gun look right where the, the no. guns are firing. Like I don't think you'll ever be able to get it. 100. That's like trying to replace a Vectrex screen, right, with a LCD. It probably yeah. not going to work the same. You have yeah. to have software to con to make it look like yeah, it. Yeah, you do phosphor decay rates and all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah, there's like it's it's hard, and some of the some of the stuff is just organic, right? Some of the patterns you end up getting so. Did you start to consider uh, for that small screen to replace it with a LCD instead? So I have two of them, and one of them does have an LCD. But this was kind of this is to be our showpiece that we brought to shows. Uh, so I wanted it to be one hundred percent original, right? Like it is. I mean, Curtis, Curtis has seen it. It is like pristine, like no marks, no nothing. It is one hundred percent pristine, uh, and it took a while to achieve that because I specifically trying to find that flyback uh but when I, when I did find it I bought three of them and I'm like these other two are going in a safety deposit box like forever uh we get too, too, forever. too far away from it uh Rocky Hill is uh, looking for a flyback for his Apple Studio CRT fix <laughs> yeah what size which one because they made like three sizes I think Well, Rocky, you're just going to have to join the panel and ask them. <laughs> yeah, or you know what? Send me an email because I don't mind asking our, our contacts to kind of see what they can find uh, for people. Like, I have no problem doing that uh, at all because they're always looking for stuff for us. And they get paid based on whether they find it or not, right? You, you know what's really uh, <laughs> cool is to have somebody come on and say um, they've gotten this computer in its original box. And it's you know hardly ever been used and they pull it out and it looks beautiful and you know for you know, you, you have a bunch of computers that don't have a box and they don't look pretty it's really neat to see one it's really nice sometimes you'll see that with model 
um, Tandy 1000s. You know, they're in the original. There's three boxes. You know, they look beautiful. Robert, yeah, they, or, uh, Pedro says a 17 inch, he believes, for that CRT flyback. Send me an email. I'll uh, I'll see if I can. Uh, yeah, he says he will. Help you out. Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just one big community, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I mean, some of these. Except these... for the Atari ST fans. That's all. <laughs> 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 I mean, for, for the retro community, like, you know, CRT monitors and stuff, that's something that all of us have in common. I mean, some might be composite, some might be RGB or whatever, but some of that same technology that is disappearing, you can't get replacements, affects all of us. So, I mean, the yeah, whole bunch band of fosters together. being shot. Yep. Exactly. Band together. Well, even uh, channel, to find channel three and four on a modern monitor is getting bad, right? Yeah, that's I got a like a Sony VCR on top of one of my uh, uh, PVMs solely for like working on like Coco twos or twenty six hundreds or whatever still requires RF output because uh, yeah. it's like the only way I can get channel two or three. And the only good thing is there's no broadcast on those anymore so when you Correct. do use them they're decent yeah no. yeah there's less interference actually you get a better picture now than you did back in the old days right oh way uh, better yeah yeah way yeah. better i've got a uh, cm8 oh no go ahead sorry oh, i was just about to say i've got a cm8 monitor in pristine condition but the uh it's died the uh i think it's the uh the coil on the yoke the, that winding as the wire is broken somewhere because I remember turning on the uh, monitor once looking inside, you can see a glow coming from the wiring. So <laughs> it's arcing. So I've still so got like it. The, the insulation material on it break down because oh, the wire is yeah. Right? yeah. And, and I, I assume they can't be fixed properly. Something like that probably could be. Uh, fixed properly. I mean, we just have to be rewound. Problem, the other yeah. problem with them is people's like, like we do offer services to fix CRTs, but then people are like, holy mac, it's going to cost like 90 bucks to ship it to you. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, it's like right 40 thing. pounds, right? I yeah. mean, I, yeah. you know, and sh ship it in one piece and ship it in one, one piece, man. That's the trick. Like, so I think what know, Nick yeah. is saying there, Frank, is that the next time you're in Australia, look him yeah. up. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, the very drop next time. Yeah, I'll buy you. Next idea. time I'm in your neighborhood, like our uh, <laughs> the standard form we sell people or we send people uh, who are sending equipment in literally says when you think you've used enough bubble wrap, use more, right. a lot more, <laughs> like a lot, a lot more. Uh, you know, bubble wrap doesn't weigh much. Who cares? <laughs> Shipping yeah. is all based on weight, not the size, unless you're like some abnormal, like five foot by five foot box. Everything's just yeah. based. Like if you're shipping a PDP 11 or something, yet, you might have yeah. Yeah. Actually, well, I, I think I've I've pretty well given up trying to fix the CM8. So I've still got it because I don't want to throw it out. And I figure one day when I get creative, I'll rip out the tube and all the electronics and I'll find an LCD monitor to put in the case. Um, and uh, find a, a, a RGB to VGA adapter for the for the Coco. So is it is it like I'm not familiar with the internals of the CM8, but um, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure you can remove the neck from the tube, can't you? Uh, remove the neck, yes. Uh, the U part, the U part, you said, yep. which relates to me. 
Uh, no. <laughs> no, because if you could remove just the yoke where the whining is done, then you could just send us the yoke and we can help you out with that. Oh, okay. Because well, I've got a CM8. You... I mean, I could I could just pull the yoke out and switch them and figure out how long a winding it needs to be. And this is no yoke. Yeah, and this is no yoke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brian Weasler in the chat is mentioning, he says, Nick, the glow is from this filaments from the red, green, and blue guns. Uh, it could be the no, flyback no. because you don't have high voltage? No, no. The glow, yeah, I know it's in the uh, the guns. This glow is on the wires itself. Yeah, so they're on coated. The Sometimes the, if the coating yeah. breaks down, it's going to arc. Coating's broken down and it's arcing. Yeah. yeah. And then Pedro said it's cheaper to fly Frank out to you than to uh, than to ship the CRT. So maybe that's just pay for his plane ticket. <laughs> well, I, I might try rip the yoke out because I figure if I'm going to destroy it anyway by putting a uh, LCD monitor in there, I'll try that first. If I can remove the yoke, then I'll I'll send it to you. Yeah. Some of the uh, yeah. um, some of the <laughs> other um, Tandy monitors are similar. Like if you you were to find a CM five, yeah, or, that's true. Yeah, you know, with yeah. a bad flyback, the yoke would still work, right? Yeah, that's true. Mm. And those are probably more common than CM eights and easier to find. So, yeah, aren't the windings on Australian monitors the other way around though? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's kind of like water down the drain, you know. It goes the other way. It's, <laughs> they're upside down. Aren't they wrapped counterclockwise versus clockwise here in North America? <laughs> That's all right. I'll just put the monitor upside down. Welcome I know that the IBM PS2 monitors were wrapped differently for the Southern Hemisphere. This is stupid talk with Ron and yeah. <laughs> Frank and Curtis. Yeah. Any other, uh, any other comments? Anything there? else from us? Yeah. yeah. Any other questions or comments from the panel and also from the chat? We'll give you probably wrap this up here pretty quick. What's so Frank the, can what's get back to having a life. What's the monitor behind your head, Curtis? Uh, we talked about that before. It's a Magnavox 8515. Is it broken? Nope. Oh. But it is hanging off the edge of the shelf. That's right. Uh, it's, a, it's a 1084 barely, in a different barely. case. For those. It's pretty solidly on there. <laughs> it, it makes me nervous. <laughs> uh, There's a lot of same. other reasons of stuff in this room to be nervous of. That's not one of them. Okay. Well. All right. Well, this is fantastic. This is fun. Yeah, it was. And, and thanks for uh, you know allowing yourself to be embarrassed with old clips and photos of you back in the early 2000s there. <laughs> uh, I'm too old to care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I did really like the story about you know security dragging you off because of your USB charger. Yeah. I, I don't recommend anyone go through that ever. And especially like when Leo was asking you, well, did you get strip search? And you said, no comment. That was. Uh... I didn't get strip search, but I did think that like there was a, a point in time where I was like, oh, great. I'm going to get Mo. I'm never going to see my family again. <laughs> like, that's it. I'm, I'm done for. But, you know, and the uh, whole the, the airlines could sue you thing scared the crap the out of me for a bit. Cleared you. We like out, so you got to pay. Did, do you know if Leo ever had a cocoa or? He had one for a while that I took down to him. It was actually on display at uh, the Twit Studio. Yeah, oh, yeah, I don't know if he ever... He was an Apple guy through and yeah. through when he was younger. Oh, okay. Atari uh, originally. He was an 8-bit Atari person. Yeah. And then uh, Apple, kind of Apple II, and he ran hard with that. Yeah. And he ran hard with the Mac after that as well. Yeah, but I don't think, apart from 
later on. I don't think in his younger days he had a cocoa. I yeah. mean, his younger days was like an abacus chisel and rock. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, he's getting uh, he's getting officially close to retirement age here pretty quick. I think he's sixty. Is he 62, 63? He's, his birthday is the same as mine. I do know that. No, he's got a no. I think he's. I think he's probably sixty-seven now. Well, I'm sixty-eight. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I think he's, he's born in the fifties, if what I remember. Fifty-four, yeah. fifty-three, two. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. Well, he'll never see this then. <laughs> <laughs> he? I, I've tried encouraging him a few times, actually, but uh, have you even actually? I'm gonna have, when this is done, here. I'm gonna ping him on Facebook and send him a link. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> But when he was collecting all those retro machines, because he had old pets and a bunch of stuff that was all donated to him when he had the bigger studio, he had, uh, the Coco was actually in there, the Coco 3. I actually wrote a real program that drew the Twit logo and did some animated palettes stuff that could show off. And if we still had the original Justin TV, that video, Burke actually posted it up on there. But when Justin sold out and became Twitch, they pulled everything off. I totally forgot about it, so it was too late. Time I realized I don't have that anymore. I think I have a picture of it somewhere. I had it on Google+, Plus, which, of course, that's gone now, too. But... Don't ever trust the cloud, folks. That's what I say. Yeah, that's the problem. We all trusted it a bit too much. Yeah. That's why I'm keeping everything. I do have the, the program still, disc. though. I did find it when I was going through these old floppies here. So maybe I'll post it up on the uh, archive at some point. I must say, though, I, I did learn, learn a bunch of stuff from when it was the screensavers or, you know. Yeah, the, show yeah, the old tech good. TV was good. It was great. It was until Paul Allen sold it and then yeah. everything went sideways. Then, then TV execs started being in charge of it, and that was the problem. Luckily, Tech TV was owned by three entities, Paul Allen, Rogers Communication, and I'm trying to remember the parent company of the How-To Network in Australia. Um, I think it was Murdoch, to be honest with you, who owned like the How-To. Murdoch company? Yeah, that owned How-To, or one of his subsidiaries. But uh, when they decided to kind of tank Tech TV and rebranded solely G4, uh, Rogers and the How To said, No, screw that. We're keeping it Tech TV. So Tech TV ran a lot longer in Canada and Australia than it did in the US uh, many years uh, until it finally caved in. And I don't even know if G4, like I haven't had cable in a decade. So I'm not even sure if G4 is still around. Um, but at least. Tech TV kept its identity here in Australia for a long time. Well, they didn't keep it in Australia, but the How To Network essentially bought everything, all the programming. Um, Do you know what G G Four stood for? No idea. Power Mac G Four. No, I'm just kidding. It was a gaming, primarily gaming network, is what it was. I was really, really irritated when they merged with Tech TV and promptly. Discontinued all of all the, the tech, tech stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that was their idea. Right. They wanted the subscriber base, right? The uh, the cable right. subscriber base. That's really all they wanted. But it was like, yeah. oh, don't worry, we're just moving here. But well, but yeah. see, that's why we kept we kept shows like Call for Help and later on Lab with Leo going here uh, because CRTC in Canada requires that a certain percentage of the content be Canadian content, right? So it was like, hell, this is the most popular show that we had. So we're no, we're not rebranding G4. We're going to keep it Tech TV and we're going to start doing the show here, which would qualify uh, for the Canadian content rule. Yeah. But the, the actual G4 uh, satellite channel is doesn't exist anymore. I think there's something just recently come back as a streaming platform, but you know, the, the original G4 over conventional 
cable and satellite television doesn't exist anymore. I think it it became Actually, something Jason, else. Actually, Jason, your brother Ken here saying uh, G4 came back on YouTube and just died. Oh, well, he, yeah. <laughs> no, he's even more up to date then. <laughs> Well, that, like that's I some said, good. That's some good had, news for today. I haven't had cable for like over a decade, so it's quite the drama. Google the new yeah. G four, and I think I think G four became Esquire Network or something, and that was. And I, I lost track after that. Esquire. All right. <laughs> yeah, James Diffendapper in the chat says Tech TV was awesome, but I hated G four. Uh, G four, I didn't mind the first year when they still had a little bit of the old tech stuff. The ones that started going into stupid crap, it was just yeah. Like, once uh, they re- once they brought uh, like Kevin Prayer, I liked, but uh, and I got to know him later on. But once they went down that attack of the show road, it was just like, oh yeah, yeah. you guys are garbage. This. Yeah, totally killing this. So, yeah. yep. All right. Well, I've had a fantastic time. Unless anyone has got any other burning probing questions, I don't. I'm, I asked everything I wanted no. to ask. There's meds for that burning question. Yes, there is. <laughs> I was waiting for someone. There's a cream. There's a cream you can apply. Yeah, as long as you didn't say some sorry, I couldn't standard. help That's it. Good. You 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 walked that one right yeah, out there. I to did. Be... I opened the I opened the door wide open and said, "Come on in." <laughs> okay. David. Wait, 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 I think that's it for questions. I don't the, see any questions in the, the chat. For the show, the other three hours of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thanks a lot for coming on, Frank, and thanks for uh, like I said, absolutely, for, you know, and thank allowing you. yourself to be embarrassed. <laughs> uh, I have no problem, and thank you very much to the Kogo community. You guys have been fantastic in supporting us, Frank. And I would like to say thank you for supporting the communities because you certainly give a a good uh, service to everyone. Gladly, anytime. And I look forward to seeing you at a cocoa fest rather than a truck stop. Yeah, yeah, one (laughs) one that we couldn't even get something to drink at because there was like a leak everywhere. Yeah, that was fun. All right, enjoy the rest of your day, guys. All right, later, later, sir. Bye. You are watching Cocoa Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy-colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original color computer, the Coco 3, and the world-renowned exclusive French Radio Shack. Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Boat and Aaron, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Brian Walsh, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daddy Burrito, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebge, Grant B., Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jay Style, Ken Reichert, Malfunct, Melly, Michael Pitsley, Mike Rayburn, O.G. Hugo, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Retro Tech Time, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Thayer, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you ever so much, patrons. It's time for everyone's favorite segment. Who's new to Discord this week? Atomic Dragon says, Hi, my name is Michael Sashini. I have a Coco 1 and 2, and love to collect retro systems and play retro games. 
I have a number of systems, Sega Genesis, Commodore 64, TI-99 4A, ColecoVision, Nintendo 64, Wii, PlayStation 4 and every Xbox system. Soon, I hope to find a Coco 3 I can afford to purchase to add to my collection. Please accept me into your server. Schema says, well, my real name is Leif, big retro computing fan, focused on Commodores but have a Coco 1 as well that I occasionally dabble with. Proton says. Hi, I'm Kevin and I'm new to the Coco Pie, and I'm wanting to learn from all of you in this great community. For me it's a hobby and admit to being a novice. Thanks everyone. The previous bios were edited for time, thanks to, Grandold Ian, Boys in Tech, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Nightbeard, Glenside Computer Club and the Coco Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.cocotalk.live. See y'all on Discord! It's now Septandy, and the hottest game this video is talking about is... Robot Nightmare. Robot Nightmare. What new accolades are being shown upon... Robot Nightmare. Robot Nightmare. Celebrate Septani by getting your copy of Robot Nightmare. Robot Nightmare. Get it today at kenscococorner.itch.io. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Game On Challenge. And let's see here and share. Um, it should have only seen. Yeah, there it goes. <laughs> and this week, or these previous two weeks, we played Firecopter and Glove. And with Firecopter, we had 16 pilots. And in 16th place, we had Exile in Paradise with 12,880. 15th place, we had Pedro Pena with 30,900. 14th place, Mr. Dave 6309 with 33,540. 13th place, Mark B with 45,070. 12th place, we had Sloopy with 45,080. Damn, we uh, about 10 points. Yeah, what am I doing that's so funny? I mean, I know I'm funny looking, but you can't see me. <laughs> uh, 11th, place, Rich, 11th place, Rich N with 47,020. 10th place, we had Coco Man, who actually used real hardware on the uh, live show. With 53,450. Ninth place, we had Ed Rhodes at 55,050. Eighth place, we had Canadian Retro Things with 57,660. Seventh place, we had Jim Rye at 60,990. Sixth place, we had Sabhead with 61,050. Fifth place, we had Shenley with 62,070. Fourth place, we had Paul Shoemaker at 67,400. 
Third place, we had Eric Oman with 81,150. Second place, we had, 80, we had Brian Walsh with 85,580. And the number one pilot is, I guess this isn't going to be much of a, of a uh, surprise, Buck Owens with 85,810. Coco Talk Thanks salute. for playing. Buck Owens. And we also hey, play. Hey, hey. Buck Owens salute. Matt, go ahead. Woohoo! <laughs> and we also, and we also played Glove or G Love. Ah, Glove sounds better. Glove. Okay. We had six people who threw down the gauntlet. You like what I did there? In sixth place, we had Ed Rhodes with ten thousand four hundred and forty-two. In fifth place, we had Shenley with 16,700. Fourth place, we had Sloopy with 18,540. Third place, Canadian Retro Things with 25,300. Second place, we had AJ of the Sibling Rivalry Show, and she scored 25,860. And the number one spellunker was. Sabhead with 28,480. There is one missing, I do believe, but I could be wrong. Thank you for everyone who played, and game on. Yay! I think uh, Tim Linder was in there too, wasn't he? Yes, that's what I was saying. I know I forgot someone. Maybe my, my subconscious mind was... Uh, was um, getting back at him for all the cheating he's done. <laughs> but uh, no, let me see here. Yeah, I think you uh, were just distraught that uh, Ken beat you on this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tim Lindner was first place on glove with 34,421. You don't have no bait traps down here, right? Nope. Uh, I was just making sure you didn't get into one. No. Sorry, give me one second. Um, He's a hot dog. Hey, two of them for drinking water night. Family emergency. I was I was just playing firecopter here during the segment, and I got seventy six thousand fifty. Yeah. Just 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 uh, towards the end of the interview. <laughs> just uh, so you know, right. it's, it's a fun game. Okay. Pictures or it didn't I'm happen. Good, because you guys had something. Yeah, that's my problem. I never I could figure it out. Oh, I, I could. I could get you a picture. I have it. Well, I was thinking. I, I, I opened the front door and he ran right out there and freaking. Well, that's good. So, all right. Sorry. Um, yeah, when I left, we had a whole bunch of people here. We were discussing what to do about uh, my poor dog. Um, he's uh, he's a chocolate lab, eight years old, and he was not eating anything he was constantly horking so but yeah he just had when i went up there i got i made him a hot dog and he chowed down on that and he seems to be doing better so he's going to my other son's house for a few days so he doesn't have to deal with the other dog here but sorry about that uh sideline <laughs> all right let's see here where was i we were talking about these games <laughs> um <laughs> 
that don't have any hot dogs in them. No, no. I sorry, it's I've I've had him for eight years since he was a pup and <laughs> he's quite on my mind. I understand. So um yeah, uh it seems that uh, Firecopter was much more popular than uh than um Glove. And uh let's see here, where is there is and yeah, I'm not Ken, so I'm not well prepared for this kind of thing. Where is my thing? There's my thing. And so, oh, and I, I put I put my proof in the uh, the uh, game on challenge channel on the Discord server there, Mark. So. Okay. Just, just, just for the sake of proving it. Okay. Not that it counts. <laughs> and where is this? Oh, that's page 12 and 14, 15, 16. So, yeah, fire. I found yeah. Firecopter pretty good, but for such an early game, it really did the 3D pretty good as far as like the calculating the isometric. Really did. Mm -hmm. Really did well on that. Yeah. Um, actually, here is a um, from the Inter Adventure International catalog. Here it was. Um, I don't know the year that it was released. I'm sure. 1982. Kurt, Curtis knows this off the top of his head. <laughs> Curtis knew it off the top of his head before he even got the sentence out. Well, the thing is, I'm the one who sent this to Ken yeah. to forward to you. Yeah, so. Ken, yeah I was going to say, because <laughs> this was from uh, Curtis on Curtis's website. So, um but it was I'm exclusive not. to the Cocoa. Most of the stuff Adventure International sold, like you see Regard Below, which we eventually did get a Cocoa version. wasn't out at this time. Uh, but they made for the Apple, the Atari, the Terra Sadie, you know, later on the PC, etc. Uh, but they had a few exclusives for some of the platforms as well. And Firecopter was exclusive to the cloud computer. And programmed yeah. by, of course, uh, Dale Lear, who also did Doubleback. So, and one of his <laughs> best friends. And uh, <clears throat> one thing I did notice is that it had very good... Uh, um, 3D uh, imaging um, for its time um, because you saw a few programs back that early with 3D um, effects but they didn't really take them into consideration they were more of a visual thing as opposed to part of the game where you would actually be moving in 3D space like this um, there was like the space shooters like the uh, um, like Star Raiders and such, where they, where they uh, implied uh, um, 3D by making things smaller and larger, but the wireframe 3D was not as common. And I thought that was a very interesting effect, and it was well, uh, um, well implemented in, in Firecopter. So anyone else uh, have One any thing I'd say about Firecopter, that is a game that would have really liked being run uh, later on when the Coco 3 came out where we supported two-button joysticks because it is a little mm -hmm. bit awkward, you know, holding down the hose, holding down the button to get your hose to spray the water, but you have to do that really quick click to do the uh, laser fire if you want to take out one of the guards or one of the fire bugs, which sometimes doesn't work when you're 
in the heat of the moment type thing, which, uh, you know, having a second button would have really helped. I'm right. surprised there's not a L. Curtis Boyle patch for that. I didn't involve a six year nonsense in Boyle. Ah. <laughs> and I'm not going to be participating too much here because I'm busy trying to load all the news stories up now that I've, you know, finished the interview and had all those heavy media files loaded up. So please keep right. talking. Um, so the, uh, the other game that we had was um, Glove, which seems to be a gauntlet-type um, clone released in 2006, and it seemed to be pretty good. Um, yeah, it's cross-platform. It auto-detects uh, if you have 32K or 64K because it buffers more stuff if you have 64. It auto-detects if you're on a Dragon 32 or 64 and adjusts the keyboard reading for that as well. So, And uh, if you guys remember the 3D Death Chase we played not too long ago, it's actually by the same author, uh, James McKay. Nice. Any other thing to lend to us while you're not uh, paying attention and uh, queuing up the news? Um, well, it's, it's a multiplayer simultaneous game. Um, it's actually a little bit closer to the arcade, I think, honestly, than Gantlet is. Uh, not as close as Gantlet 2 was um, by DICOM. But uh, they tried to keep it really close to the original Um in a lower res, obviously, but uh, I also did like the fact that they changed the color sets. So when you're on different levels, you know, you get your white background, sometimes you get the green, etc. Right. Um, so it kind of varies it up a little bit instead of just the same boring four colors, especially if you pick that pasta one to begin. It. And the fact it's a fat binary and works on the dragon and the cocoa properly without any patches or load an alternative version was quite nice. Yeah. There's also a comment from that guy that makes the 10 same games over and over again. And he says, is there an easy version called Kid Gloves? <laughs> so, all right. I'm going to stop floundering here and uh, we're going to announce the game for next week. And speaking of uh, games that are uh, done multiple times, I actually was given the task of, uh, of uh, consorting with the... Uh, game uh game on high council to choose the game and uh i decided to turn around and find a uh person who plays with us on occasion and ask them to choose a game and they have chosen one and the game they have chosen uh, is galactic attack as uh some of us may be familiar with which is a uh We've played very, uh, several, several similar type games, but not this one. Um, like Demon Attack, uh, Galax Attack, and such. So hopefully uh, the High Council will not shoot me for picking a <laughs> another shoot-up-the-screen shoot, shoot, uh, shoot up the screen, uh, type game. And, 4K uh, it works on. Yep. Yeah, on cartridge. It'll take 16K yep. if you're loading up disc or tape. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm more of a Coco one type game person. So I prefer the, uh, the, uh, earlier stuff. So, um, get your joysticks ready and, uh, get loaded up and then join us on Friday when we play on the, uh, on the stream. And that is going to be the end of my floundering of the 
game. I'll add one thing. I'll add one thing about Galactic Attack, uh, just for people who are aware. It is designed for analog joysticks because when you move your joystick, you're not just moving left, right, or center. You're moving to the relative position of the joystick on the x-axis. So if you move the joystick three quarters of the way, your ship will move till it's three quarters of the way across the screen. Oof. So it's not one that is friendly for digital joysticks. Ah, so I just want to so make sure people are aware of that. Well, then people will know by that fact alone that I didn't <laughs> choose the game. <laughs> Whip out the trackball for this one. Yeah. So, so it's a it's a Black Beauty game. Yep. Or a deluxe with or the deluxe. the centering auto centering shut off. Or the white code. So. Well, I hand it back to uh, to you, Mark. Um, and if you need a analog joystick. Uh, Computer Connect has some. Actually, we don't. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. Are you sold out? You're out? We're between runs. The ones I have left are all the uh, product children that are going to require a little more work. So uh, they, don't, they aren't centered properly from the factory and can't be made centered. So I have to uh, unmelt the melted plastic. And But there's there's more. But you we failed don't me for the last time, Rick. Yes, yes. I failed again. Do you, do you have an estimated time on when those will be available, Rick? Um, no, they'll be trickling out as I have time. I've got, I'm starting to get into the Ed Snyder situation of, oh, I need to make these and I need to make that. I need to update the site and I need to write a new blog post and I need to. <laughs> so, well, tw- time to make the donuts. 2023 is uh, three months away or so, isn't it? Donuts. He's got mainly all network ports, but still, donuts. <laughs> <laughs> all right do we need another commercial break for you to catch up or well i thought it like we didn't have too long of a, a thing here so does anybody have any project updates or acquisitions while i finish loading all the pages up um, sure i can throw some things out that will update take it away rick okay i'll give it a shot let me change to um first i will show a proper os9 boot ah thank god finally um, from this morning. <laughs> With no drive wire? Well, no drive wire yet, but you'll notice we don't need no stinking clock. There we go. I'm getting out oh. off the network. Nice. All right. Now, now I've got the panel off your face, so go ahead. So oh. It's got a real-time clock. <laughs> Over the network. Right. We'll, we'll just ask somebody. We don't need to know ourselves. And then uh, the, the Nick Verante's project update. We are working on the four four voice Orc 90. That's we're calling the Orc 180. I was going to say I have everything but these few parts. But then Janko stopped by just before the show and gave me all of these parts. Oh. So I can finish it now. And then, unfortunately, I did get this. This is a heater blend door for a teen, 20 teens Camaro. Google that on YouTube sometime if you want to see a hard break. I'm going to have to install that thing. So you got to take the dash down to nothing. Well, no, you have to take out the seat, crawl under the dash, remove the BCM, um, cut a hole in the side. Otherwise, it's a $3,000 job because you got to take out the windshield and the dash. And so that was, uh, what? Sorry. What is Tell it? us the uh, orc board again. I, I missed it just a second ago. Oh, sure. I just won't go. 
Let me <laughs> okay. We so start of the news. Here's the state of the prototype at this point. Um, and right. the parts that are missing just came in from Jamco, which is my supplier of third resort. Um, I've finished the GAL program, so I think I'll be able to test this pretty soon. So and this isn't the version that you showed me that doesn't have the ROM. Oh, here's the here's the the thing we're prototyping towards, which fits in the game pack. All right, yeah. But that first one, it's got room for ROM. I can check the audio. I'm not sure about my balancing because you have to balance four channels into two channels and then the two channels into one channel so that all your various outputs all are the same. You can't have all four voices just blast into a CM8 speaker. That thing would go poof and smoke would come out. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got to Cone be coming out. You'd be able to do one explosion once with, right. with, with really a lot awesome. of realism. Hold my beer. Be the best sounding explosion sound effect ever done by a sound chip. But and then you would need a new speaker for your CMA. So, um, anyway, right. that's that's where I've been headed and where I'm going. Oh yeah, I also have. Uh, where's my face? My face back on. I've also made all these network cards. So if you need a clock, I have a very expensive clock with better software in the wings. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Nice. So, so all the all the bugs with the various cocos have been ironed out now, basically. Um, not yet. Um, I think what we need is a a faster gal chip for the protector three. So that's the backordered thing that I've been given the over under dates on. Um, that that will probably make up for the that extra chip that the protector has that's kind of getting us out of sync, and then the. Uh, I still haven't figured out what to do about the 86 Coco 6309 running 6309 nitrous because it works with 6809 nitrous. So I'd kind of need to know what specifically might, and I have no idea. Yeah, that's the odd one. All the others in common is the protector board. No. But the one with speed the, because of native mode? Because I mean, 639 Nitrous is running a lot of instructions faster that, than that's, that's got to be. There's something with the 86 Gimme versus native mode that the 86 Gimme in not native mode Nitrous, because all you have to do is run not native, the 6809 Nitrous, and it works. And 6309 Nitrous, and it fails. But now this and is only a, on the 86, it works on the 87. But yes, no, the 87 gimme and 6309, you're gold. So it, it, there's something weird, some tiny little thing, but I don't have one, so I can't really pick at it too hard. I'm going to have to, I made a 6809, I mean, I made an 86 gimme with a 6309, and it doesn't run nitrous reliably at all. <laughs> it's not a very... Oh, even without the network? Right, just, just yeah, just a Tandy 512K, old gimme, new 6309. It'll run till it doesn't, and then it'll boot if it wants to, and then it, yeah. you you said you have a Tandy original memory upgrade in there though. I've got well, I've got two Tandys, the two AXX numbers. I've got a Disto, and oh, I was wondering, are you running like one the older one fifty nanosecond chips that some of them had, which oh, did I, have I, problems with been, the speed? It's been around the block. Because I know some of the upgrades later on put one twenties that solved some of those timing problems, yeah, even on the original pre six zero nine. Exactly. Yeah. No, I've tried 150s and 120s and a PP and a Disto and both Tandys. And I just. 
I mean, we move timings around so much and you'd think I would have stumbled across something that worked by now and I just haven't, but uh, we're still going with that. So yeah, there's still the, the two specific hardware combinations that don't work yet, but don't give up. We haven't, um, but for everyone else, I guess we could use a few out there. So people will. Has anybody tried it with a Gimme X yet? Nope. Uh, again, a thing I don't have. <laughs> but I'd sure like one. Uh, you, you want an engineering sample there, Curtis? I bet you don't have time to mess with it. But uh, uh, yeah, that's the one thing I don't want to. I don't want you to like send out hardware that I can't touch for a year type thing. So right, because I'll probably have a different one by then. <laughs> so, which yeah, we're looking at things like uh, you know trying to work in a boot ROM and some other things like that, but. First, we got to get a couple units sold. And, you know. But yeah, the, the boot run would look like this. <laughs> and so far, we are in on that thing. So, anyway. Yay, discless workstations. <laughs> I do like the real time clock thing, though. So maybe I should force time. Well, yeah. And if I can get this working, I mean, here's here's my. My newest idea for the, the, we got rid of the serial port since you can't buy the dang things. And I've stuck a ROM in this place. And uh, focus, think. And it still nightly fit, neatly fits in a ROM pack. And if I can get the ROM figured out, and uh, Henry gets his boot code figured out, maybe not next Cocoa Fest, but the one after that, you won't need anything but stick this in the side of your cocoa and. No multi-pack and away you go. Cool. Definitely progress being made, which is good to see. Yeah, I'm glad that I went the the easy, the easy route rather than the most complete route, because we might actually get some code done in my lifetime. Like I say, I'm old. <laughs> how big a how big a ROM will that hold? This is just a 2K to fit slot where the disk spacing ROM is. Okay. That's exactly what it's going to do. And then I'm okay. actually working on a more complex triple layer where you have the disk basic ROM and then you have the registers from the, the network chip. And so when you boot, cart triggers the disk basic ROM, but then cart is switched to the interrupt and then the network chip switches its IO to where the disk basic ROM was. So this is all in RAM now. You've got 16K of, of Ethernet in RAM that you don't have to transfer into RAM and out of RAM. You can just work on it from the chip on the bus. Cool. So um, that will get us some some uh, decent games and stuff because you don't have the 8-bit, you know, just the whole, okay, I've got to take this 2K and put it over here before I can do anything with it. Then I can do something with it. Then I can take the 2K and put it back out over here and I can send it to somebody. No, just work on what you need to change in your little block and you're done. <laughs> So anyway, that, that's my big plans. We'll see how far it goes. So you can finally get that uh, cross-platform network racing game that uh, Mark likes on the app. Right, right. Uh, that's interesting. It, I saw the likes. 2017. I saw the 2017 Coco Talk, or one in like July of 2017, and Mark was mentioning wanting to put games on the network for Coco. So let's get to going. <laughs> I've been planning this for a long time. I actually following the chat here, so I was kind of a little bit out of the loop for part of this because I was busy loading up tabs here. But there was some talk about cocoa and cars. 
And uh, there is a Coyota project that Boise had published. Unfortunately, his page is down. I did find I have a printout of it, so I'm going to have to scan that and put it up in the archive too. But he actually installed the Coco 2 with a ROM bootable OS 9 in his truck, and it would monitor some of the stuff from the, the truck sensors and things. Hmm. Does anyone have that software? I would sure like to see ROM boot OS 9. It was available. Well, Boise for- definitely had it because he... He made it for that project in, in particular. Right, right. And it, so Boise would be one, probably the one to contact. I should mention <clears throat> publicly here, we are going to be doing further episodes of the 30th anniversary of Nitrous 9 because we only covered the first 10 years on the first one. So I've been contacted with Boise and we're going to do a part two probably in October sometime. Now, Boise's not available on weekends. So we might have to record this in the evening on a weekday, but I do want it to be live so people could ask questions. But we're going to go through like when we pass it to him as an open source project and they start doing development tools and this predates LWASM and stuff. But kind of go through that history and then do a third one where a whole bunch of community people like Tormod and, and David Ladd's mentioned there, Tim Linder's mentioned in there. There's a whole bunch of people, Robert Galt and a bunch of others that started contributing kind of the third phase. And I will go up to ease of use. We have done enough ease of use separately, so I'm not going to include that in this I'll, I'll save the ease of use until 1.0.0 is released before the end of the year. Um, so we'll just make that as a kind of a promo thing. But there will be two more episodes coming, probably October sometime and probably November for the third one, uh, which will kind of cover the, you know, up till 2016, 2017 era. And uh, then uh, by the end of the year, we'll have the release of uh, version one and we can kind of go through that. Then that's one Rick wants because it has the fixes for the uh, menu handling and multi view. So I do want to mention that uh, we are currently figuring out who's going to be on when. We've got to figure out what day to do it. We'll try to give you guys as much lead time as possible so you guys can come in live and ask questions. Uh, Sloopy, you had something? Yeah. Um, I got a couple acquisitions from uh, VCF Midwest. Um, first one. Oh, a, a later model, Coca-1. Yeah, it it was pretty dirty when I got it. Um, it's actually been cleaned twice since then, but it's been abused. Uh, if you can see the keys, a lot of them are pushed down and don't come back up unless you uh, crunchy convince them. And that case uh, isn't. And black. it's well worn. You can see how much the wrist area has been worn down to the white plastic. Yeah, and the door flap is stuck up. And uh, that's what she said. <laughs> the reset button is uh, yeah. Um, I got this for uh, 20 bucks. I, I can tell you what's comp to today available switch will fit that. Does it turn on? I have not tested it. Um, quite what's honestly. the serial number? Um, let's see here. <laughs> but hashtag rhetorical question thanks That's, Jason <laughs> hey it's a 3004 not a 3004A oh, it, it's not Canadian then no um, <clears throat> yeah I mean I, I actually got it because I got a, a Coco one at uh, at Coco Fest that uh, had a few problems and that's more for parts than anything else because I've got that one and another one that it needs to be that needs to be uh, fixed. So, and the case is well loved, obviously. The other thing of cocoa interest that I got at uh, DCF Midwest. 
SDC. And SDC. Yep. In case. So someone was selling SDCs at VCF Midwest. They had three used ones. And I um I said, please, can I have one? And they said, sure. And I got one of the three. Um and it was funny because there was a couple people when Frank was on, I, that's why I asked, well, I said that people were looking for him because, uh, people were asking, Hey, do you know anyone who's selling them? And I'm like, no, not that I know of here. Um, but I did mention that, uh, he's selling them new and that he has them in stock. So, yeah. Um, and he was planning on being at BCF, but because of the family emergency, he wasn't able to make it. Right. I didn't know that he was, was supposed to be there. I, Otherwise, I would have mentioned that because I, at that point, I didn't know that he was supposed to be there and, and wasn't. But I did did mention that he would he did have them and and had them in stock ready for shipping. Um, and people actually offered to buy it from me, and I was like, no, I can't really do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like shocked because one person actually offered me a hundred and fifty for it. Ooh, holy cow! Yeah. And I was like, well, 72 bucks at Retro Rewind, folks. Yeah. I said, <laughs> you can you can buy it with case uh, online for like 80 to 100. So they're like, well, I don't like waiting for things. Well, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> if I had another uh, one, I do. would. <laughs> well, just tell them to come to Coco Fest now, I guess, if you're still in contact with them, because uh, Frank is planning on being there and he'll have them in stock there, too. So now it was just someone that was walking by that that I talked to a little bit because I had the, uh, my Coco set up there. And Did you, you didn't have to catch their name. Cause obviously it's somebody that's not a regular. No, I showing. didn't. Cause they, they basically didn't really talk to me a whole lot. They just said, um, they saw that I had two of them because I had my original one and then I had gotten that one and they were just stacked on each other and they were asking me if I was selling it. And I was like, unfortunately, no, I just got that. And, and I, and they were like, well, who was selling them? And I said, well, it was someone had three used ones and they, they, uh, they had already sold them all. And I actually got it from the person that bought them. So I didn't even, I don't even know who was selling them. So. By the way, Frank said after hearing that offer for up to 150 bucks for it, he says it's time to increase our prices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, nice, well nice let me, <laughs> let me put it this way. It, it, I was seriously considering actually letting it go for that much because i figured for that you could buy two new ones two one (laughs) two of them but the only reason why i kept it is because i wanted i wanted one of each of the three major made ones uh the um one from uh, zipster one from uh um retro rewind and the other one made by uh uh what's boys tech yeah boys and uh so now i have one of each um so what's that Coco SDCs. Yes. Yeah. Well, there is a fourth one. There's the one made by Darren. Darren himself. Yeah, the really early yeah. ones. Well, there was I only right. 40 of those, though. I'll, I'll sell you mine for 200. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 200 Australian. What? That's like yeah, that's only be about 120 right. bucks there. So. <laughs> 200 Australian. 50, all right. I got 50 bucks for you. And, and then 50 <laughs> bucks to ship it. 50. Oh, that's probably more like 100. I wish. <laughs> So, yeah, Karen's mentioning the chat. He says he has a Darren one. Yeah. So um, I got a couple other things, but nothing that was Coco related. 
So, and unfortunately, most of the stuff is still in my van because I haven't brought it in. And I mean, literally, I just went at while uh, Rick was talking about the uh, network card. I actually went out to the car to grab the cocoa one so that I could show you. But uh, yeah, I I did get a few other things, but not much. Uh, I um, I only spent uh, like a hundred bucks. Yeah, that was it. Hundred bucks. <laughs> that's yeah, what you that's tell your better half all the time, right? No, she's not here. <laughs> now, speaking of follow-up on VCF Midwest here, since it was a very successful show from the looks of it, and we had quite a few Cocoa people represented, I was going to ask Jason, since you're the, I think, the only one else in the panel that was actually there. Uh, how how was it for you? Like, did you get a lot of interest at the Cocoa booth? Did you sell a lot of product? Or uh, I got uh, I got a lot of interest. I talked to a lot of people. Uh, I didn't bring a lot of stuff. I mean, all the switcheroos I bought, I sold out of. Um, the other thing I had a lot of was the Apple Two GS skirt cables, and I did sell out of those right before I left. And uh, I think I even sold some drive wire cables. But uh, a lot of, just a lot of uh, people interested in the cocoa, or uh, you know, a lot of people. Oh, I remember those, or I had one of those. But uh, so I think I, I did more chatting than selling, but I still had a great time. Okay, because I'd asked Ken uh, Waters, Kenny Retro, things about it, and he, he he said it was not as much interest as he was expecting, I guess, compared to maybe some of the other machines. I mean, obviously, you know, the Commodore's and the Tars being more popular, but he yeah, thought it was a little bit less interest, except for people that already had Cocoa. Like, I was asking specifically how many people that are new to the Cocoa were coming up and asking questions about it versus, you know, the, the people that already are in the community and just looking for some hardware. That's because right. he was so busy off talking to other people and singing and having fun. <laughs> but uh, the best part of VCF Midwest was when I got home. I came home and there was a package on my desk. And that package contained this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So sold sold all four copies of those at, uh, at uh, VCF also. Had, yeah. had, had limited copies for limited copies. And I'm sure Ken's out there listening. Uh, may I suggest a name change for the game? How about Deja Vu Nightmare? Because there's like 11 different types of this game on already out there. <laughs> <laughs> I think there were 10 and that's the 11. So it goes yeah. to 11. Oh, yeah, I can't mention it goes to 11. Or, or he could make another one that's very similar and call that Deja Vu Nightmare. Yeah. So another another sequel. That's where that's where you avoid avoid robots on the road on your way to VCF. <laughs> <laughs> and especially mm -hmm. the ones sitting on a couch. <laughs> yes. Yeah, did yeah. China make a car out of a couch? We could drive that. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for that, Sleepy. And, and thanks, Jason, for the report. It sounds like you actually did fairly well. If you sold out, it sounds like you sold out of several of the things you brought. Several Switch things. But there was kind of a whole cocoa corner right there. They had all that... All I don't know. Well, I was asking the question about uh, VCF. Like, obviously, they got the different sections, you know, for each type of computer, like the Coco Corner, the right. Tier City Tandy, the Atari. That 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 talks about the vendors and the and the people doing displays. I, I'm talking about the general public. Do they generally just tend to go to the machine they grew up with and ignore everything else, or do they really spread out and kind of try to learn about everything new? Like, did you no. see a lot of people that were not Coco people at the Coco yeah. Corner? People generally will go through the whole place because, I mean, it's like three main rooms and the first two rooms are microcomputers. And then the last one is uh, the big iron, large uh, mini and uh, and computers and such. 
And what are they paying to get in? They what? What are they paying to get in? Nothing. Uh, It's free. It's completely free. Um, They, uh, yeah, and it's people will walk through, like, they'll go to the sections that they're interested in, and then they'll continue walking through the other sections. And like people that are there that are like looking at stuff that they're they're not is not their primary interest they'll continue to look and they'll ask questions but they don't really stick around those sections too long they'll just continue on looking at other things but yeah it's it's kind of a mix with the way they have it so that you you when you're walking through in order to be able to see everything you have to go through all the sections but they didn't uh but no one really sticks to like one section. I mean, like the people that are displaying uh, their stuff, they'll they'll mostly stay stay with one section, but they'll also go out and look at the other stuff too. Okay, that was one thing I was wondering. But like I said, it sounded like from what the way Ken was talking that uh, he wasn't seeing much interest from outside the Coca community, at least at where his his display was. And it maybe he just doesn't know some of the people, and maybe he. Well, I think the big problem is is that people just don't understand the power of OS nine. Well, that's my precise point. So, right. I mean, you need you need to have a big sign that says OS nine here. You brown noser over there. I see. Yeah. Actually, I think what most people when I try talking about nitrous nine do the same reaction that uh, Jason just did. They bang their head against a wall. Yeah. So, I just close my ear flaps. So. I'm just going to have to attend to take over the whole damn Cocoa Corner, I guess. That's what's going to have to happen. Oh, it's going to be Nitrous 9 everywhere. I mean, yeah. it's going to be Nitrous that, 9 Corner. Damn, you know, screw this Cocoa stuff. And that third room <laughs> with all the big stuff. I mean, they even had like racks of stuff that, you know, cable head ends used to use to run like the local version of the Weather Channel. So several different yeah, generations yeah. of it over there. It was like, yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't get away with it because I actually uh, get away from OS 9 because I was outside talking to this gentleman and we were we were outside talking and he actually brought a um gimmicks computer yeah so we saw the pictures of that when people were walking by and that's yeah. like that's the big iron always saying yeah and it was it was funny because he was talking about how it was made in the chicago area yep. but it was. was sold up to canada and like out in in like vancouver area and he bought it and had it shipped back to the U.S. to the Chicago area where he lived uh, because he wanted one. And yeah, I mean they were sold worldwide. NASA bought some. Yeah, just yeah. An example. And you were definitely mentioned for him to contact and talk to him about it, and because it was somewhat like talking to you about OS nine. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It's like a religious cult, really. It was um, yeah, because it was funny because Ken walks up and I says, "There's two of them." And he goes, he looks at me, he goes, what do you mean? There's two of them. I said, this, this is, this is L Curtis Boyle before EOU. He goes, really? I said, yeah, he even has a gimmicks. And they started talking and I don't know, I closed my ear flaps because they started talking OS nine. So I I need this guy's name. And then Rick, you and I are going to set up a real time clock over a network type (coughs) thing. We're going to take over the whole damn corner next year. Okay. (laughs) There we go. uh, But can, but can this fellow solder? Um, I think I'm the only one who can't in the Coca community as a whole, really. Um, Yeah, He probably (laughs) could. could. I mean, he seems pretty knowledgeable and very uh, hardware oriented as in addition to software. So it's a very real possibility. He's uh, L. Curtis Boyle 2.0. 
<laughs> I, I hope he comes to Coco Fest. Seriously, I would like, love to meet him because yeah, I've, I've well, met a couple of the gimmicks guys like way back in Rainbow Fest era, but that mm-hmm. was before I knew much about the operating system or even gimmicks, but yeah. matter. Well, we told him about it and let him know about the show and, oh, and the did. Discord and um, told him about the, 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 um, the Coco Fest and oh. that it was local. And he said he would try to attend whether he would uh, bring it or not or, or be a demonstrator on it or not. Um, he, wa- he wasn't 100% sure, but I'm sure that if he realized the interest that it would generate there as opposed to VCF Midwest, he would probably be more likely to bring it. I don't know. We I, I, we uh, we handed out quite a bit of Coco Fest flyers. Had those uh, available there in Coco Corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the plus where, on the big TV when you guys went in to register and stuff, it was one of the rotating yep. ads too. So yep. I had enough people asking about Coco Fest for me. Instead of having to send them down a little further down Coco Corner, Grant brought me some flyers down to my table, so we had those down there too. So yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was next to Ken, who was next to the uh, Coco, uh, well, Glenside uh, table. And I just said, right down there, you can get a flyer to learn all about it. So I'm going to have to swear uh, uh, solidarity here with, with Fred Provancha because he says, I can't solder either. So I'm, I'm finally, I've met another Coco person that doesn't know how to solder besides myself. How's Andark 3 coming? <laughs> <laughs> He's busy working on Control 3 for uh, Nitrous 9 here, giving mm-hmm. some time. Mm-hmm. Priorities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, it sounds like it was a great show I, I would love to go down at just the time of year is my is literally the worst time of year they could possibly pick so when frank mentioned they're actually looking at doing one in canada a little bit earlier in the year that might be something i could attend and, and toronto's near enough to some you know like chicago and detroit and a lot of people grand rapids like ball there etc that would be nice to have you guys come up you know and visit Canuckstan instead So, I just have to more, renew my passport. Any more updates and acquisitions? Yeah, I got my tabs <laughs> up now, so I can I quit vamping. Oh, that wasn't the news. Oh Ron, my no, goodness, no, no. Ron's garage, <laughs> real quick. Sure, and I'm Nick Marini, so I'll just mention I'm going to throw show your promo. We can talk about some changes to it, but we'll do that as part of the game on news. So go ahead, Ron. Okay. Unless you want the intro first, uh, Mark. Nah, do you okay. have the? I'll just, I'll just share. It's been long. Okay. Right. Yeah. Go for it. All right, let's see if this is correct. I can throw his title up, though. We're good. And, and Pedro, that's a horrible joke. That's just you, like pun groaning fantastic there. Are you In seeing it? No. <laughs> nope. You don't see, see Ron's garage? I see you. How about now? You're not sharing no. yet? You see sharing. you in the background. What? Oh, I have to hit share. I don't know, I don't know if anyone else. <laughs> you know, have to hit share to share. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Where is Sophia Lauren for you guys? I don't know if anyone else is seeing this, but on uh, no? YouTube for me, it's uh, the resolution of the stream is very low. Oh, that's just the Coco graphic screen. Yeah, that's ah. what it is. It's looking fine for me on YouTube. I have a long delay, but it looks fine. I thought it was the 40th birthday of the uh, 6309, but it was not, according to L. Curtis Boyle. Yeah, I understand the confusion. I might as well explain this a little bit, because you had put up the 40th anniversary of the 6309. Um, It's not. I actually have a copy in PDF of the 
Hitachi 1985 catalog with all the specs for everything they manufactured. It's like 800 pages. Mm-hmm. And um, they announced this HD 6309 as basically coming soon is what it says. Um, so it got released in October of that year, if I remember from the OFM magazines. I think what the confusion was is that they did make, they were a second source from Motorola for the 6809. And they did make an HD 6809, which has no extra features. It's basically just a 6809 manufactured by somebody else on behalf of Motorola. That one, I think, came out in 82. So I think so it was they, the fourth anniversary of the second source, you know, not coming from Motorola. Okay, gotcha. So you're, it was partly right, but it was the wrong chip. It was a 6809, not the 6309. All right. So uh, you get partial credit. I fixed it accordingly and put the 37th back up instead. So then um, I made this for the Coco 3. If you want to download it, you can. And that's your proposed artwork for the T-shirts and the posters for Coco Fest? Yep, we can have T-shirts made. That would be cool. I agree. uh, There it is on the hardware. I thought it looked pretty cool. Shows up nice, big and bold. And then uh, talked about the mouse a little bit. That sucker is really something. If you drop it, it it falls. It makes a loud noise, and you figure, well, that sucker's broke now. <laughs> yeah, don't get mad so, playing a game with this and huck it across the room because you will put a hole through your wall. That's for sure. <laughs> it's heavy. That's got real balls in it. Yeah. Steel, yeah, steel balls. Steel yeah. balls. If you have a pinball machine and the ball goes missing for some reason, you can probably just pop this one out and throw it in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I've had this for years and um, it's fallen maybe a hundred times and uh, it still works just as good as ever. I had one break. I opened it up and I was able to super glue the part back together and it worked fine. In fact, this may be the one, but it still works. There's not a, I guess they don't have to be very tolerant for, um, you know, being able to register the movements and stuff. Because, you know, even as they get old, it, they seem to still work just the same, you know? Yeah, and I think the the, the, the original one-button black color mouse, I think, actually is a bit more robust than the two-button white deluxe one. True. Because that one, the button switches seem to go fairly quickly. Whereas yeah. the the black one, I don't think I've ever seen actually really have a problem even with the switch. And this is what a CM8 box looks like, if you've ever wondered. <laughs> yeah, but it's false advertising because it has a door on the picture. Yeah, (laughs) they don't come that way natively anymore. (laughs) No. (laughs) Then I pulled out a gray machine and put it together and started fooling around with it. This is a 6809 with a Coco 2 keyboard in it. And Worlds of Flight Flight is up. And uh, I put the speech and sound pack in it and started playing for different games. And I found a couple that I really wasn't aware of that used the thing. And it was neat to hear it speak. And then, Right, all of a sudden, guys come on and say, "Oh my God, it's Worlds of Flight!" I didn't know we could use the speech and sound pack on that, and you can't. It's just the picture I put up. It doesn't mean that it's using that <laughs> particular one. <laughs> come on, you guys! You know, so and isn't this cool? A USB sixty-four gigabyte um, stick, but somebody figured out how to light up uh an old um what do you call those things vacuum tube <laughs> vacuum tube say vacuum tube That's yeah, not and, and really if you think of it this thing isn't lit up at all is it right right because those things usually glow like a reddish color well, 
nowadays they they light up the base of real tubes like this to make it look cool because you can't see the heaters in modern tubes really. Yeah. So I have a bunch of guitar stuff that has tubes in it, and they've put yellow LEDs underneath it to light it up like that, because then it looks like a real tube. Yeah, even though it is a real tube. Well, but if you know how they work, you know, and you're old like I am, <laughs> you know that these things light up red. Yeah, and they have a little case for it and everything to to hold it when it's you're cool. not using it. Now, Does it get as warm as a real tube? Well, yeah, can I heat up my easy. room like my 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 tube based amp does? Yeah, it's an it. LED in the base of an old mini tube. Yeah. So no, no <laughs> problem, problem. And if it broke, it wouldn't make a loud pop or anything, would it? So it might be a real tube. actual mini tube in there. Yeah, it's probably a real vacuum tube. tube. You think so? Just, just junk tubes. They yeah, the LED under it and put a tap it with a hammer. See what oh. happens. Crazy. Right. There you go. <laughs> Here's a colorful bird, a Boyd. I pulled this out and I thought of a uh, microcomputer, the word. And I'm thinking, uh, gosh, they only used it for a certain period of time. And then now we rarely use it anymore. And then Ian Maverick said this. I still use it as a columnist for the TRS 8-bit newsletter. I find it convenient when discussing our machines in particular rather than present day computers in general so i thought that was interesting yeah ian's one of the main uh, hosts of trash talk to the podcast yeah the show. so i thought that was cool and it's neat to see different people come on my uh, stupid page <laughs> here's a, a color computer running at 70 megahertz and it's still working just kidding it's just uh i stuck a led in there and I thought it was cool. To it's like racing out. stripes on a car. Yeah. <laughs> More TV magic. Uh, absolutely no function at all except cool. It's cool coming out. And what else do I got today? Oh, the, the new Chrysler 300 was unveiled this last week. And it's uh, the last one. You can buy it for $55,000 if you have it. This is uh, Demon Seed, which is a really cool game. Did you guys ever play this thing? Yeah, it was actually uh, one of the Game on Challenges about a year or two ago. Wow, it's great. I it's mean, basically a Clone of Phoenix from the arcade game. If but but for, for a Coco 1 or 2, I mean, it has a lot of stuff going on and it makes cool sounds, you know? Yeah, it's a good got, game. Computer Shack slash Mictron are one of their classics. Uh, they made I, a Model I, 1 and 3 version as well. Oh. I happen to have a uh, 6309 in this particular machine. This was a 16K that I upgraded and put uh, the extra ROM in all by myself. And I was so happy I did that. Look at you, like, you hardware guru. Some, some you. kind of a, yeah, some kind of a tech guy I am. A <laughs> big deal. Next next upgrade I do, I'll get you to solder for me, okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the 40th anniversary of the C64. I thought I would put a picture up. And then I get a whole bunch of crap from people on here. You know, well, are you, are you sure you, you know, because I don't have one. I, I never used it. And I mentioned that. And then they get all pissed off because I, you know, I said. Well, it was like Frank was talking about, like the 8-bit, you know, playground yeah. wars uh, should be over, but there's still some yeah, so residual I thought, effect. I thought basically it would be a nice little homage or however they say that to the. You know, C64, there's, there's, you know, we're saying good boys. You did good, you know? 
Yeah. I think go. it's still the single best-selling single model of a computer of all time, isn't it? Yeah. And this is a high-color image. So it's, uh, you know, 300, 320 by two, 200. So anyway, that's about it. I found crayons that, that come in 16, 32, and 48, just like uh, the old Model 1 uh, computer comes with that size of memory, right? Oh, I thought you were referring to the color palette there. You know, 16 no. is like Guitar and Coco 3, and 32 is the Amiga. And nah. I was trying to remember a 48 color machine. Yeah, I guess you could take it that way. But I, I walked by it, I took a picture of it and thought, no, oh God, that's, that's something interesting that takes up time and that's dumb to talk about. And then there's this um, video. Reviving retro computers. Yeah, actually, I have that queued up in the news too. So I do oh, will be talking about this. Okay. So. That right, is cool. Well, that was one I stole from you. Sorry. All right. Cool. <laughs> All right. And here's the Coco Fest shirt that I designed. Don't you think that would be cool? You think I should get votes for that? From that I would. Group? I mean, one one thing I missed on the last one I got from 2018 is that it doesn't have the dates on it. I think I talked about this last yeah, week where I'm for having one so I can look at it 10 years from now and remember where the hell I was. So, yeah. And when. I, yes, I definitely one. prefer this with the date on it. Yep. And here it is close up. That would be the actual print. I do have one question. Yep. You've got a Coco 3. You've got a Coco 2. Yep. Where's the Coco 1? Yeah. You know, it clutters it up. You oh. already know it's the same. Come on. Same so thing. It's smaller print. Do you want to put the, uh, like the city is being hosted in? No. It says Chicago. Right there. See it? That's it. Here's uh, the queen mother with the uh, uh, dragon logo on the side. <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought that was interesting. <laughs> hey, look at that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all for us over here at uh, Ron's Large Industrial Garage. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Cool. I just, I burn up so much time, you know, because I'm retired. And now you guys share in my foolishness. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be sharing your one foolish story there. Actually, right. it's quite interesting. So cool. Anybody else have any project updates or acquisitions? Um, you can see you my excellent new standing desk. Which is my, my face right now. Isn't it a beaut? Was that uh, like a, a palette? <laughs> it's a wood crate, fruit crate. Yeah, it's it's a wood crate box. I had to do a bunch of work, so I had to do it. Walk to the computer and away many times. So I invented the standing desk. Oh, <laughs> oh okay, good idea. <laughs> the epitome of laziness. Well, exactly right. And I'll frugality, we prefer to call it here. Yeah, Save frugality. That's exactly what it is. And I'll never use it again. So it worked out, but you know. Standing some people desk. say lazy, some say inspired. Just just before I was retired, they had put one in my office, and we were required to stand for some a sit sit stand, yeah, and sit some percentage of the day. And oh, never mind, I'm getting I'm making this longer than it needs to be. It's asparagus. <laughs> right, this is the dog. You'll be shouting that a lot during the news segment. So news next week. Uh, I can power through <laughs> with Septandy. The problem is, if I wait a week, there's going to be a ton every week anyway until Septandy's over. Right. So, ready for the intro? Unless you want a seven hour show next week. Uh, let's do it. I got to turn that off. And...
From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Christmas. And now a Muppet News Flash. Okay, go ahead. It's yours. Go ahead. Did you sing that? Alan from Macy's? Yep. yep. It's on. This is actually a pretty interesting one. So Alan, of course, has been working on, uh, you know, hardware, graphics enhancement hardware for the Cocoa 1 and 2, sprite chips, etc. So this was a little bit different. So he uh, released the video here that describes it. And also a patch. There's a couple of small bugs he discovered in the Cocoa version of Canyon Climber, because, of course, that was a cross-platform, the Atari 8-bits and stuff as well, uh, mainly affecting the third level. And then he's also patched it to use some of the new palette settings he's got on his new Cocoa DV. So he's kind of covering a couple of bases here. Um, it's it's a fairly long one. I won't be able to play, obviously, the whole thing here. He also uh, kind of addresses the fact that he's trying to get around the FPGA shortages that everybody in hardware has been hitting. And he's actually uh, found an alternative manufacturer that actually has a lot of these stuff, like clones of them, in stock. So this might be an alternative for some people. So this is all part of Subtandy as well. I'll but, just let him do the little bit of the intro. I will mention the uh, the Canyon Climber stuff. Uh, one of them is just a cosmetic thing. One is a little bit of a bug if you try to jump backwards on the third level. Like, if you try to go back down, it'll sometimes stick you in the middle of the air. And as soon as... If you let go of the button at that time, or if you hold it on camera, it's one of the two. But basically, you'll stay hovering in midair, and as soon as you change the button state, then you plummet to your death. But it's a little bit of a bug. So you actually patched it. You actually <laughs> changed the code and fixed it, so those bugs are fixed here. But I'll just let them do a little bit of an intro here, and then we'll go on. Welcome back to AC's 8-Bit Zone. This episode is packed with content for you. I'll show you a bug that was in the 1982 game Canyon Climber. Then I'll show you a patch that I made to fix that bug for Septandy 2022. Also, I'll show you how Coco DV can add 16 colors to the game. And finally, I'll preview some uh, information for you about how to get around FPGA shortages due to the global semiconductor crunch. So let's go ahead and get started. Mountain goats try to knock your climber off the bridges. I never knew about the shields on ramps one, three, and this five. This is kind of just recapping Either climber, so. cliffs. Now watch for the first bug. You're supposed to continue jumping higher and higher to reach the top. However, if you jump back down, you can cause the climber to hang out in midair. Any joystick press left or right will immediately lose a life. I don't believe the programmers ever knew about this one because normally you'd keep holding left during the jump and immediately fall. The other bug is more of a little feature where the edges of the cliffs are a bit brittle. If you approach an edge like this one and then you back up, you fall. Okay, here's my patched version to correct those two bugs. So the first level and second levels are exactly the same as before, so we'll zip through those. Wow, look at that. Double, to eagle cliffs. <laughs> Let's try that left jump again. Okay, now he falls like he should and loses the life. If you read the manual, it does say going backward loses the life but it doesn't appear that they had any idea that if you're not holding left, 
that the player will get stuck in the in midair. Now let's check that the edges of the cliffs are not as finicky. See, I can approach the cliff, now back up, and I'm okay. So with those two patches, I feel like this level is a lot more playable than it used to be. And we're up and gone. One interesting thing about... So that kind of shows the bugs and the fixes for them. So um, the finickiness of the cliffs, I don't know if that was on purpose or not. They might have, like, this is back in Pixel Perfect days, so maybe it was just to be irritating to the player like a lot of games were back then. And it might have been on purpose. But the fact that if you jumped left and then centered the joystick, that you would just kind of hover in midair and not die until you move the joystick again, I think that definitely is a bug. So uh, thanks, Alan, for fixing that. And then if you have a Coco DV, which actually has settable palette registers, he shows some alternative possible palette settings that he kind of picked to, to try things on. And some of them do look a fair bit better than the original. Um, and you even change them, like, depending on the level where you change them. I think the, the player sprite actually looks better to find on, on that particular one there. And there's one, you know, palette you picked there and then you know, a different color palette over here. Like, it, it, there's a fair bit of... And there's only 16 colors to choose from, but it still makes a huge difference compared to the original four. And then I'll let you guys watch the video because of the hardware, uh, as far as ordering, he goes about another company that uh, makes duplicates of some of the FPGAs that are in such short supply now that he's found alternatives for. Um, obviously, he's involved in our uh, Discord chat, too, so if you have any questions on that, if you are a person looking for FPGAs, he can definitely steer in the right direction there and give you his feedback on that company that's working now, but it seems to be pretty pleased with it. And he's gotten turnaround times like in weeks instead of years, like you know, some some manufacturers are giving right now, as I'm sure Rick can attest to, and Frank. Uh Jim Gary's been a busy little boy this week, so he cranked mm -hmm. out a few games. Um, several of them are ports from the Dick Smith uh VZ 200, which is if I remember correctly, and, and Nick, if you're still on the call and awake. Um, uh, that's an Australian company that I believe the VZ200 actually was a, a Z80-based um, VDG machine, isn't it? It was. Um, it was a Taiwanese computer. I think you guys had it as the laser in America. I think you had the laser. It was called a laser in the U.S. Yeah. So basically, it was, it was the VDG, like the standard you know green screen that we're used to seeing here and all the it's different the modes here, but, but a different yeah. CPU entirely. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, he, he converted a few here. So this first one, The Secret of Volcano Island, is basically a text adventure game. This was originally written by Owen Ross, and it was published in the uh, January to March 1993, so this is quite late, of the VZ Down Under newsletter, which is a newsletter devoted to the VZ series of machines. So I didn't even know they were lasting that long. I don't know. How, how did this sell in Australia? I, I, the laser didn't sell much up here, I can tell you that. Um, I do have one, um, but yeah, I've never used it. <laughs> they sold fairly well back in the day. Okay. There was was a it a fairly version. cheap machine? Like it was a low-end? They were. They were little MC10-like things. But it came out with uh, originally with the rubber keyboard, uh, oh, okay. rubber keyboard, and then later it had a more of a Coco 2, um, what's the? The melted other? key style? Or? Melted key style keyboard, I think it came out with later. Okay. But it was small, like an MC10. Oh, okay. Anyway, he, he seemed to be converting a few of these. So the next one he did is the actual adventure itself. You can see originally by Scott LeBrun. 
Um, so this is also ported over from the VZ200, and this was originally by Scott in the uh, OOP magazine. I'm not sure what that stood for. Uh, from 1986, it's a bit earlier. Do you remember what years this was roughly sold, Nick? Around 84, 85. Oh, okay. So a little bit later, like a year or two after the MC10. Yeah, went. yeah, yeah. Okay. And the next one he did, and he said definitely was an adventure game kick this week, um, is Treasure Hunt. Now, this was originally by Hal Ranko, it's spelled wrong there, and Sam Edwards, but it was actually originally a Vic 20 game from one of the basic books. Now, this one actually has a bit of a graphical representation on the screen. Uh, so it's not a, a tech, text adventure game per se. I'm not sure what that little arrow flying in from the end is because I don't know too much about this game. But it looks like a fairly interesting little thing, a little bit of a maze you wander through and items you have to pick up. And then it shoots things occasionally, apparently. And the last one here is kind of an interesting one, too. So uh, those of you that are familiar with the game or Oregon Trail, and I'm sure almost all of you are familiar with that game, um, most of us are familiar with the Apple II game, which I think became the most popular one. Uh, and then a lot of the eight, later 8-bits eight uh, that got the ports, that was what it was based on. But there was an earlier version that predated that. Uh, that was originally written for the Hewlett-Packard time-shared system, which it might even be the HP 3000 minis that you know Bill and I used to use at work way back when, after the PDP. When our company got bought out, we'd already switched to the Cocoa. The new company that bought us out in 92 had an HP 3000 time-shared system, a mini. And then, of course, we took that over to the Cocoa too. But <laughs> um, I, I'm assuming it's one of those, like the earlier machines here. So this was originally written by Don Rawwich. Bill Heineman and Paul Dillenberger. And it's a bit more simplified than the Apple II one, but uh, yeah, the MC10 has got a version of Oregon Trail now. Even got a nice little intro graphic here. I thought he did yeah. quite well. It's great. And I haven't played Oregon Trail in so long. I don't remember what's missing on this one versus the other one besides you know, high res graphics, which obviously would be a bit of a pain on the MC10. Because it maxes out people. The original around. versions, if it didn't actually have it, they were text based on teletype. It wasn't until like 1985 that the Apple version got some high res graphics. Yeah. And I know who's it was it Paul Shoemaker was actually working on a port of this for the Coco? He was working yeah. on the high res of the 1985 version, but members also there was another guy that did the text version port. And there's a channel on Discord for it too. I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but I could look it up. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool if Paul could finish that one, actually. I, I don't remember. He stopped for some reason. I don't remember what it was. Was he running? Oh, he was trying to figure out some of the 6502 assembly routines or something for the Apple II that were in there. Yeah, it's, it's actually a hybrid. It's in, on mostly basic with some yeah, some hot machine language routines to optimize stuff. I think he was trying to figure out, like, what did the Apple II routine do? Because he's not familiar with the Apple II architecture. Yeah, both the graphics are weird. And then, of course, the uh, 6502 assembler code is yeah. like a subset of the 6809. And then the other one he, he kind of pulled out here, uh, we did a covering of a whole bunch of Star Trek ports. And there was like, I don't know, it was 14 or something like that. But this is actually like most of them are based on the same core 1970, what was it, three or four text-based one for the old mainframes and stuff that was done. But there was apparently a second parallel one that was done, but it was much more rare. It didn't get disseminated amongst all the micros as anywhere near as much as this. So apparently a guy named Bob Alexander discovered this other version uh, of Star Trek and kind of reconstructed the source code himself because there wasn't any copies around. And then Jim has ported that to the MC-10. So it's a little bit different than the Treks that we're used to seeing. Um, 
And I, from looking at it earlier today, when I when I found it, because he just released this video, I think this morning actually, or maybe it was very late last night. Um, I, it's not one I've seen before. I don't at least I don't recall it. Like firing between forward and reverse torpedoes and forward and reverse phasers. That's not something you normally see on most of the general Star Trek games. So obviously this was a fair bit different from the the one that became the most popularized up until, you know, 3D simulators and stuff came out. Bit of interesting history here, because this is an early one too in the mainframe mini days too. So this is predating the micros for the most part. This one I'll bring Nick in as long as you're still awake. Oh, okay. I'll just wake up. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping Joey. Yeah, okay. Well, um, when I posted this uh, message on Facebook, I said there that I'm on the final stretch of this game, 90% done, uh, should be coming soon. So I thought I'd start a bit of a uh, promotion, start letting people know about it now. And um, just a week ago, I came across, I had, I had a, a vision of how to make the graphics better, which... Um, put me in a bit of a dilemma. I said, well, do, do I do these ideas now and uh, slow the game down? Because the, the modifications I came up with give you more back, uh, colour in the backgrounds. And if you notice that two, those two screenshots of the game there, they're on black backgrounds because of the lim limitations with the uh, semi-graphics modes. You can't, can only have one colour and black per byte. And uh, if I tried to put colour in the background, it, it clashed with uh, areas of colour and it just looked terrible. So I thought, okay, well, it has to be on a black background, even though I wanted the river scene, which is the second picture on the right, to be blue. So it signified that you were um, jumping across a river. But it just looked terrible. You know, the clash of colour in the semi-graphics just wouldn't allow it. So I thought it just looked better, just leave it black. Um, I'll just tell people that you're jumping across a river of oil. But um, so after I did this uh, ad and told everyone that I'm almost finished, I came up with an idea on how to get the colour in the background using a dithering pattern, which um, it still doesn't get around the colour limitations of semi-graphics, but... Because the the, the, uh, the background is dithered, it tended to hide the, the colour clash uh, a bit more. So I thought I'd try it. I did just a, a few mock-up screens, and I was happy with the results. It really does look a lot better. So that, that means I would have had to change a lot of code, had to rewrite bits of the code to deal with the background. It was going to bump me back, you know, so... Do I go ahead and just finish the game as is and just be done with it and then, you know, get it get it selling and rolling in all the buckets of money? <laughs> <laughs> or do I actually try and do it, do the game as best as I can? And I I decided I'm gonna make this up as best as I can, you know. I mean, a bucket of money, I'm gonna uh, do the best job I can for a Coco one and two game. So uh, I've started reverse engineering some of the code and I've got it now working with the background, but 
because it breaks a lot of the other routines. There's still a lot of other bugs that's incorporated, which I'm still sorting out. It's going to be about, it's probably put me back at least two weeks uh, from where I was. So from 90% complete, it's gone back to 80% complete. So one step back, but I think in the long term, it'll be two steps forward because um, the colour in the background really does look much better. It really... um, Like it looks like a river. A computer, a colour computer. I mean, it's colourful as it is now, but with the backgrounds there, I think it looked a a bit better again. So... Absolutely, like not just you being such a man of principle here, uh, Nick. But, well, uh, <laughs> you know, I thought, do I just be greedy and get the thing out and make, you know, start selling it? That's that's what money? I fully expected. That's right. But then I thought, now nah, I'm going to make this as good as I can. I want I want this to be the best Coco two game that I've ever Coco one and two game that I've ever done. So, yeah, I've decided I'll just. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of pulling out all the stops here. I mean, you're doing you're doing like background color shifting on a semi graphics game. You're doing the full nine color screen. It runs on 16K. It runs with keyboard or joysticks. You don't have to have a joystick. Runs yeah. on dragons. Runs on cocos. Has background music running while it's playing. Like you're it, it you're really pushing it without trying to promote it. Now it, it does actually look quite good uh, graphically, audibly. It's it's not bad. So. I thought, well, I've gone this far. I might as well just go ahead and just make the the backgrounds more colourful as well. Um, so yeah, bit of, a, bit of a day. Sorry, there's still three months to Christmas. Well, that's what I figured. I mean, it's <laughs> it's not as if you you make a lot of money, really. It's not. I'm not going to be buying another car, a real car that is. Eat your creep. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe no, another. it looks really good. You've, you've shown me previous. I haven't seen the watery one yet. Um, I was good. I've actually, during the interview, I actually uh, moved it along a bit more, which I was hoping I would be able to show today. And it does work. It runs on my cocoa. But then I ran it in VCC, and VCC doesn't like something I've done in there. So, yeah, don't you just hate emulators? So I couldn't, <laughs> uh, I couldn't share the screen. Works well, perfect. Do, do you have do you have a, a you a video camera you could just capture a screenshot off the the cocoa uh, itself just to show what what looks like? Uh, look, have you got I've got another game thing I can cover in the meantime yeah, while you're okay, doing. Okay, you do that, and I'll quickly try set up a camera. Okay. All right. A camera okay. during a video podcast. What a what yeah, a sorry. what a what a what a <laughs> revelation. Goody goody. And then speaking of projects, so Sheldon McDonald, uh, he was working on multiple things. He did the, uh, uh, what is the name of his Treasure Island defense game, which he made a Coco VGA version, made a Coco 3 version of it. Uh, it uses the PSG and the uh, some of the other sound cards. So he's been doing a bunch of stuff. And he was kind of previewing a hockey game uh, called Ice Brawlers. And he was also talking about he's going to do some stuff for the Genesis and a bunch of other things. And then he kind of disappeared for a while. Well, he he uh, came back and said, hey, everyone, uh, been a while since I posted anything. This is on Facebook for those of you that are on audio. And he said, I started a new job this year and we'll have some time for projects again soon, I hope. I also lost my dad to cancers. Condolences from all of us for that, Sheldon. A few of us went through that in the last couple of years. Um, so that will help explain my absence. So his project bucket list, so he's kind of given an update of the stuff he's planning on getting back into. Ice Brawlers Hockey for the Cocoa, which if you remember, we had a Cocoa VJ mode with vertical scrolling. 16 colors on a Coco 1 and 2 game playing ice hockey. We don't really have a really good ice hockey game. We have two, but they're honestly pretty lame. 
um, a new dual ASM editor environment for Cocoa and the Sega Genesis. So it'll be make, writing this editor that will work on generating code for both machines. Music, mouse, and gamepad drivers for the Cocoa PSG. Uh, that's Ed's card, I think, which actually has all that combined into one card. And the Cocoa PSG bootloader, which we have previewed a little bit uh, on here before, we actually have little icons you can pick from. And you can design an icon for each of the games you've got stored on the uh, the Flash ROM and then just boot it up, just kind of like an STC does, except you're doing it off ROM. And then he closes the uh, statement with saying, I will be getting back to these projects soon, so stay tuned. Which I'm really looking forward to. I mean, like I said, we don't really have a good ice hockey game. And being Canadian, ice hockey is like a religion up here. So I definitely want to see that. Um, <clears throat> so looking forward, forward to all that. And I'm glad he's kind of getting back at things. I didn't even realize he'd gotten a new job uh, in the meantime. And uh, once again, condolences from all of us in the Coca community for the loss of your father. I always thought you went to the fights and see if a hockey game broke out. Well, that's why he called it Ice Brawlers, right? Because he's having enough <laughs> fighting in the game. This is going to be like, you know, Blades of Steel or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> And none of the co- previous Coco Ice Hockey games, either the one by Intellectronics or the one by Computerware, had any fighting in it. So it wasn't really hockey to me. Have I amped enough, Nick? Are you ready? Oh, I'm trying to. Okay. Okay. Hang on. I'll just pause the screen so I can't. I can't do a joystick and a camera at the same time. No, I didn't time. expect you to play it. I just wanted to show what, see what the color yeah, looks I'll, like. Yeah, I'll just... It could I'll be a still just, shot. That's fine. I'm trying to... Uh, I've got the camera there. So okay, let me stop sharing. And I will... Attempt. I finished my game on news anyway. That was the last story, so... Oh, okay. So... I got tons of regular news, so... It's all on me now, is it? Yeah, exactly. Great. <laughs> Like I said, you can just take a still shot from your camera and then just display that if you want. I'm just trying to turn the camera on. Internet's gone down to zero again. (laughs) So I'll hold the camera up. Shaky cam. I know, yes, shaky cam. Well, that's the freeway scene. So it's still got a black background for asphalt. That one's still black. I was going to put some details on that, but maybe later on. Um, yeah, I'll just or two. yeah, shaky cam. All right, I'll just skip across because luckily I can do that. This is a, the extra level, uh, which has the uh, extra. I can just leave that running like that and I'll quieten it as well. So, this is a similar, this is called the um, uh, the uh, outback stock, uh, what stockyards stock or something, wasn't it? Yeah, with. Where there are animals, so you jump across a freeway. Now you've got to jump across a uh, a stockyard. So the brown things are um, cows, and the white are the sheep. And you've got to sort of get across, similar to the freeway scene, whereby you've got to jump across in the gaps. Um, but you've got to time yourself so you don't get wiped out by a cow or a sheep. The frog doesn't move yet because because of all the backgrounds. Uh, the, the the red dithering and that is the background. It was black, um, so I put a red uh, dithering effect in the background, and that's not too bad. You can't really see the color limitation. Yeah, I was just going to say, like the dithering really does solve it because you don't have that hard yeah, black line that you see. You can see a bit of a as the colors go. Oh, I'll do the white one. You can see a little bit of a clash, but because it's dithered and because it's moving, you don't see it, so it's not too bad. Uh, the next screen will show it even better, and it, 
It's got a few bugs in the uh, turtles. By the way, Jim Rye has a bit of a complaint on the stockyard level. He says he doesn't see any furniture. Yeah, there's no furniture in this. No couch. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. So, so that it overall, it looks a lot better than the the black black bland background. Yeah. Look at the so size of that crock. Yeah, they look at that crock. That's right. <laughs> it's a shameless burned. plug, but Tixie wants to know if you've tried X Roar here. Uh, Nick, <laughs> I haven't as yet. Yeah, no, I uh, I will try that. Okay, yeah, we want to report next in. next week. Yeah, yeah, I can report. And Mame, well, you know, because Mame's so much fun to set week up. I'll have everything fixed because you can see quite a few bugs creeping in with the turtles. They're meant mm. to be submerging, and they were originally, but because I've changed the background, it's screwed up the routines. That's the problem. This sort of mod wasn't just a matter of painting. A blue background. Yeah, like all your 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 well, pixel crashed. checks and yeah. your your animations. It a lot of the other routines. So it was a lot of rewriting, um, but that's all right. I'm halfway there, so I reckon by Ooh. next week I'll be able to show up a, a better demo. There's a snake crawling down here. I don't know if you can see it at all. Yeah. So is yeah, it, a, it just a looks a lot better. Monitor? Sorry. Is that a Magnavox monitor? Uh in America, it's known as a Magnavox. Yeah, it's a it's a Commodore 1084 okay. monitor here, but it's the same. Yeah, it's the same yeah. monitor. Because my my uh, good old CM8s died, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, as we discussed earlier with Frank. Yeah, yeah I know that was. And, it, and uh, is that the one that the uh, that the Australian version for RGB uses SCART? No, no, no. It's it's just like the American one. It's got that. Oh, sorry. What are you talking about? This uh, Magnavox for, one? Yeah, you had SCART. Did, okay, that's the one that needed an RGB to SCART. Okay. Yeah, this is this has the SCART. Yeah, this is using your um, video cable that I bought off you. Okay, I, I wasn't sure if that was the same one. I thought that was this interesting that the, yeah this that the US one. version doesn't have that, but the the Australian yeah, no, one has no, SCART for Australian, RGB. That's right. So anyway, that that's what I'm working on. Uh, <laughs> I just yeah, couldn't. No, it looks good, but it doesn't running. really because of the dithering effect. There, it doesn't really look. It's not too as bad. In your face that's right. That the you know it has to fill in black and a color in a yeah. physical semi graphics block. So the the first the freeway scene probably won't have a background. Neither does the arcade game. The freeway area is, is all also of Frogger. That is because this game is a a rip off uh, or based. Oh no, on it's got Frogger. a new level, so it's totally original. Well, it's, it, I've, I've tried to change it, but underlying it is Frogger. Um, Nick, Nick, is this the first game where you're offering financing? Uh, offering financing? <laughs> <laughs> and four easy payments. Yeah, One dollar. Right. <laughs> Two dollars, I guess, actually. Probably but I do, uh, I do want to make it as good as I can being for a Coco, so... You probably can't One, hear two, it. Yeah. It's playing music now. I'll just turn it off. There we go. Anyway, that's it. Okay. And next week, okay. hopefully, we'll have a non-shaky cam version of it. Well, hopefully, we can run it in the VCC or or, or X-Raw, whichever, <laughs> yeah. one, whichever one works. All right. So, Sep Tandy, Alan Huffman, who we mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, was actually kind of pre-planned a whole bunch of Sep Tandy blog entries to run through the entire month. Uh, released a ton of them this week as part of that. Um, so I'll just quickly go through them here. If you want to get all the details, just check out some of the software's site because they're all on there and there's more coming right through the end of the month. So the first one here is Color Basic and String Concatenation. 
So this is a bit of a technical one. This includes on how uh, the concatenation of strings works differently between C and basic. And he gives a nice simple example, which basically in, in basic, if you did a string equals say zero, one in quotes, and you do a string equals a string plus a string plus a string. Well, in basic, that would take the original two character a string and duplicate it three times total. So you'd get six characters. But in C, it does the a string equals a string the first time and then modifies a string right at that point. So the extra a string you're adding on adds the complete duplicated version. So it actually ends up with 0101001. So if you're kind of coming back to basic being used to C, be aware that you know string concatenation actually works differently uh, between basic and, and C, which actually I never really thought of. But yeah, that would uh, cause some issues. And then uh, Alan being Alan, he had to benchmark both methods for producing the same result because he gets into how the string concatenation works and found some surprising results, which you'll have to read the article to find out about. Next up, he goes into color basic info memory locations. Now, this is where he goes through some of the variables in the first 1K of RAM on any Cocoa uh, that BASIC itself uses, Microsoft BASIC, and that you can read and even modify. So there's like pointers, there's like background masks for colors for high risk screens, all kinds of interesting stuff in there, cassette buffers, keyboard buffers. So he goes through a whole bunch of them, and he mentions like he goes through the basic unravel book, which has some stuff here. And here he goes through specific stuff relating to variables and memory size. He's got pointers to where the variable table is and pointers to where the string table is and the memory size that's on the machine, et cetera. Um, a, lot, a lot of pretty cool technical stuff. A lot of stuff you can peek and actually take a look at yourself. You can even do some, I don't think he goes too much in this article on it, but you can actually do some stuff like modify some of these too. So you can actually move stuff around or reserve memory without using a clear command or stuff like that. You can do some pretty interesting effects with it. And then uh, he goes a little bit further into, uh, this is something he's mentioned in one of his previous blogs, the mem size, which is a basically two bytes of reserve. that tells you how much free memory you've got and where the end of memory is on, on basic. And notice, he noticed a while ago that the Cocoa 3 basic has one more byte. If you do print mem, you'll actually get an extra byte available that you don't have. And he was trying to figure out exactly why this was happening, what, what what's changed. And uh, this actually ended up being answered by Art Flexer, the author of ADOS, ADOS 3 and ADOS 3 Extended, and William Astle, the author of LW Asm, that kind of helped him figure out the mystery. <clears throat> Basically, it has to reserve a temp byte at the very high end of memory for doing string copies and stuff and, and other things working with variables. So it needs this extra temporary byte to be able to store stuff. And the people on the Cocoa 3, Microware, when they got involved, because the original was, of course, written by Microsoft, um, the Cocoa 3 is running in old RAM mode, and they kind of figured, well, what do you need this for type thing? Why are you reserving this extra byte? So on the Cocoa 3, they, quote, unquote, fixed it so that uh, it doesn't need this extra byte to do it anymore. Um, if you did that same patch on the Cocoa 1 and 2, it would try to overwrite the first byte of the ROM, which, of course, won't do much. So that's why Microsoft did it the way they did. So it kind of goes in the technical explanation of how it was all explained here to, as to why it's doing that. And basically, it has to store a null to signify the end of a string. And that extra byte has to be added on. So the string storage ended at 32767. Where are you going to put the null? So in the case of the Cocoa 1 and 2, it would only let you go to 32766. On um, the Cocoa 3, of course, there's a RAM there. And I think if I remember that part of the RAM is not reused after a cold boot. So it doesn't really matter if it gets changed. So you gain the byte back. It was a pretty good deep dive into how basic works with strings. Uh, next up after that, <clears throat> color basic string abuse, part one. So you can tell he's getting technical here. 
Um, so on part one, um, it's an article in string garbage collection, essentially, and includes a sample program to show what it does and when it is triggered, which can cause unexpected pauses in programs that you're running at the time. I've hit this. If you do a text adventure game because it's allocating and deallocating strings, you're doing string ads and stuff together that you know eventually has to clean itself up because it's got gaps in the middle where you know strings have been unassigned, but they're no longer being used. Now you're trying to assign a new one. Technically, you've got enough free memory to do that. Because it's not contiguous in little chunks, it has to kind of like amalgamate everything together and eliminate the dead space. So it goes into a technical estimation here of explaining exactly what garbage collection is doing, how it works, with some example program here that kind of lets you display the internals uh, on the screen, which is kind of what the screenshot appears about here. Um, and basically, it's an explanation of what it does. And then he figures out that if you do certain types of string concatenations, it actually ends up blowing almost twice as much memory as it should be. And then on the next article, the part two of abusing the strings, he actually goes into how to programmatically get around that. Like if there's a way, if you assign strings and do certain manipulations in certain orders, you can actually eliminate all this extra space that is getting blown and thus reduce the need for garbage collection so that you can prevent your program from needing to do this until way later in the game. So just with a few different program techniques, this is not poking anything, this is not modifying any of the, the pointers, it's just knowing how it works. Then you know how to react to it and how to program it around it so that you don't have this problem. Because basically, he was hitting it that like in a 32K machine, basically, if you filled up half of the strings using it just a quick and dirty way of doing it, it would actually hit the string garbage collection routine at the halfway point, roughly. And on this one now, it, it has to almost completely fill the string space before it starts doing that. So it's a really good programming technique to learn if you're dealing with a lot of string stuff like a text adventure game. Then he's got another multi parter here that's going. Um, and this is an article on the Coco ROM to RAM 64K test. Now, this one he's covered, I think, last year in September, I think it was. He kind of covered the fact that, you know, on a Coco 1 or 2 with 64K and the Coco 3 does this right built in. Uh, if you would basically would turn the, C or the CPU and the SAM to go into 64K RAM mode, normally it's in 32K RAM at the bottom, 32K ROM on the top for extended basic and disk basic. And basically, this is an explanation and sample programs for. Basically, you switch in RAM mode, you copy the ROMs into RAM so that everything runs as if it was running in ROM mode, but you can patch basic. You can add to it. You can change it, modify it, uh, anything you want. So this one here is he's kind of tracking down uh, the history of the RAM upgrades and how the Dragon 64 actually did it better than the Coco does. So this is one place where the Dragon basic actually does change quite a bit from the original Microsoft one. Because basically, if you had a 64K Coco or you had a 32K Coco, Basic did not know the difference whatsoever on, on the Coco Basic uh, ROMs. You, you just got your 32K and that's it. The Dragon would boot up into a, basically a compatible mode. You'll see the print mem here is basically the same. It reserves four pages for graphics and the same string size of 200 bytes and et cetera, et cetera. But they added in, if you type exec, right off the bat, the built-in hook for the exec actually runs a little routine that actually relocates the actual basic code and rejiggers it around so it goes up to the top of memory. Because right now, basically at 8,000 hex, I'm going to get a bit technical here, you've got your extended basic ROM, your color basic ROM, your disk basic ROM, that's 24K. And then there's 8K after that, it isn't used for anything. It just is a waste. So what the Dragon basic does here, now this print mem here is from a cassette base, so that 8K of disk ROM is also gone. But basically it shifts everything up, and I think Tim Linder's done this on his little basic thing we covered a few months back. But it shifts everything back up so that the ROMs are way at the end of memory and it frees up all the room contiguously 
right from the bottom at zero up to 40K. And so now when you do a print memory, you get 40K free. And this is something I wish the Coco ROMs that had built in, even the Coco 3 ROM, that would have been nice. Um, especially if you're dealing with like H screen two and H screen three, et cetera. Now extended basic, super extended basic does take some, <coughs> you know, extra room up there, but uh, it still has that bug where you can't do a peak layer zero. So you would still have to blow one and a half K for, you know, the graphic stuff. So it would have been nice if Microid patched it so you can actually do a peak layer zero. Because if you're using high res modes on the Coco 3, that memory is all external to the 32K anyway. You could have gained that back and made a bigger basic program. Anyway, he goes through here and kind of goes to history. He explains how the Dragon did it different with that. Um, and then basically, you know, the ads were like, if you want to use 64K, you, you have to do use assembly language or you have to use OS 9, which required it. Um, and then he did a, a follow-up, part two. And this is where he tries to delve into the history, like who did this ROM to RAM patch first? And as far as he could tell... It looks like it was uh, the Frank Frank Hogg. Actually, if I remember correctly, when we interviewed Frank, I think he said his brother or nephew or somebody, another one of the Hogs, is actually the one who actually wrote the actual routine. And it's escaping Richard. That seems to ring a bell. I'm not sure if it's right, though. And basically, I, mean, I do have this actual article in, in one of my actual back issues of Color Computer News here, which is basically, you know, it does a 64K RAM test and also will be able to copy the ROMs to RAM so you can patch and modify them. Now, I'm... I was trying to recall, but I think there was an article in the world of uh, six to eight micros, um, six to eight micro journal, I should say, which is a, 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 a magazine that was actually available for 6809 since the chip first came out. So this is way before the Coco. This has been published, you know, months and months before the Coco actually came out from Radio Shack. And they were really good at doing the really technical stuff very, very early on. This is before Rainbow, before Color Computer News, before any of the Coco magazines came out. Um, and they, I think they had an article on doing this even before Frank did. I don't know if it did the full copying of the ROMs to RAM or just did the testing, but they were way ahead on copying cartridges to disk or tape and doing a bunch of other things. So I think they might have had an article. I was going to take a quick look and see if I could find it because the entire run of that magazine is on the um, Internet Archive. Unfortunately, I didn't get time to do it, but if I do get a chance to, I'll, I'll let know. I'll let Alan know if it actually was done earlier than Frank Hogg, but basically this goes through the history of it. And then he talks about, you know, there was a one an article in Rainbow that did it too. And then he talked about a, a version that he published on his page earlier that actually sped up the copying. Not really all that useful because you usually only do this once per boot, but um, there's some definitely faster ways than the original article showed. So that's Alan's contributions just this week. And like I said, he's planning on almost one a day right through the rest of September. So... Okay, next up. Um, this is Alan a a AC's 8-bit zone again. And if you take a look at this case here for a Coco 1, you'll see there's a blemish on the right-hand side, right over here. And what had happened here, if you've taken apart a Coco, uh, you'll know that there's two different lengths of screws. There's the short ones for the front, and there's the long ones for the back. And this is what happens when you put a long screw into a short hole it starts to push right through the plastic. So he was deciding he's going to try to fix that using heat. Um, and it helps a bit, but it doesn't really solve the problem. And I'll show me here as he's going. So that's a little heat gun. So uh, the, the air is set very hot. It's a few hundred degrees. Is that loud enough to hear? And 
just going to look for a yeah, little yeah. bit of change. Oh, oh there we it's go. Soft, I'm, but... I'm melting paint. Oh, yeah. The 45 RPM adapter. Okay, so I did manage to flatten it. Okay, well, I think I'll stop right about there. It is much flatter. We'll go a little more. Now the paint's bubbling. bubbling uh, paint, yeah, it's waiting for that. The plastic is a little, little bit more mashed down now. Sanding. I think we'll call it quits. Plastering up. Bonding up and paint. <laughs> anyway, it was it was a pretty interesting try, and it's something I had thought of doing because I did this in my original Coca One case too, way back in the day. Now I didn't have a heat gun like mm -hmm. that to even try, but kind of glad I didn't because it. I mean, it smoothed it out physically. You can can't feel it; it's flatter than it was before, but you can still obviously see it because it's and kind of dented. And then now he's bubbled the paint up, so yeah. I mean, at a <laughs> cosmetic right. glance, it looks worse. And yeah. It's all right. You're going to crack the board later anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, it's me. Yeah, definitely. This is actually work on a Coco 2.3 because the long screws just make a little bulge. You probably could push it down with a heat gun. and. Yeah. yeah actually, yeah, Frank yeah. Frank actually mentions in the chat here, our, our guest uh, earlier today, he said, yep, heat will help depending on how bad it is. And he said, you should always heat from the underside. I was <laughs> thinking that. Yeah, yeah. And then just you know, kind of push it flat, I guess, because then you're not damaging the paint on the outside and lifting yeah. the paint off. So, yeah, that's a good tip. I've never really tried any of that stuff. So, and to be honest, I'm not a collector of the physical thing as a collector's item where I want it to be pristine. Like my cocos look well used because they are well used. I don't care what they look like as long as they function. That's my important. But for collectors, that this one, is definitely something. That one do. looks good apart from that blemish and now bigger blemish. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it is flatter. I mean, it's not as sticking out like it was before. So, so I can see it better now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess Alan's listening too. So he said, uh, yeah, but there's the screw mount in the way underneath, isn't there? And actually, that does have that little, I think, does it? Uh, right? Yeah. You right. You're going to heat everything except what you want to heat. Yeah. yeah. Because of the surrounding screw mount. I guess just 3D print a new case and say, screw it, I guess. That's what you Well, mean. it's a nice spot. You can sort of sand it and flatten can, it and paint it he's black. He's going to sand it, yeah. <laughs> sand it, bog it up, and repaint it. And even if you use silver, it doesn't have to match perfectly because you got the body uh, crease, if you will, to hide the the shade. And then three years from now, you'll put that long screw in there again. Right? <laughs> yeah, that would be what I would do. Except it wouldn't take me three years. <laughs> Uh, Frank is saying you can hit it from the side, the side of the post. Obviously, he has some experience doing this because uh, I didn't know any of this stuff. But. Right. I would just sand it. Anyway, I, I like the one one thing I've noticed that we've had a few videos recently where the people are like learning as they go, um, whether it's software, hardware, where you're kind of you're showing the, the entire thing, the process. You're not just you know wrecking four computers and then showing the pristine one you did at the end type thing. Like it's <laughs> this is raw, real life, folks. Right. So it, you're learning from other people's mistakes, which is my favorite way of learning anything because I hate doing mistakes. Well, you don't have time to make them all yourself. 
You know, you sit here and watch that and go, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's good as an educational thing. I mean, you kind of learn what works and what doesn't. Uh, A couple more comments. Um, Frank says he's done this once or 30 times. And now he said he likes Nick's proposal. Um, Sand, Bondo, paint, accidentally put the long screw back in, rinse and repeat. (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to show the uh, talking cocoa? The one with the big gap in the top. Mm. Uh, above, oh, yeah. Above the keyboard. No, we showed that last week, didn't we? Yeah, yeah last week. Yeah. We saw it, yeah. Now, <clears throat> I, I wonder if you could heat that up and bring that back. No. You know? No, that's <laughs> pretty well wrecked. That's pretty Actually, well you just wrong. reminded me of something I was going to put on here, and I totally forgot on the Game On segment. I'll, I'll mention it now. Um, for those of you who watch the Amigos, um, because of Septandi, they actually have done a couple live streams on Friday nights now. In fact, it was competing with the Game On Challenge. Um, of Coco Streams just to be part of Septandi. So last week they did the Tom Mix games. This week they were trying to use the sound speech pack because uh, Aaron had just picked up a multi-pack and a speech sound pack. So they did a live stream and I was quickly throwing some suggestions because they're, they're going to be reviewing Interbank Incident as their next game. And that actually does use a speech sound pack for sound effects and stuff. Um, so we were getting them to run. They ran a couple stuff like Gantlet and a few others that have speech. F-16 Assault actually has some sound effects, like when the missiles shoot up, as a whoosh, you know, type sound effect. Did it work? Yeah, it did. It, it took them a bit to get all the hookups to work properly to stream it, um, but they did eventually get it working. Now, they were trying to get Pitfall 2 to work, and it would do. You, it would load the splash screen, you know, that big stop sign to check your color, and then you hit enter, and it does testing 64K of memory, and if it succeeds, it says loading program, and it would freeze. And I know they have a 6 or 9 in there, so I thought, well, maybe that's the problem. Um, and I, I, I do know there was a patch with the Coco 3 as well because the original Coco 1 and 2 version that has sold in Radio Shack did not work on the 3 because I think the <laughs> memory test overextended, overwrote the vector page RAM that BASIC uses and just crashed it. Uh, but Nick Moranis actually solved the problem. It's one of those rare games that you cannot run with SDC DOS. <laughs> right. Uh, you have to do the run at 1 to preload. Like mo- You have to mount the disk first using SDC. And then you have to do the run at one to reboot the Coco into disk basic 1.1, like raw disk basic with no mods. And then it does run properly. So hopefully they'll get a chance to try that later on. Cause it's, it's honestly the best show off piece for the sound speech back. Cause it actually has full blown background music running in it. I was kind of disappointed that we weren't able to get the running, but I, I totally forgot about the run at one, but thank you, Nick, for solving the problem. Cause I actually did get it to run here. I tried it. Hey, next one, uh, Dragon MPI. So this is Henry Reitfeld, and he actually hooked up a multi-pack. We we're just talking about that, and he hooked up some hardware to it, uh, which in this particular case here is a dual floppy drive system, a speech sound pack, and the Cocoa STC all running off of a Dragon. So the multi-pack is hardware compatible with the Dragon. You just plug it in, and away you go. Um, I'll play part of it, but go ahead. So Rick or somebody had a comment? This is just a quick video showing you guys my Cano Dragon with a dual floppy drive, SDC, and speech sound cartridge all connected at the same time using an MPI. So I have my floppy drive in slot 4, my SDC in slot 3, and my speech sound card in slot 1. I have the MPI set to slot 3, so when I start the Dragon, I start off with the SDC, but I can switch it over to the disk drive. 
by just typing run disk and now I'm using my disk drive with super DOS TAC drives Yep, and you can see 174K free, which means it's running 40 track, which is built into Dragon DOS and Super DOS, which Tandy never updated for us. Kind of jealous, I'll admit it. Where's David Ladd when you need him? This is actually one of the games we tested on the Amiga stream to test the sound speakback module man by Spectre. Which actually had an official dragon release. Use my joystick. Matrix effect for the matrix. I don't know if you guys heard that, but it said module man with that typical sound. Oh, I, I thought what it said was. <laughs> Stephen That's a pretty good translation, actually. Um, but yeah, this is one of the ones they did on the Amigo stream that uh, if you want to catch it, it's on Twitch on their channel. You can actually just go under videos on their page and it'll show up. Um, I'm assuming they'll be releasing that to YouTube fairly soon if they haven't already I haven't checked today um but it was about an hour long of, of going through some stuff with interbank and a few other things now that i've found the solution for pit pitfall too hopefully to try that because that is like i said is probably the best showcase for it because it actually does the music everything else almost everything using sound speech pack there's like 30 or 40 games that did most of it is speech only like you know just read stuff on the screen which to me is cute the first couple times and then after that who cares the only ones I can think of that don't that use it for things other than speech is Interbank Incident F16 and Pitfall 2. Yeah, where they actually do sound effects, or, or in the right. case Pitfall 2, sound effects and music. And pretty much Interbank Incident has no sounds other than that little ding at the beginning if you don't have a speech sound pack. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas on the speech sound pack, say you go out to that uh, raft or another um, ferry on the ocean, you actually hear the ocean hmm. running in the background stuff. So. Otherwise, it's completely silent after that one little ding at the beginning. Yeah, except for swapping discs because it's three freaking discs you have to swap between to play it. <laughs> well, or, or you just run the hard drive image on your Coco SDC. Bingo. <laughs> That's the Steve, problem. Steve Hawkins uh, emulator. Yeah, yeah, I think you called it that during the stream, didn't you? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's it's cool that the, the multi-pack is... I, I'm, I don't know how popular even homegrown multi-packs for the Dragon were in the UK. I think they're pretty rare, Karen, if you're still on in the chat there, let 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 us know. But I don't think that was a common thing to have. Disk drives were rare enough, never mind a multi-pack with disk drives or speed sound packs or some of this other stuff. So there was definitely an opportunity for Tandy in, in uh, the UK to sell hardware peripherals to the Dragon people because they actually did work. Now, he's, he has a pl plug-in power it's got the plug and power module there works. and the electronic book. Well, I wonder if it work, works on the uh, Dragon. Well, that's good. And their power, because plugs into the AC line to do its talking. Yeah, the, the power might be the one issue there, actually. 
Oh, well, that's a Tano dragon, so you're okay. Oh, yeah, in this case, yeah, he would be. You're right. But yeah, if you're well, no, we're talking about the plug-in power unit. It has to plug into the AC current to talk to all the X10 units. And it's 220 volts over in the UK. Yeah. And oh, I thought this guy was in Canada with a with a Tano oh, dragon. Canada, yeah, he is, yeah, this is Henry oh, Reichfeld. He's in I'm just stupid. Oh. Ontario in, in Canadian power to say the state. Yeah, now it's it's 110. Yeah. I wonder if they did make a one with higher power. Uh we didn't we didn't get it down no. in Australia. Like was got, did you get any X10 stuff down there, Nick, or was that no, something no. unique to North America? Yeah, it's unique to America. Okay. Would have been upside down anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know that that thing has worked on my computer for all these thirty some years, you know. I've tried it. It's amazing. Yeah. So this year, Vintage Geek, part of their Septandy, or his Septandy, I should say, uh, did release this video called Exploring the Color Computer 3. And I did do some comments. He's planning on doing a follow-up. Uh, he finally got a CM8. He even has a door on it. I'm just so jealous. Yeah. Um, now, he did try to run the X-Pad, <clears throat> which didn't work. And that's because the X-Pad requires 12, 12 volts. volts. And He's the Coco make... One had 12 volts, but the Coco Two and Three did not, unless you added a multiplac. I think that did supply the 12. So He's got an expensive riser there too. <laughs> in the <Yeah>. box, <laughs> he does have the one button mouse that uh, you were showing off earlier. Though, yeah, right? that's true. And he's got an FD502 drive with the controller with the you know, non-ribbon cable, the kind of rolled up one. So he's actually got a 40-track double-sided drive in there too. So and I, the drive I, is on the weird side. What do you mean weird side? Yeah. I always put oh, them on the right, right hand side. side. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, because he had the roundy cable. Yeah, because then you can just kind of bend around easier. <clears throat> anyway, I'll play the intro here just so you can kind of get a feel for his show. If you've not watched it before, it's a 20-minute video, so I'm not going to play the whole thing, obviously. But he goes through and tries a couple of things. He tries Color Computer Artist, which if you're going to show off a mouse, that's probably not what I would have picked. He does have a high-res joystick interface. Um Obviously, if you had Color Max or something like that. Now, I did talk to him in the comments, and he does have a Coco SDC. And I said, there's a ton of better software demo, some of the stuff on the SDC. Just hit the Color get Color Max Deluxe because he's got 512K in this machine. Yeah. And, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff you could try running for some of this other stuff, too. So he definitely is planning a follow up video. He has some multi. If you watch the channel at all, you're probably aware that I'm a big Tandy fan, especially the Color Computer line. So it's with great excitement that I'm going to cover the Color Computer 3 today in honor of Sep Tandy on Vintage Geek. Osborne. This look like your garage. Huh? Yeah, more organized. <laughs> <laughs> Odyssey 2. The computer I grew up with and the computer that I learned to code with was the Tandy Color Computer 2. And I have a number of fond memories of this system, using it for various functions and learning the basics of coding. Granted, I didn't really fully understand it at the time, but it was such a great tool and such an integral part of my childhood that I can't help but think about it with fondness. Now, the next computer in that line of products from Tandy was the Color Computer 3. And many out there have said that this was by far the best color computer, which makes sense. It was the last one in the line and it had Anyway, I'm not going to play the whole thing here, but uh, you get the idea. I mean, it goes through a lot of pretty cool stuff, especially if you're new to the Coco 3. Um, also, Frank is mentioning the chat here. He's local here, so I guess he's from the Toronto area. So uh, if we do get our VCF uh, in Toronto here, well, I might be able to meet him in person. It's funny how you say it's local. 
And you live thousands of miles away still. <laughs> <laughs> That's like everyone in Australia is Nick's neighbor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People feel like they had a Canada, even though we're bigger than the U.S. So <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Just down by the Tim Hortons. Yeah. Yeah. Store number 4,012. It's just like saying the nearest radio shack. Well, back in the day. Anyway. Yeah. That was a really good video. Well done. Well produced. Okay, so next up here, this was kind of an interesting one for me. Uh, this uh, guy named Albert Marsh and his Septandi video is doing a video on a Cocoa 3 extended basic game he wrote <clears throat> when he was young and was published in Rainbow in the August 1987 issue. And it's one of the earlier Cocoa 3 games. And this is one I've actually played. Um, it's oh. basically a shooting gallery one where you move your gun on the bottom with the joystick and you shoot up. But he has a nice visual effect he did for when you hit the uh, opponent, it goes from a happy face to a frowning face and then sinks into the ground. Um, and actually, we've been talking back and forth a little bit. He actually got into OS9 and stuff later. I had to plug that again. Um, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. So I've actually kind of, we're hoping to maybe get something going where we can maybe have him, you know, do some other stuff and, and kind of join the Discord. I invited him to it. I don't know if he's come by on it yet, but uh, I'll just play a little bit here and I'll skip ahead to some gameplay. The first computer I got was a color computer one that my father had gotten on clearance from Radio Shack. It had 16 kilobytes of memory, and everything I would type in would be gone when I turned it off. I remember doing a breakout game that I kept the computer on for a couple days, and I was I so impressed with what I could do with this. Initially, I got a cassette recorder. Is that loud enough? Then I got a color computer two. Um, a, uh, it's soft, but from Tandy. I can hear it. Then a color computer three, a CM8 monitor. A Disto 2 controller, a hard... Now I'll fast forward here. So this is the Rainbow game published in. They had seen my program in this magazine, and they laughed at the fact that there were happy or square happy faces on the uh, screenshot. I indicated to him, well, of course, this shows some of it, but not the whole game. And what I really liked about doing with the graphics of Coco 3 is the color palette I had. I thought it'd be great if I had a happy face, that would frown and turn brown when you shot it. And that's what my program does. One of the nicer things I knew about the Color Computer 3 was being able to edit in 40 columns. I wasn't necessarily attracted to 80 columns yet, but I really liked how 40 columns looked on my CM8 monitor. Not only was I considering it easier to read, but I definitely appreciated that it could do lowercase, which I did in the uh, comment title of my program. One of the things I also noticed about using Color Computer 3 Extended Color Basic was that how fast it could deal with Git put blocks on a graphics screen. I had dealt with Git put blocks on a Coco 2 and had a lot of fun with that, making games like I called Rescue Mission and um, Jetpack, Jetpack, Jetpack Pilot 2. On my Jetpack Pilot 2, if you look, there actually is a Jetpack Pilot in Rainbow. I extended that program to actually have moving objects on the screen that you would have to avoid as well. And I loved how it worked, but it was kind of slow. Now I'll pause there because <clears throat> there is a mode that's not documented, of course, in the in the Tandy uh, manual. 
uh, get put on the Cocoa 1 and 2. If you do an even bug boundary, it can run quite fast. It's kind of using the same technique here and as we did in Nitrous 9. And it, it's literally 10 times faster than normal get puts, or maybe 20. And uh, there was an article in Rainbow in October of 86, 8, something like that. That actually explains it. And actually, I remember the demo has a UFO <clears throat> that goes up the screen and then goes off diagonally. And it does it at first in the original get put, you know, smooth using the G option, the one that's documented in the manual. And it takes about 20 seconds to complete its little route. And when you switch to the even byte boundary version where you don't use the G and you just make sure you do it on even byte boundaries, it takes four seconds. So it's literally five times faster on that particular demo. So there was a way around that. But anyway, I'll just uh, actually let uh, some of the gameplay here so you can kind of see the effect he did, which I thought was pretty, pretty good for basic. I had also taken this My Color Computer 3 and hooked it to the Family Color TV set to get the right color palette for composite. This is Nick's I favorite part of was coding. Well, coding. that's not the right color palette, no. But I figured I wanted to do it for myself <laughs> just to get it as accurate as possible. That's the abomination mode. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hold back. Tell us what you really think. <laughs> they look like I'm square pants, guys. Yep, SpongeBob. <laughs> All right, let's try it again. I think I would have done better. Happy SpongeBob. On, on, on my laptop. It's pretty good. Yeah, for basic, it's not bad. Right. And this, yeah. this is within Australia the first you know six me. months that Coco 3 was available. Yeah, no, nah, good. And I was impressed that someone out of the country had played it and liked it enough to call me. I was also on the, on the uh-oh, I'm not going to make this. I'm not fast enough. <laughs> I was also on the uh, ring on a cocoa than on the. I wanted to point out one thing here. I don't know if you guys can see it uh, clearly on here, but there's your gun. Obviously, you're moving it left to right, but you also have the distance. This little marker up here, and you see that little tiny line. Yep. You actually use the Y position of the joystick how far your shot goes. So you can't just randomly shoot like Space Invaders and it'll eventually hit something. You have to range it, which makes it even a bit more challenging to hit the faces because you have to get it within the range it actually will hit, not go past it or come up short. So I thought that was a pretty cool game mechanic to add into it too, make it more challenging. Thank you. Anyway, it's it's a pretty cool game. If you want that uh, particular issue, August of '87 of Rainbow is available on the archive, so you can actually download it. Have to type the whole darn thing in and give it a shot. And um, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth with him. I'm hoping to get him to join our Discord and uh, maybe even join the show at some point. So uh, thank you to Albert for that. Part of Septandi. Next up, we have uh, Color Computer Programming. This is one that we've been covering for quite a while. He's the guy who's kind of learning basic as he goes and sharing the experience with you and occasionally does live streams. I haven't been able to catch one of those yet. But he's been working on a virtual piano preview, um, just using solid basics like play commands and put commands to draw the musical notes here. I won't play the, the video. It's 20 minutes or it's almost 20 minutes long. Uh, but he's kind of just figuring out, this is the first time he's really used P-Mode 4. Like when he was younger, he always did P-Mode 3 because you had four colors. Coarser, you know, pixels. You only have 120 pixels across in a Cocoa 1 and 2. This is the first time he's actually tried using it specifically as a 256 pixel-wide mode for P-Mode 4. So he was quite impressed with some of the details that you get. Now, obviously, this is on VCC, so you're getting like crystal clear. You're not getting as artifacting like you would. On a real one, you get some fringing on there, so it wouldn't look quite as clear, but pretty close. And uh, basically, he hasn't got the program finished yet. He's just got the first three notes working, so you just hit a key, and it plays the note and moves the little you know, musical note 
itself between the keys that you're hitting. So check that out. Uh, like I said, he's been learning. I've been sending him a lot of feedback. Alan Huffman, I know, is a fan of his stuff too because it's it's kind of fun. It, it brings back the memories of actually going through the manual and figuring out stuff myself at the time. It kind of rekindles those old memories of, of the whole learning process of going through the color basic and extended basic manuals without doing their boring you know, sample programs. You're actually doing something a bit more fun. Next up, we have Mikey Furman. I don't know if he's still in the chat. He was very early on. He's probably completely asleep by now. Oh, uh, he did he, call it snoozy newsy. <laughs> yeah. So at any rate, um, he's ended his uh, video log number four. Now, last week we covered the fact that he was going through, and, and David Ladd would have liked the fact that he recovered some of his old discs using fancy uh, grease weasel stuff. Uh, but he had recovered um, some discs that did his uh, desktop publishing he wrote when he was 13 uh, for the Coco 1 and 2 uh, that combined, I think, eight graphics pages, up to eight graphics pages to make a, a newsletter. And what he discovered going through some other discs that were unlabeled, he found some sample files that uh, actually, you know, had something to show. So this one, he decided to make a brand new newsletter, Modern Day, and actually shows the program running. Now, I he actually called me out in the comments here. Uh, saying, and contrary to what Al Curtis Boyle said, and he spelled my name wrong, um, this thing is super slow, but hey, I was 13 at the time. And he said, yes, I knew it. He said, similar back then, I knew that ASM was faster than basic. But it's a you know, fairly complicated program. It you know, variable fonts and all kinds of stuff in there. I, I won't play the video. I'll let you guys go check it out because it's 25 minutes long almost. But it actually shows the rendering part where it's actually creating the final you know, combined screen to send out to the printer. He explains how the printer works because the screen is done every bite you poke on a screen or peek on a screen is going horizontally but on most printers dot matrix printers at times you had to work vertically so you're going the completely opposite direction which is a bit more complicated you have to mask bits in and out and all kinds of stuff and read multiple bytes to make one little tiny vertical chunk of pixels um maybe i'll show just a little bit of it here <clears throat> that's kind of a summary here is uh, doing some tech stuff that he did with uh, TS Edit, uh, daily or program that Evercams uh, is a huge fan because it's basically, um, uh, why am I blanking? Not Emacs, what's a VI? It's a basically a VI clone. Uh, yeah, high res. No, that's actually the window. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is for doing the virtual uh, printer stuff here, so you can actually show some. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty amazing for going one too. <laughs> you had me there. <laughs> but basically, it goes through and it basically is showing the pixel going through and the line number it's on, et cetera, and then you know creating the masks. I mean, so if you know your math a little bit, if you do. Anyway, he actually shows it running at real speed, and then he kicks it up 20 times because it, it does take minutes and minutes and minutes to, to generate type thing. I'm then kind of showing the file. Like, so basically, he's going in stripes. He goes two widths of screens across to generate the line for the printer, and he's doing seven pixels vertically, I think, is what the, is whichever line printer he had at the time. It had a seven pixel high head as far as being able to program the graphics. It's interesting. It's definitely a nostalgic uh, doing this kind of stuff. I used to do this kind of stuff at work too, so I'm quite familiar with some of the stuff he's doing here. Um, but you know, creating a, a, a 32K Coco 1 and 2 desktop publishing that can do a 512 by 768 pixel P 
page. It's pretty impressive for a 13-year-old basic, I would say. So kudos to, to Mikey. Next up, um, Canada Canadian Retro Things, who's en route back to the Vancouver area, which is why he's not on the show today. Um, now, this is talking about a Cocoa 3 picked up at Cocoa Fest. Now, he was having some intermittent problems with it at Cocoa Fest. And so he's trying to figure out, like, does he have some bad solder joints? Uh, he tried to lose chips and the you know, simple things at the show. That didn't solve it. Um, but basically, he did find some stuff that looked a little bit questionable, though it looks, I think Pedro had mentioned that it looks like it's probably more just um, some crap residue left over, but wasn't actually causing, you know, connections to happen when they shouldn't type thing. Um, Rick, you can probably speak more to what this exactly is. No, I'd buy that explanation. Someone's worked on it and left the solder, the rosin behind. Yeah. Now, personally, I'm not sure. Like, he's got the machine working because it worked once he got back home. So he thought maybe something jostled or, you know, just on the drive up to the, the lake in Ontario that he might have knocked some of this loose enough so it wasn't causing problems. Um, and he did reflow the solder on a few that looked a little bit iffy. So he did do that. The machine still works fine. Personally, Rick, and I, I'll get your opinion on this too, because both of us had problems with just random crap happening on our Cocos at Coco Fest on the show floor. But if you took it up to the seminar room or back up to the hotel, it worked fine. I still think it's more power related. What do you think? Very well could be. there. We had so many problems at the Fest and yeah, brought stuff home and the problems went away. So yep. yeah, I would believe that. Um and the same thing when Ken and I took his cocoa to the seminar room, because I, I could not run my Gimme X at three megahertz. It would just crash. And I thought, oh, great, I damaged the Gimme X. But then when I clock it back down, it works. So I was thinking about maybe. And I'll also go with Frank a little bit. PLCC sockets are crap. So you can <laughs> shoot the Gimme socket with some deoxid and might be beneficial. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's a, it's a nice uh, little uh, video for the more beginning uh, hardware people are there to, you know, some things to check for if you're having some intermittent problems or problems in general. Some things that you can check and fix fairly easily, like, you know, six hertz. Um, I know you check the voltages and they were very close to the five volts are supposed to be in the right spot. So, but like like Ken mentioned, it uh, it works fine ever since he left Cocovis in the hotel show floor area. So I'm, I'm suspecting, especially with all the construction and crap they had going on, it's probably... Well, I had a piece of hardware that did die permanently at that Cocoa Fest, and it was probably power. So oh, okay. I wouldn't be surprised at all that that's all that's wrong with this is it was at that fest. We lost YouTube again. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yep, looks like we did. Yeah, streams. Although it's slowly coming back. Voltages and they were very close to the five volts are supposed to be in the right spot. So, <sighs> but like, like, can't. Okay, is it uh, back? Uh, it's, we came back quick that time. It okay, it's back quick. to green. Okay, <sighs> is it? Okay, uh, you guys can hear us out in chat land. I hope. Uh, sounds like <sighs> we had another inter interruption. Yeah, it looks like it's back to stable-ish, kind of <laughs> stable-ish. It's a, it's a, it's a. We're shit stable-ish, kind of. Yeah, it's probably. It's probably. Stable ish, frames. Mm, maybe. Yeah, it is still. Is this is the seventh time a charm, I think. Wow. You said you're still dropping frames. Like, is it still stabilizing? Yeah, shall we? Uh, that's got. Uh, it's 
Just so something. It does something. Go, go for it. <laughs> just, just go ahead and go for it. That's uh, that, that really instills confidence. Yeah. It looks like it's uh looks like it's stable again. Hey, right, next story up, and hopefully you guys can actually hear it. Um, this is a Z80 Dad on YouTube. Or Tandy shows a homebrew six eight zero nine baseboard he made. And he uses it to speed test 6809 versus some other CPUs from the time period, like the 8080 and the, and the Z80. Um, now, this is not strictly Coke-related, so I don't know why Kite labeled this as Septendi, but I'm kind of glad he did because it's kind of cool anyway. And he's doing an ASCII Mandelbrot a foot race between these various machines. And basically, it just has an AD column color terminal, like a VT100 or something, and he's just jamming the stuff on the serial port. So obviously, the other machines are kind of doing the same baud rate type thing so it'd be similar and this is of course an, a basic written by a, you know, microsoft so it depends on how well they did the basic contributor for each cpu there's a few things in there but he was a bit surprised by the results and here's this little uh, minimal expansion computer here with the roms and ram and um, you know, basically the board itself that he created um, here's the actual source code listing for it and this is what it looks like running. So I'll uh, I'll just mute him for a brief second here. But it kind of does the uh, it changes the characters itself to kind of do ASCII graphics type thing to kind of simulate pixel density as well as the color. Um, I've done one of these Mandelbrot things actually in Basic Nine. It's up on my channel, comparing speeds between six eight nine and six eight nine. So I'm a bit familiar with this, but uh, yeah, it takes a while to generate. So anyway, he. At the, basically the end of the, the result here. Now he's running his machine. He's got a 68B09, not a 6309. So it's a two megahertz rate chip. He's actually running at about 1.8, about the same as the Coco 3. He's not running it at the flat out two, two megahertz. But he compares it in this chart here with how it did versus some other machines at that time period. And there's some Z80s here at four megahertz. There's a uh, V20. That was a neck clone of the 8088, I believe, if I remember correctly. And then the V30 mm -hmm. was the clone of the 8086. Am I remembering? Yep, that, that is correct, as okay. I recall. Um, and I think the V20 actually was a little bit optimized compared to... It also could run at like 8 megahertz or something more than... Uh, yeah, it had 80. some turbo mode -y thing built into it. Yeah, thing. which was And then cool. he's got his machine running at 1.8432 megahertz at the top of the 6809. And uh, the 6809 out of these four machines is the fastest because the shorter bars are better. Um, which actually is a bit of a surprise because the other ones are all running at four megahertz. Now I do know that you know cycle times in some of those is pretty pretty bad, but I also thought that the eighty uh, eighty and Z eighty Z eighty would have had better optimized Microsoft Basics than ours because from what I understand, ours was basically just almost a you know port to the little interpreter converter thingy. But it actually did pretty good. I mean, we're running at less than half the CPU speed, and we beat them all. Thought that was kind of cool. I think it's and efficiency I've, of the Motorola slash MOS um, opcodes versus the uh, Intel styled. Yeah. And I will uh, see the six or nine is a fair bit faster again. And if you want to check that out, you can check my YouTube page. I've got a couple of videos there showing that, though I'm using colored squares rather than ASCII. I think I did 40 column, but. Hey, next up after that, and I'm definitely not playing this whole thing because it's an hour and 20 minutes, and it's by Pedro Pena, who might still be in the chat. I know he said he had to go somewhere, but uh, he's still on there. Um, for you hardware guys that have actually watched us all the way through, you can probably explain this a lot better than I am. Um, and this is only part one. <laughs> this is part two coming. 
So basically, he's showing how to take his original surface mount 64KS RAM board he did previously for the late model Coco 2s. Now, those of you who've seen them, like most Coco 1s and 2s, if you want to upgrade the RAM 64K, you basically upgrade eight chips, 4164s. The later Coco 2s had the option of doing that, or they could do a little daughter board or direct sockets for 4464s, which is four bits wide versus one bit. And that was then because at that time there was a I think there was a fire in Japan or something where a whole RAM factory went down for months. So prices went nuts and Tandy kind of hedged their bets by making several ways. So whatever chips were available at the time, you could do it 4164s or 4464s. So basically he's made a static RAM version of that. And now he's uh, converting it to a through-hole version of it. Um, and he's released the public files. You can download this if you want to make it yourself. And this is going into hardware way beyond my pay grade. So if you have your hardware gurus want to kind of jump in, feel free. Also, those 4464s are used in the Coco 3s and the 128K. So, you know, when you upgrade, keep those 4464s because you might be able to trickle them down to a Coco 2. Yep. Or sell them to a Coco 2 owner that uh, wants to get them. Yep. And this is in KiCad, I think. Isn't that what this is called? Yep. Yeah. Well, KiCad. Even cat. though it's spelled KiCad, it's pronounced KiCad. Okay. Oh. I've seen a presenter at the KiCad conference use both pronunciations in the same talk. So, ah, well, <laughs> I was using the reference by the head uh, project maintainer at CERN. So, anyway, here's a kind of his little uh, cardboard layout just to make sure that everything lines up properly, et cetera, to do. And, uh, anyway. He put that up for the entire thing. And basically, it's it's almost a tutorial on using KiCad, KiCad, yes. whatever you want to call it, uh, for doing a project like this. Um, it goes into a ton of diesel that I don't even understand, frankly, because I'm not a hardware guy. But uh, has any of you got a chance to watch this video? Just out of curiosity, Mark or Rick or any other hardware? No, I'm going to need to, though. No, I, yeah, me too. I hadn't been keeping track on it. But uh, yeah, I definitely need to watch it now. Mm -hmm. Okay, because he's actually got the. Uh... Oh, and warning to the world: Windows 11 doesn't print at the right size, so he can't do his trick of print it out and cut it, and fit it down. Oh, that's that's something good to know. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get the size right. It's like ten percent off, so I have to plot rather than print the file, which is a disaster because you have to switch from Gerber mode to PostScript mode and. So I'm I'm irritated right now with uh, Windows 11. What's that last part? Blee, 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 blee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. Uh, technical terms. Yeah, I think that's the name of the program. I did Windows 11 actually. Um, it could be, could be. They the menu bug reverted again, where you can't right click and open. You can't right click open with. You have to go right-click, open with, choose another program, and then you can fix the default program, and that will work. Yeah. They fix it. It breaks again. They fix it. It breaks again. This is about the fifth time. Yeah. Now, I will mention here, I mean, one, this is meant to be a 64K, but the fact that it's using static RAM, if I remember correctly, and some of you people that are more familiar with this uh, might be able to tell me for sure, but I do believe the SAM doubler, uh, which I think Brendan's doing, or at least as a design, I think Ed's going to manufacture it for him. But basically, it's a way to do a full double-speed clock in a Cocoa 1 and 2, RAM and ROM, because normally you lose the cool. RAM refresh and a bunch of other things. But because it's a static RAM, it doesn't need the cycle to do dynamic RAM refresh. 
I think right. the clock doubler requires an SRAM upgrade. So this, if you want to you know, make it yourself based on these files, and you put it into a Cocoa 2 that can support it, you should be able to just get the SAM doubler, and then you can run full POKE 65497,0, double-speed RAM and ROM, without losing the video signal and without you know basically running at the speed the Cocoa 3 runs at. Nice. Anyway, links to all these are in the uh, show notes that you can grab off of our Discord too. So this was an interesting one I found totally by accident. Um, it's not a Septandy thing, though it could be. A blacksmith um, shop? <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, this is a, a trash, not trash 80, but you know, a basement junk removal. And basically... This is a guy that has a company that does trash remove people. So if people are excavating a basement on an old house they just bought and it's got, you know, filled with crap, which is what happened here. This is a dirt basement. It's not even cemented walls. Everything else is dirt floors and things on it. And there's basically decades of stuff stored in here. There's old light switches and there's old electronics. and There's old boards and screwdriver sets and locks for old doors and all kinds of stuff. So basically what they do is they go through and they clean all this stuff out and then the one guy that makes the videos is a bit of a tech head and he occasionally finds old tech that he finds interesting and he'll actually keep it sometimes even for himself, but most of the time he keeps it and then sells it on eBay because basically he gets to keep when he does these, he charges a flat rate for depending on how long it took to do the job to empty thing out. And then he'll uh, try to sell stuff on eBay and kind of, it's kind of like a tip for himself as long as the person's, you know, agrees to it type thing because he takes the time to go through to figure out what's worth anything and what's not. So um, I won't play the beginning part where they start here, but the house is kind of a, you can see this basement. here's kind of a bit of a mess. This is already after they cleaned out a good chunk of it. Like this is near the end of it. Um, but I'll, I'll play this a little bit where he discovers something and then you can see his reaction. James, do me one little favor. Grab that, that keyboard looking thing down there. What is that, a computer or is that a... <laughs> oh my gosh, it's old Radio Shack. Oh, Radio Shack out of business. There's one left. No, but this is a... This is a... Ram badge. Old. A, T, a TRS-80. Weren't you seal broken? Yeah. Look at that wind-up. TRS-80 Radio Shack. That's awesome. Mark, can you I that, wind up that there, metal box mm -hmm. and show me the front of it real quick? Just try. So what we got here, we got a Radio Shack. And that's the first drive. gen 35 track yeah, tech drive with a push button open door. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll take that too. Yeah, I'll take that too. <laughs> Must be a 3022. <laughs> Gimme. <laughs> Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> I'll bet you it fires right up. He never he doesn't actually try it. Um, because he's this is one he did. He wasn't gonna keep himself. He's uh planning on selling it, so I'm gonna fast forward once this stupid ad is done. Uh, I like that AC cord looks like the factory wrap on it. Yeah, it does. Hmm. Yeah. And the fact that the uh the warranty uh sticker was completely punched through already meant whoever had this originally was Definitely uh, a bit of a hardware tinkerer. It's a first yeah, person here. Yeah, he's actually got a. They, they showed a picture of him elsewhere. He actually has like the the, the helmet camera mount for doing this. Mm. And I guess he does these videos all the time. Uh, but I'm going to fast forward. He actually goes through a summary of the stuff he decided to keep. Or did I keep the. Oh, maybe I already have that on the screen here. Yeah, here. This is the stuff he decided to try to sell off. 
All right, everybody, we are back from that oh, clean out. Power meter that should have been on the house. That we decided to keep. <laughs> so first off, we got a TRS-80. How much RAM does that say? From Radio Shack. Those are 32K. About 60 bucks. Oh, okay. It's probably an e-board. Um, and that's untested. That's how I would sell this stuff because I have no way to test them. This will maybe upgrade here with the, and with the cord. When you get an upgrade, do you get uh, a new badge? Uh, catalog 26-3022. Maybe that's been upgraded. Currently $30 but, plus shipping well, handling. you could have bought it as 32K or you could have uh, got it upgraded. The, My friend Dwayne got his upgrade and got the 32K badge. It's selling for $64 uh, shipping and handling. And again, that's untested. Uh, this here, I wasn't sure mm. if you could even sell these, but apparently you can. I don't know if you guys uh, want to see the other stuff he decided to try to sell us. He's got some pretty cool stuff there, too. Our meter, the I30-S. But considering the show's running long, probably not. To 60, but yeah. Probably should move on. Asparagus. Yeah. <laughs> I see he found some pretty cool stuff in there anyway. That would be a fascinating job to have, because I'm sure you find just cool stuff every once in a while. Most of the time, it's probably just really junk, but you find something like a, an e-board cocoa. And the original floppy drive, the original floppy controller that can be upgraded to high density, and you know, you know, basically it's just free as part of cleaning up. You get to keep and because most stuff just goes to the junkyard on some of the metal stuff. He was going through like he was sorting like copper versus tin versus whatever for you know certain metal recycling plants and stuff too. Because you get some oh, money in bulk for metal. Oh look, an Apple One. Oh, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if he's been that lucky or not, but. Uh, <laughs> Next up, uh, Todd Wallace, also known as Lord Dragon, um, is basically working on a, a machine language windowing thing. Now, actually, in the comments, I won't show it because we've showed this before when Hugo was doing it years ago, because he was doing a whole thing with you know, overlay windows and stuff, too. But this is uh, Todd's version where he's kind of using a Mac-style font, and he's actually got a little bit of GUI he's working on. He's got the mouse working, and you can move the window around. Hey guys, I just wanted to show you my progress on my little window manager thing. It is. He probably uses the high res mouse too, because he's mouse used it before. Moves around and check it out. The software one. Yeah, I'll put this window down here. Nah, let's move it up. Nah, put it back where it was. Ah, that is so cool to be dragging a window around. And I hopefully put a, enough structure in place. To that looks nice. More yep. than just this. Um, but that is just so cool. Look at this. <laughs> I'm kind of proud. Work in progress. I mean, that is cool. I mean, he's done a lot of really cool things. He did the weather reporting app with, with graphics and everything else. And he's done the IBM font and some MS-DOS utilities for on the Cocoa and all kinds of things. So Even he doesn't have a CM8 door. Nobody does, Ron. I, I'm sure that's a vicious rumor. You guys just Photoshop the damn things in all the time. I got three of them. <laughs> You're the Photoshop guy, so yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's just no. kind of proof. Everybody who's really good with Photoshop seems to have the door. Hmm, coincidence? I think not. Yeah, <laughs> jeez. <laughs> Next up on vintage is the new old. Uh, Paulo Garcia contributed to this, um, where he's duplicated as far as he can remember a high-res text generating basic program that he originally did. And speaking, we talked about this earlier when Frank was on, of the uh, CP400, which is a Brazilian Coca clone. So he'd written something in basic that would draw text characters on the screen type thing on the graphics screen. And he's actually tried to do it from memory, kind of remembering how it worked. 
uh, try to duplicate the program itself. That's an awful lot to remember. It's designed for the PMO3 screen, not a PMO4, so you can you know, do some color. So I thought that was kind of neat. I mean, having to go back and try to remember something you wrote literally 40 years ago, almost, 38, that's that's pretty impressive because I don't remember anything from yesterday. I, I Hello, world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good, isn't it? Come on. I mean, honestly, when I got back into Nitrous 9 and I was looking at some of the code and it even has my ref rem remarks, you know, of what I did, I didn't remember writing some of that stuff at all. Not a clue. I had no idea what I was doing. So you're looking at it thinking, who did I get this from? Well, I, I, well, yeah, maybe I did. I honestly don't remember that either. So <laughs> did I steal it from somebody or did I figure it out on my own? I don't remember. There's other chunks I do remember. I remember, you know, the, almost to the day. Because it was something I was really proud of. But there's other stuff I was going, I don't remember doing this at all. I thought Bill did this. Look at the ad in the corner there for the dust cover. Yeah, yeah for the Model 1. <laughs> That's a good one, too. Ron, I'll let you set this one up because you're the one who discovered it. Yeah, I I got it from some uh, vintage computer site. You know, and and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be browsing around looking. And if something comes up like this, I figure, well, there's always a chance that... Uh, you know, there'll be Tandy stuff in there. Run it. <laughs> yeah. So just to set it up a little bit <clears throat> beyond that, uh, this is a little news segment from the local news station in Albuquerque, New Mexico, about a retro computer gathering that they have there once a year. And um, and it's new. Yeah. Just published on the 10th of September. Mm -hmm. Machines from decades past. And think I don't know if this is going to work. Garbage. But for one retro Are you guys seeing the screen still? Yeah, I'm fixing them up as We're a good. passion. Okay. Scarlet yeah. Liz Jack takes Sometimes maximize it. Sometimes maximizes it. Does full Albuquerque. screen. It doesn't work. There were dozens of. I'll play the whole thing here, but there's a cocoa involved. See if you can spot it. Space, both apples and PCs. And these machines really paint the picture of how much technology has advanced. I see wet but these lips. computers also brought together a crowd of people who are passionate about vintage technology. Can this serves the lab? No. <laughs> Do you ever wish you could travel back in time? <laughs> we While this did. may not be time travel, ABQ Retro right Computers there. Public Meetup 4P. is a step back in time. Just get together not and a cake either. No, but it's 4P. Uh, fixing up these old yeah, computers yeah. and getting them, you know, up so everybody can use them. Machines from the 90s, 80s, and even the 70s. They, they aren't really, they aren't making them anymore. And most of them have ended up in the trash at this point. So as much awareness as we can get, you know, maybe somebody could save one from the trash and it can end up being There's reused again in the instead back. of, you know, just rotting away. And if you're thinking about surfing the modern web, you're out of luck. There's not even dial-up on these computers. Admittedly, in your everyday life, it can be kind of hard to actually find a use um, for some of these old machines. Yeah, you could. So this gives us if you still have copper. Unpack Tell them and play around with them. But Time to get. That feels Jones' passion. I've never successfully opened a modern cell phone, but one of these, you can take four screws off of this, open it up. It's generally pretty clear what's wrong with them. Components. There's the cocoa. Upside like down. Oh. oh. Or 
right to the mylar. Ouch. It doesn't matter what else she has to say now, does it? Amateur. The next public meeting will be sometime in March. So happy in the new Albuquerque, or sorry, new Albuquerque, Albuquerque, New Mexico area. It sounds like their next um, public meetup for this type of thing for the retro computers of all sorts is sometime in March. So I don't know. Wait, wait, there's there's a new Mexico. <laughs> it's like new Coke. Oh, yeah. well, that's just down the road from Ron, isn't it? Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, pretty closer to me than any of you. <laughs> so is that something you'd consider going to to report for us, Ron? Yeah, that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. So keep an eye out for it. I mean, they've got uh, the name of the group and stuff, so you can actually go check it out. But yeah, in March, so it's a month before Cocoa Fest. You can kind of bring a report to us at Cocoa Fest in April. Right. But don't take your cocoa; it'll get wrecked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, don't let them touch it anyway. Uh, Just hold on it for dear life and display. See that keyboard hanging? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yes, that was that was painful to watch. Very much so. The only worst thing I've ever seen is putting a multi-pack into a multi-pack. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> it's that or holding on to a uh, um, soldering iron uh, the wrong oh, way. That, that old stock to... footage again, yes. No, yeah. no, 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 no. For Frank, our, our guest from earlier says, I've opened my iPhone twice successfully. Both times it fell down the stairs and magically opened. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one way to do it. <laughs> that sounds like the school of how to fix the cocoa we just saw there, actually. Same techniques. Uh, next up, uh, Todd Horsch. I'm hopefully I'm pronouncing your name correctly there. Um, so he posted the tale of him getting into back into his Cocoa 3 after uh, catching some retro computer videos on YouTube and the trials he had to get it working with some upgrades that he was doing in the Facebook group. And I won't read the whole thing here, but he ordered a 609, a 512K memory upgrade, a Cocoa SDC. RGB to HDMI, and he had some issues trying to get it to work. Um, you know, and then it quit working because it was working originally. Um, oh, but it's dropping off again. Okay, so okay, we'll all right. Off. We're back. Okay, so what do you get? Like a flashing light or something when that thing drops? Yeah, OBS yeah. goes into the red if it if the oh, yeah, traffic's okay. gone down to crap. All right, probably it was just a little hiccup for everybody watching. So anyway, he goes into the tale of what all and he, you know, what he did to figure it out, got it working again. So now he's going to tackle the FD five hundred one. But uh, it's a tale of a cautionary tale, I guess, is what I would say. Hmm. And uh, he's got the Coco Diag cartridge, and I think it might actually be Frank's uh, that he used to help test some of the stuff to figure out what's going on. So, and next up, this is something we don't see: uh, activity in the MM one forum on facebook mm-hmm. now we've had somebody that came on to discord is also on facebook we'll cover something with him a little bit later here but uh joel evie posted the story of getting his mm1 and the mm1 facebook which is what we're looking at right now now he was one and i remember he was on the list because bill and i had to send drivers out to everybody who bought a tc9 from frank hogg because we were doing the updated version two drivers for the keyboard the mouse the joystick uh sound and a few other things too and he was on the list that we sent him to. So he was originally planning on getting the K bus and getting the TC70 to add on and do the whole, you know, super system. And I guess he went to go try to buy one TC70s from Frank. And Frank said basically, call back later. I don't have any right now. Um, 
So then he decided, well, I don't want it. Like we were talking about earlier, like people don't want to wait. <laughs> so he decided, well, I'll go talk to Blackhawk Enterprise and see if I can get a an MM1. Now their Blackhawk, that's almost MM1A level stuff, but I can't remember if this specifically was or not. Um, but also that was uh, David Graham said he was out out of those as well. He had the CPU board in stock, but if you wanted the expanded system with the I/O and memory backplanes, you could upgrade the memory up to nine megs and get a bunch of extra stuff that you could use on it. He said he was. Uh, he needed. He had the boards, but he didn't have somebody to actually solder them all together and put them in. So basically, what Joel had eventually decided, you know what, I could try to do the soldering and stuff myself. So he actually goes through and got a couple stacks of boards, and then he got stuff up and running. Uh, but he was actually talking to one of the people that did the original designs and stuff, and he actually posted the original emails of the back and forth of trying to figure out what was wrong on the boards that he had and how to fix them and stuff. So it's a bit of a history. Of, of the MM1 that a lot of us have not seen in the past. So I won't read all those here. It's definitely worth checking out though. There's an actual MM1 Multimedia One computer uh, forum on Facebook. And I know a few people on the show actually do have M1s. David Ladd has one, for example, though his hard drive's dead. I believe his floppy drive still works, so he can actually still boot it. Of course. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it's yeah, if it's floppy, Dave is not how to fix it, I guess. And then the hard drive's a bit harder. But the MM1, out of all of the Coco Fours that we talked about as far as commercially success goes, it was definitely the most successful of the batch. It it sold. I'm trying to remember because people were trying to guess like one guy I and mean, the person that we're talking about the next uh, article here too, he's got one in pretty rough shape, but uh, he thought there was only eight or nine sold. And Alan Huffman responded and said, there used to be more than eight or nine of us just meeting in a hotel room at Coco Fest that all had MM1s. And we had Eric Krishlow, obviously we did some development for the MM1 as an interview guest not too long ago either. Uh, he did the Gold Runner 2000 for the MM1. I seem to recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I thought there were several hundred MM1s sold over the years. Um, so it was more sold than that. I think the TC9 might have sold 100, 150, and the TC70 probably a little less than that. I don't know how well the System 4s and 5s sold. But it, it's kind of interesting having this you know, early history here of the MM1, one of the Coco 4 successors, as it was planned on being. And Keith March, who has joined our Discord recently, <clears throat> has pulled out some of his. Now, this is the accelerator board. So the original MM1 had a 68070 Signetics chip, and it was the same one that, uh, uh, what company did the interactive CDs? Uh, Philips? Uh, yes, thank you. Same chip, and basically it had some uh, graphic stuff built onto it. Um, it was a little slower than the equivalent 68000, so a 15 megahertz 68070, and it's confusing to use that numbering scheme because Motorola, of course, went 68,000, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and stopped. So you'd think the 70 would be way faster than 68,000. No. What are those um, charred-looking things on the board? I would assume it's a foam yeah. block. Yeah. Yeah, because it looks like that was where another chip went, and it's just... There's a chip on the backside, and there's... On the backside, okay. To, ...to keep it from shorting against stuff on this side. Okay. Ah, gotcha. So anyway, the original 68,070 was 15 megahertz. It ran the equivalent of about a 12 and a half megahertz, 68,000. Uh, a little bit slow. Uh, this is the 68340, which I believe was normally a 32-bit microcontroller. Is that right? You guys that know these Motorola chips well? But it's quite a bit faster because the original 68,000 was basically a 16-bit chip for the most part. Um, and this was an actual full 32-bit bus one. So this was an upgrade board like frank was talking about some of the amigas you know where you upgrade to 68,040s and 60s or you know go completely ape and do like vampires and buffies and stuff 
But this was the equivalent of that back in 1993 for the MM1. Um, so this is an actual picture of the actual 68,340 board. You know, I and, bet you that was a socket back there that plugged into the old CPU socket. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, could be. And this is one of my babies. You have one of them? No. <clears throat> well, that's a picture of my actual machine. <clears throat> but um, I had sold it. I sold it in the early um, 2000s for 700 bucks. Oh, wow. So I thought, because we've not visited this page too often on Cocoa Talk, because there hasn't been much new content on there for years, I thought it showed, like, for those who have not seen it before or even heard of it, here's what it looked like, the original M1. So it came in a standard PC case. It had high-density uh, 3.5-inch drive, 1.44 meg. It had SCSI, uh, used PC keyboards. It actually worked with the CM8 monitor. Um, it did up to 640 by 200 or 240 on pure color modes. And then it also had an interlace mode, similar to the Amiga, where you could double the vertical resolution, but you'd have your uh, hertz refresh. It was only 30 hertz. So basically, you draw every odd scan line and every even scan line. So it flickered a little bit, but it was a, you know, 640 by 480, basically, or pretty close to it. And a windowing system in OSK and everything else, too. So when I, when I got this machine, it had a uh, password to in order to get into it, and okay. um, and I, I somebody told me it was written on the back of the machine, and I went and looked, and I didn't think I found it anywhere, and then I went through. I had some documentation, and sure enough, it was written down there, and then it worked, and I was able to get into it. Yeah, I know David still has his, and it's it, the computer itself still functioned, but the hard drive controller is dead, or the hard drive itself physically is dead. Okay, next up after that, uh, Jim Gary pointed out this Hackaday project to add a composite video to an MC10, the NTSC version only in this case. <clears throat> that was actually published last week and I missed it. So for those of you that are you know, the hardware tinkerers and don't want to have to wait for Ed to come up with another batch of the MC10 composite adapter boards that he's got, which if you're a non-solder like me, is definitely the safer route. Um, here's the schematic and an article on how to build your own. And uh, you can actually get a better quality output on it and actually connect it to slightly more modern TVs that actually handle composite instead of just RF. Well, thanks, Jim, for pointing that out. Even if you hit, if you did have the other one, you still have to solder it in. Oh, right. Yeah, that isn't one where you can just plug it in, is it? No, you have to remove no, stuff. Right. Oh, well. Amy and Taylor show you how to uh, install one. Yeah, they installed one of Ed's, didn't they? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I have one. It's it's nice. It's just there's a lot of desoldering and then soldering. Yeah, because they had to remove the RF can and a bunch of other things too, didn't they? The RF can for sure. Yeah. Okay, next up after that, um, Cathay Sita on Facebook posted this link. I think that's Torsten Diddle. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, uh, from Europe. And this is basically a retro computer show uh, in Germany. Um, and this actually has a Dragon 32 and Dragon 64 that makes a, a, an appearance on it. So basically, they just wander around and show you the table. So I'll play a little bit of the intro here so that you can kind of see the facility and what the general show looks like. And then I'll fast forward to the uh, Dragon. A little smaller than VCF, but not a bad size. Tall ceilings. Don't really need the music. 
then they do the standard walkthrough. I'll skip forward to the, the dragon parts, but there's a ton of stuff. And a lot of the European machines you don't see too often up here in North America. So if you're into the, that kind of thing, definitely go check out the video. Uh, you know, for a, a period of time, I was interested in seeing um, what the Russians used to use. And I wondered if the Russians, they kind of cloned everything, you know, Z80s. and the Yeah, they actually stuff. imported a few too, I think. If yeah, I, just, them, I wonder but... if they ever did a 6809, but I've never found anything. I thought I heard. Did they? I'm trying to remember. I think, wasn't the Thompson sold there for a bit? Hmm. The French 6809? Probably. Yeah, the French had a lot of relations with the uh, Russians, so very possible. Yeah, I, I seem to recall somebody saying that before, though I I can't confirm that. All right, here you'll see the Dragon sixty four and the Dragon thirty two, briefly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it looks like they had an SDC stuck in one because um, you know it had. Is the SX that? Um... That was what Majig was talking about earlier. That uh, Ron was asking. Yeah, that one. That one. Oh yeah, yeah that's a little Commodore uh, luggable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which he had at Boat Fest actually, running. And this is a Vectrex style thing. I'm not sure that is. No, it's a monitor on its side. You know, there is a Coco game where you can turn your monitor on the side. I took a picture of it once and I tried it. And it oh, I think, I think you could turn your mon- the monitor on its side with any game. It just wouldn't look right. Yeah. No, well, this game was flipped. So if you turn your monitor on the side, it looked normal. Well, that guy, There's a Space Invaders uh, transcode that does that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that game that was running just there before... Uh, was uh, playing sideways. That's Got several people in the chat mentioning that the Spectrum clones were probably the most popular in the, in Russia. In Russia, yeah. And this I was going to show David Ladd because it's a hard drive platter open so you can see it running and watch the head go back and forth. And I thought, you know, that would just get him. I, I won't say the term I was about to say, but really excite him. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, okay, he had run. We got Jason. Yeah, so I'll have to I'll have to stand in. That's right. David Ladd simulation. Jason, the David uh, emulator. <laughs> Look at those platters go. <laughs> and there's the Wang because uh, Ron keeps mentioning it. Yeah. Every- <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of which, <laughs> everybody Wang Chung tonight. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, boy. Fortunately, we will not be here all day. No, there's only so many hours in the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it looks like we're going to use all of them. I'm just about done. I've only got a couple stories <laughs> left. So, Some, someone's been handing Curtis cups of water through this marathon session. So we'll be done Coffee. by eight. Coffee. Oh, yeah. oh, we're at six and a half yeah. hours now. <laughs> yeah. He didn't say what time zone. Anyway, if you're ever in Germany, this looks like a pretty fun show to go to. Everything's interactive. You get to actually go touch and try out all the stuff here. They've got lots of you know educational displays like the hard drives and stuff actually functioning that you can watch, you know, how a hard drive actually physically works and a pretty good variety of machines. So I was pretty impressed with that show. Mm-hmm. And not as busy as BCF, you can probably walk without running into people. And then we got a couple of dragon stories to kind of close things out here. Um John Whitworth of Dragon Plus, he was a guy who's been going through leukemia treatments and has been quite successful. So he's actually started manufacturing stuff in kit form before. 
or again, uh, I should say, because uh, he kind of stopped everything for a while because he really had to concentrate on his health. And he's had to actually have volunteers that are helping convert some of the kits into finished products that he can sell. So thanks to all those people again. But this is, he said, this here, this is a design I knocked up some time ago, but I had quite a few Ujima Flip 2021s left back then. Just wondering what the appetite would be for uh, these with people to actually buy these again. Like, should he finish making them, basically? What exactly is it? It's an internal expansion. Like, basically, if you plug this in, I think it hooks up to the cartridge port from the inside. But basically, it gives you the ability to have two cartridges internally in the Dragon case. So it's like a mini multi-pack, oh. a mini MPI okay. inside the case. You can just put in your you know, floppy drive and your sound speech or whatever it is. And, mm -hmm. and your cartridge port is still free. And it doesn't take extra disk space and everything else. So, And I remember some comments on it was like, you can fit all that inside of a Dragon case. And apparently there's a lot of room. It's more like a Cocoa 1 case and a Cocoa 2 case where they kind of compressed everything. There's not really that much room to fit two carts inside. So this would be good for if you did a repack. You don't have to repack. It fits right inside the Dragon case as it is. No repacking necessary. Just you might have to remove fits. the cartridge uh, cases on your carts, but yeah. But basically, the actually, I think I saw some pictures. I don't even know if you have to do that. Like, there's uh, a lot of air space in the yeah, dragon. That's right. There's a lot of space in the dragon, more than in the cocoa, at least yeah. in the even, pianos, even more than the cocoa one. Yeah. And the fact there was no MPI for the dragon officially, this yeah. would be uh, an alternative. Yeah, because you could plug in, say, um, John, what was MSX? Well, actually, that's not a cartridge. Is it? Um, but a floppy drive controller and a you know real time clock or whatever else you wanted to do R S thirty two if you only had Dragon thirty two for example. So he's basically gauging is it worthwhile him to continue fix finishing up these boards or getting the kits ready type thing and he's got several people that said yes. <laughs> and the last one this is kind of a joke here so this is by Darren Brown and he actually took uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo and modified it to be an even better movie, the girl with the dragon thirty two. Yeah. Heart stopping edge of the sheer seat drills from start to finish. And of course, you know, as, as Ron mentioned, the, the Queen's logo is there too. So, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I thought I'd end the news in a bit of a lighthearted note there. Oh, you and, did. And that's it for this week. We'll be looking for that on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And looking, and looking, and looking, and looking, looking. Uh, well, we only ran out of uh, power. How many times in this show? I don't know, five, six. Oh. Is that all? No well, thank, thankfully, Mark's been doing a local recording. Now, unfortunately, it sounds like his internet actually did die bomb a few times, so he might have some glitches that we didn't see here on Zoom. Yeah, but like when Zoom, when Zoom disappears and just uh, records my uh, screensaver or my my background. Mm. Hey, Mark, how many gigabytes do you uh, gather on one of these shows? Uh, I was about to look, actually. <laughs> yeah, Kevin sure Holloway saying that they've had a lot of dropouts and buffering. Uh, let's you, see. No, you need to take a buffering. So, Mark, your copy will be better than what the stream saw, but it sounds like there's still going to be some glitches in it. Eh? So, last week's was... Eight terabyte. Holy hell. Eight gigabytes. Eight gigabytes. Eight gigabytes. gigabytes. Mm -hmm. Uh this week's probably a little more than that. Yeah. Eight terrible bytes. So well, last week's show was uh, four hours nineteen minutes. This week we got six hours and twenty-eight minutes so far in the record. So last week was a short show that I missed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was mm -hmm. a lighthearted. <laughs> so this is kind of like the dragon uh 
for the uh, Cougar Fest we did. Yeah, mm. it was the only one longer. I wonder if Stevie's going to watch this whole thing. He <laughs> <laughs> usually just listens in the car, to be honest. Yeah. He's going to wonder watch. what the heck we did. <laughs> it just keeps going on and on. It's uh, the show that never ends. Just, so we'll skip it, the outro part. Okay. We'll, yes. we'll grant the, the viewers that little bit. But yeah, I would expect <laughs> there's going to be a bit of a delay uh, for redoing, like putting one up that actually is not as chopped up as the actual live stream was because there'll well, be some editing to do. Yeah, well, I'll have to see if Stevie wants the backup copy or not. Yeah. Edit it down, just cut out the parts where Curtis is. Yeah, just set out the news and all that useless crap. I Why don't we just remember. quit when the... Just when leave the... my Nitrous 9 ads in there. I need those. Yeah. <laughs> you need those. Yeah, he paid for those. <laughs> all right. Push the button, Frank. Well, it right. looks, like it, looks like it pushed it.